Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 372. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, we had a very spirited sh- uh, discussion before the show, so I hope that carries over to the show this week. <laughs> Good if only you can hear the off-air. Yeah, if only you can hear the off-air, folks. <laughs> Good energy. Yeah, I hope that carries over into the show. <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. So, uh, yeah, we have good morale so good. here at Between the Sheets. <laughs> yes, <laughs> nobody's refusing to do jobs here, that's for sure. But anyway, anyway on that note, yes, we uh, we have another uh, Andy show this week, and uh, we are joined by our dear friend, King Kingsport, Bo James, who's back with us. And uh, Bo, you're fired up. Before we got to, before we uh, start the show, so uh, I know you're going to carry this into the show. So uh, it should be a uh, quite a show this week. I'm fired up. I'm excited. I've not been on here in, in how long? It's been, <clears throat> was April the last time I was on here? It's around that. Yeah. Yeah. It's been so a minute. I uh, <clears throat> I've already blew my voice out off air yelling and cussing <laughs> about people. So uh, April, yeah, April, no. April 19th to the hey. 25th. That's what I was thinking. So, lots going but, on since then. Well, you yeah. did do two shows in a row, though. Yeah, you did two shows in a row. So, but still, it's been a while. So, yeah, we're always going <clears> to <throat> have you on and for an '80s show as well. And we just did 1985 a couple weeks ago, but we're doing it again. And we got a nine-day week here to cut to uh, fill in the gaps of the timeline. As we have September 12th through the 20th of 1985. Hey, uh, before we get to that, I yes. want to make a cor- I want to make a correction right off the top. All right, because I have seen this quote and I've heard it on this program a few times in the last few months, and okay. I've seen it on Twitter with my name attached to it. Okay. <clears throat> I don't need any help getting heat on myself, so. <laughs> This <laughs> and I heard it last week about Cornette didn't know how to book Smoky Mountain Wrestling, says Bo James. No, Cornette didn't know how to book Knoxville. No one does. <laughs> and, yeah, and so obviously. I want, right, and I want to. Uh, so I want to just kill that real fast. Here's the deal: nobody could have d- did what Jimmy Cornette did. Not a soul. He brought a passion. He brought a love to it. He put everything that he had into it, and he did great, but times had changed. And one of the major things that had changed was the Tri-Cities and Knoxville had moved into the modern world from Southeastern wrestling to Smoky Mountain wrestling. So it's a completely different kind of monster in booking this part of the world because you have two major audience bases. You have spot shows, Harlan, Kentucky, East Kentucky, Southern West Virginia, Southwest Virginia, and the little bitty towns outside of Knoxville and the Tri-Cities here that will go for the traditional old-time wrestling with the heat and all that stuff. Knoxville, Johnson City, completely different liberal college cities that are modern cities with different cultures and different races and different industries and different everything else. So 
when you went through the numbers last week about how much Knoxville was suffering at the point in time in the week you covered last week, one thing that was not pointed out, those events were being ran on Sundays in Knoxville. And Johnson City with Bob Armstrong against the secret weapon was ran on Friday night because they were having to move around in the early days of Smoky Mountain Wrestling to try to miss high school football and the University of Tennessee football. And you couldn't miss them all, all the places. So football is king in East Tennessee. Knoxville was drawing 110,000 people to every Vols game at that point, plus everybody was watching. So you could not run Knoxville on sun or Saturday night. You had to do it on Sunday. Knoxville had not ran on Sunday since the 70s, and that was just for special events. It's a traditional Friday night town. Johnson City was more of a Sunday town for Crockett or a Wednesday town. So they're having to move around and run on Friday night. So it's a whole different ball game. Barnett ran Knoxville on Sundays in 80, and uh, it didn't last very long. (laughs) No, right. (laughs) They went the Fridays. (laughs) Right. And, And so... It's a completely different monster. Nothing away from Cornette. Nothing. It's just, unless you lived here, grew up here, you don't understand the culture. You don't understand what moves around. And we're going to get to a big case of this very point today on the Memphis part when we get to Memphis. Um, But so I just wanted to clear that up. Well, the thing I had said, the thing I had said uh, last week, especially was Cornette came in and tried and, uh, and tried to book it like Memphis. I mean, Memphis and Knoxville are two different. I mean, two different whole situations. I mean, there are two different worlds. There are that's two what, different worlds. That's why Robert Fuller, when he went to Memphis and booked and tried to book like Knoxville, it didn't work in Memphis. Right. Right. You know. And I, mean, and I I'll tell you this is a is a is a true East Tennessee hillbilly is somebody that grew up in these mountains, but I've lived other places and went other places. And I lived in Memphis and worked in Memphis. There's more rubes and lemuels and hillbillies in West Tennessee and in Arkansas than there ever was in East Tennessee. <laughs> well, but, you know, what I always say is there's more, there's probably more rednecks in upstate New York and central Pennsylvania than there is in the, in the South. Oh, yes. Yeah, Central PA in Indiana. But Memphis itself was the money and it was a different it was a different thing there. They had to know how to book spot shows compared to Memphis too there. It's just it's crazy how wrestling is different all across the country. Not now because it's one product across the board pretty much. But even today is a perfect example when we go through stuff on this program here. So I'm ready to go with that, but I just wanted to clear that up before I had any more. Because here's the deal. I sit here on this show waiting to share history and stuff that I know and stuff that's been talked to me by the people that we're actually talking about. And I also wait for Chris or Bix to say or read something to where I know that I can say something that's going to just burn the butt of the haters out there (laughs) because I still am an old time wrestling guy that goes for the heat and I love it. But so I don't need any help getting heat on me myself. So I want to make sure whatever I'm quoted as saying, I actually say it. 
And the because thing is, I'm, and, and the thing is, real quick, is you know, I don't want to get this out. I mean, we we did '93 on the last show, and you know, Smoky Mountain Wrestling in 1993 is probably the best wrestling on television. You know, I would say. And the thing is, you know, it has doing great television shows, great booking. It wasn't correlating the business. And and look how much that's happened over the years with these great TV shows and everything in there. But it's not going to the to the the box office. Right. You know, so it's like, what do you do? So, yeah, I mean, and again, people are going to people are going to hear what they hear and misconstrue things and not get proper context. Me and Bix have known that for, for since we started this show. And I mean it's just the way it is. You know, but at least you got that off your chest. I, so, I, uh, I, and I th- I think Bix gets picked on more by, than any of us <laughs> on this show. Well <laughs> Bix, Bix is a lightning rod anyway, for other reasons. There's a lot of people that have a hard on for Bix for <laughs> God knows why. And it's like it's like their life sometimes revolves around him. And if he says or does anything, they just want to, they can't wait to go off on, on him and right. or pick on him. Yeah, it's, it's funny to me. I mean, it, it's it, crazy. It is. Some people, they, they, that people have that, that, that hard on for him, like they do. You know what it is? It's mental illness. <laughs> I mean, There's it really nothing. is. Yeah. You sit here to listen to a podcast that we're doing to entertain people and educate people on something that we're passionate about love and have spent our life studying, following and being a part of. And there's some asshole listening just to hear you make one mistake or say one thing wrong so they can run to Twitter or run to Facebook or run to wherever and say horrible stuff about you. So six people may agree with them and that's made their day. That is some kind of illness. It's a sad existence, isn't it? Yes. It's sad. (laughs) But anyway, enough about that. So let's get to the show. September 12th to the 20th, 1985. And we begin in a place we've never probably begun this show before. St. Louis, Missouri. Big story of the week is the apparent demise of the St. Louis Wrestling Club as a WWF, which has been running shows at the St. Louis Arena, formerly Checker Dome, capacity 18,000 fans for roughly one year without much success, has negotiated a deal with the Keel Auditorium, capacity 10,800 which basically excludes the NWA from the building. The show a perfect example of the stupidity which has put the NWA group in this position as of this weekend, which is the weekend after our week, as Dave's reporting this. Uh, on their TV tapings, they were advertised that their next show at the Kia would be October 25th, which coincidentally is the date of the first WF show at the Kiel. WF show at the Kiel, excuse me. The NWA originally had that date but lost it and has been informed the Kiel will no longer do business with them. Given the poor crowd St. Louis Wrestling Club has been drawing, there's no way they can afford to go to, into the arena, which has a much higher rent. Given the gates that WF was drawing and taking building rent into consideration, Dave doubts that they were making any money on the recent shows, but they can afford short-term losses, whereas Bob Geigel and Harley Race can't. Jim Crockett can afford short-term losses as well. Dave's told Crockett's already formulated a plan to run six shows per year in St. Louis, Charging $25 ringside plus his other normal prices, 15 and 8, Dave presumes. Whatever it costs to put the arena won't scare Crockett. For longtime fans, in the minds of the NWA St. Louis Wrestling Club promotion, which had long been regarded as the finest promotion around under Sam Mushnick, really shows just how little wrestling 1982 and wrestling 1985 have in common. 
The last day I showed the arena will be September 29th. Anyway, the final St. Louis Wrestling Club show drew a respectable 5,300 fans as Ric Flair beat Harley Race by blood stoppage in the main event. And that was on the Friday night of our week here, September the 20th. Um, Dave told nobody can recall a stop on blood finish ever for this group, but that race was really gushing in the two of their typical excellent match. The other top two bouts, Dave was told were very good as well, with Bruiser Brody from the one-man gang and Rip Martell keeping the NBA crown against Jimmy Garvin by pinfall. As expected, Kamala was a no-show. He's been sued by fans. Everyone knew he'd avoid a subpoena by not showing. So Crusher Blackwell wrestled Tiny Tim, Big John Harris, and maybe the worst wrestler in the world, and the match, which could only be won by a body slam, ended in a double countout. Even sillier is that Gary Royal retained the NWA junior title, pinning Brett Batten, Brad Batten, you Memphis fans. But what was silly is this car took place on September 20th. Royal lost the title on September 15th in Atlanta. They take the WTBS show on Sunday's prior to the card now, which was reported in Kansas City the night before. It's interesting, everybody. Also, Bob Brown pinned Bart Batten, Mark Batten in Memphis, although Bart is his real name. Kurt and Larry Henning beat Mr. Pogo and Ed Carpoo Thomas. Little Bobo over Midget John. And Art Cruz went to a draw with Sheik Abdullah in the opener. Midget John? Midget John. That was his name. <laughs> Um, okay. Why well, you get giant, giant so and so as a, as names of <clears throat> Gustav? Why not Midget John? Yeah. Um, I, I, I believe quick, that's uh, actually uh, Farmer John. I believe that's actually Farmer John, the midget wrestler. It's possible, but that's what the results said in the yeah in the St. Okay. Louis newspapers. Okay. Um. Oh, so what I was going to say is to be clear before we get into everything, the WWF had run the keel before; they just hadn't run the keel in a year. They moved to the arena. Yeah. And because it was the bigger building. And at that time, they were doing, you know, great business at the Keel. Well, no, they weren't. Not when they left the Keel. You sure about that? I will pull it back right back up again. Their last Keel show was September 2884. They drew 4,200 fans for Hogan, Mr. Fuji, Tito Orndorff. Uh, those are your main matches. So, you know, high TV first, taping. But what was the first arena show? Uh, let's see. Okay, so St. Louis. Okay, so the first show at the arena was October 25th in front of 7,000. Well, also, they're not doing these as these weird hybrid TV tapings after that point. Well, they quit. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that's done. Uh. November 28th through just under 6,000 for Battle Royal, Piper JYD, and Stud Mulligan. Uh, December 27th through just under 9,500 for Hogan Beefcake, JYD, and JYD Piper with Luthez advertised as guest referee plus uh, North-South Connection Briscoes. And you know, as they switched to 85. I think part of the re- well, here's here's probably the reason why they left the keel the first time. They wanted exclusivity, and the keel wouldn't give it to them. Yeah. And because the Geico and them were still drawing pretty good at the keel at that yeah. point in time. Yeah. Now yeah. they're tank. Now they're in the tank, and the keel, you know, WWF has – hey, let's be honest. WWF has a whole lot more on their side perception-wise in September 1985 and then in September 1984, they are now looked at as the big league of professional wrestling. Yeah, but they so, ain't doing well either. So in January, they did 
a sellout, which it says here is 10593 for Hogan Orndorff and T Tito Valentine and uh, Piper and Orton versus Snook and JYD. February was 8500 for Andre and JYD versus Stud and Patera. March was 9000 for Hogan Orndorff. Uh, but then April, okay, I'm going to tell you what the top matches are, and then you need to tell, guess what the attendance is. Piper Snuka, Windman Rotunda, Sheik and Volkov, Andre versus Stud and Heenan. Those are your top matches. How do you think that's true? About 4,000. 2,600. 40. Yeah, that's... that's they've seen all that before, because they, they had Stud and Andre on TV so much. Yeah, 3,600 in May. Uh, well, the town's been burnt down. I mean, burnt down because you got both both groups running. Mm -hmm. and, they're, and, they're, and they're in a big competition. And that that's... You know that that's the thing. So you're you're getting you're getting from both sides. Yeah. So the last show before our week was August 24th with 4,200 for Hogan Volkov, Steel Sheik, uh, Steamboat and JYD versus Morocco and Fuji, and uh, Tito Savage. I and mean, the, just to give yeah yeah and and uh, you know you look at some of the numbers that the you know the wrestling club are putting up. All right, so that's September '84. They've put 7,600 in the keel. October, they put 4,500. They ran the keel twice in October. They ran. They put 5,291 in on the on the week out the, the other October show. 5,400 in November. Um, 7,500 in January '85. 10,806 in January 25th. Three weeks after the other show. 8,217 in February. 5,210 in March. 4,500 in March. Um, April shows not listed, but here you go. May 2366, May 1600, uh, oh, yeah. July 1812. Um, yeah. And then Crockett, Crockett's first show draws five. No, first show I don't have the numbers for, but they ran this, this the night they ran against WF, they drew 5,000. They, they ran head to head on November 29th. And they drew 5,000 5, and uh, WF, which I'm looking at now as I scroll here, they drew 4,300. But here's the thing. Notice the, the months during St. Louis Cardinals baseball season. I was getting ready to point that tank. out. That's yeah. why, Bix. That's why. Mm. They tank. What does Sam Mushnick do during baseball season? He took, took time off. Yeah. Because he knew he was going to do business. Took a break. And here's the thing, too. Mushnick retires, who's been in charge since the beginning. So it takes a dip there because it's not Sam's wrestling anymore. Well, well, here's another thing that's going to go against that narrative. They had some, you know, in those last years of him running, him being the promoter, there were some some slack attendances too yeah you know, but he wasn't but, he wasn't drawing great great houses every show yeah but i'm saying the, the old time fans that had been coming for years that sam knew by name and was oh, ringside yeah. and oh, yeah. you know well just it ain't sam's anymore it's somebody else's i don't know if we should support it yeah 
wrestling fans are very strange when it comes to change in towns where it's been running for a long time. Yeah, especially in that era when WF is moving into all the territories. Yeah. And they're seeing this type of wrestling they'd never seen before. Right. And this wrestling is now, you know, mainstream. It's on NBC. It's on MTV. Hulk Hogan's got his cartoons starting up. Yeah. I mean, this is a to- this ain't, you know, territory wrestling no more. It's a totally different thing. Yeah. But, but yeah, Bex, when you look at those spring and summer shows, that's the deal. I mean, this St. Louis Cardinal season. So, yeah, it, it, it's t- like Bo was talking about with Smoky Mountain and University of Tennessee. You know, when you were trying to book during football season. AWA, it's summertime. Yep. The time of the year when people can go, can go outside and enjoy the weather. They put, That's their off-season, basically. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, a lot here, though, is... WWF wanting to get it downsized, so to speak, and go to the keel, and it's cheaper rent. Let's not let's not discount that as well, Bo. I mean, yeah. you, you being a promoter, you know about this. If you can go somewhere that's you know maybe not the best venue, but right there next to it, not not that far of a drop off, and you can get it cheaper. Come on, that's a no brainer. Yeah, but just the fact that you were still able to get monopolies on city buildings <laughs> you you can't get away with that now you know you can't go into a city and go you can rent to us and us only that that well, will not play now <laughs> well you'd be surprised um there is talk that we has done that with aw there there there's supposedly some buildings that aw can't can't get can't get in because we has kind of this was when vince was there so yeah. kind, of, kind of like, well, you can bring you can bring them in, but <laughs> because I mean, you look at because here's the thing: AEW's been running some of these cities for three years now, and they're still running the same buildings they ran when they first ran there three years ago. And you would think that they should be able to upgrade to one that. of the bigger buildings in the in the city. Nope. So that still goes on. I don't know if it, I mean I don't think it's like it was, but that still goes on. They can't, they cannot tell you, you can't rent. They can just make it to where you can't rent. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're not saying, uh, no, you can't do this, but they're saying it sure would be unfortunate if you did that. Yeah. But <laughs> kind of like that but, mob, mob deal. I right, sure would hate but, for you to do that. But here, here in, in 85, that oh, was yeah. still a thing. No, oh, you yeah. can't rent it. We well, rent it to somebody else. Well, that's the thing, you know, they're, they're about to have that whole thing, Crockett and Vince with, uh, with Richmond. Yeah. You know, that's about to come up. So. Which started in 1958, <laughs> where both of them were trying to run Richmond and Crockett was in with the building better than the uh, D.C. office at the time. Yeah. And it caused lawsuits and all kinds of trouble. Yeah. But yeah, Crockett. So this has been going on as long as there's been two, two or more wrestling promoters. Yeah, but basically, to, to sum up, this isn't the end of the St. Louis Wrestling Club yet, because there's they they like co-promote with Crockett a few times, but it's over with in '86. In early '86 is when it becomes just Jim Crockett. You don't see the Central States talent, and then all of a sudden, 
Crockett gets into Central States, and then Central States talents back on St. Louis shows again. When so, yeah, but yeah, so uh, which he should have stayed out of there. He should have stayed out of Kansas City altogether. Oh well, that's a whole other story. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of Jim Crockett, let's go to Jim Crockett Promotions. And our lead story this week shows how much news there is. <laughs> there ain't any. Uh, the Midnight Express. Uh, this is their first big feud in Jim Crockett Promotions as they've uh, been in uh, the Georgia Loop for the first part of their run, and now they're graduating to the main loop. And now they're going to start a feud with uh, one Rocky King, and it leads to a Boogie Woogie Man involvement. So let's go to the first clip, shall we? The fallen man. Also uh, borrowed on the uh, Flair retirement show that quote unquote Jim Crockett Promotions put on. Well, there you go. All right, so next we'll get the promo from uh, Rocky King and Boogie Woogie Man. So let's go to that and then we'll talk about the whole situation here. All right, fans, with us right now at ringside, the Boogeyman from New York City, Jimmy Valiant, Rocky King, Jimmy, the Midnight Express. You ran in to, to help out this young man, Rocky King. You know, Bobby! I want to tell my people and you a little story how I met Rocky King about three years ago in Atlanta, Georgia, four or five o'clock in the morning on Peach Street. I walked into a crystal and I seen Rocky King and I says, hey, man, where you at? He says, I ain't nowhere. I says, I ain't nowhere to. You see that street talk? This is a street brother. Hold that head up, brother. Hold it up high, man. You walking tall now, baby. I don't care, brother, if Rocky King is black, white, green, purple, Japanese, Chinese, or Pekingese. Brother, he's a street person, and he's with the Boogie Woogie Man. Midnight Express and Mama Boy, Jimmy Cornette. 
Your dues are with the street people. And you're looking at street people rocking and boogie woogie. We coming for you, baby. All right. All right, fans. Let's go back to the ring. All right. This was their test, Bo. When you say that, that this is Dusty giving them the test to see how they can handle it, feuding with, with Jimmy. Um, it's a, okay. Flair always said to get over in the Carolinas, you had to go through Johnny Weaver. After 83 and 84, to get over in the Carolinas, you had to go through Jimmy Valiant. And everybody can talk about him. Oh, he didn't take bumps. Oh, he didn't this. Oh, he didn't that. He kept Jim Crockett promotions open in 1984. Because Valiant was the guy they come to see. So he's easy to get heat on. He's easy to work with. And he's over as much as anybody. The test here was Rocky King. Because they knew Dennis and... Yeah, they knew Dennis and Bobby were going to get over. But to get them over and make them care, they got to get over with Valiant or somebody in there. The story that he just told about Rocky King and him meeting at Crystal's early in the morning in Atlanta is a true story. Rocky King was working outlaw shows in Georgia and ran into Jimmy Valiant in a Crystal's early in the morning or late at night, and said, hey, how do I get on TV? And he said, well, you could call this person or call that person or do this or do that and hope they do it, or you just show up. Just come, and I'll vouch for you. That's how Rocky King got in there. Right right place, right time. So... Rocky was well-liked by everybody, just like George South and just like Gene Ligon and just like the Malkies, you know, those guys that that everybody likes to say, oh, they were jobbers. But no, they were full-time employees because at this point in time, there's two and three crews running the night. So Rocky They're all working house shows. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're all working house shows. They're all full-time wrestlers wrestling. They're not... They're not Ron Rossi, and they're not, um, you know, these guys that were only used at TVs. Lee Ramsey. Lee Ramsey, (laughs) yeah. Mike Simone. Mike Simone, Marvin Turner. They're not these guys. These are full-time wrestlers making a great living to be the first, second, or third match of the night. And this, looking back now, this tells you, that Dusty and Crockett already had the idea of taking Kansas City in 85. Because who did they send out there to be the top babyface team? Rocky and George. Rocky and George. And they're having a, a lot of towns. They're going Broadway with Denny Brown for the junior title. Or they're working with Gary Roy. They're working with guys that had worked other territories. They're getting George and... and and Mark Fleming and Rocky King and these guys ready to send them to Kansas City. Um, so this is a test to see how Rocky gets over. Give Rocky some house show matches where he's in a featured match and going to get a good payoff. Um, and they, he also now 
is not just some guy that you see get beat up on TV when he goes to ring in the scope or in Freedom Hall or in Greensboro or in Charleston or wherever else. Hey, that's Rocky King. They know him by name. Same thing with George South. They now know these guys as they're, they're just so close to breaking through. Now, Dennis and Bobby and Cornette have a long history with Handsome Jimmy. So they know he's over like crazy here. He knows how to work with us. We know how to work with him. <clears throat> We're going to make money. The one thing none of them was planning on was Ronnie Garvin in drag being thrown in the mix of this. <laughs> neither was Ronnie. And neither was exact. Neither was Ronnie. <laughs> because they keep throwing ideas around, and then finally Dusty says, "Hey, would you do this?" And he's like, "Where is it at on the card?" Because money mattered where you were at on the lineup is how you were paid. So if I'm in an important match with the guys that are getting ready to be the world champions, okay. Yeah. I'll put a wig on. Um, but this, this was, it was good to see Rocky get a push, a little bit of a push and be used. It was the semi-main event in Atlanta. People yeah. forget that. It was the semi-main <laughs> event at the Omniest arcade. Yes. <laughs> and, and they made a lot of money with it. And it made Rocky some money on the B-Towns. And because they had some main events in the B-Towns. And they were used in the middle to high, <clears throat> higher up in some of the big towns. Um, the, uh, it, got, it got Big Mama a payoff. Uh, here's the thing about Handsome. If you're in with handsome and you're part of the family, brother, you're going to get paid. He's going to figure out a way to get everybody involved that he loves to make sure that they get a payoff. So I've always accused him of being the one that came up with the Ronnie Garvin and drag idea. <laughs> <laughs> And he's always quick to say, no, that was dusty. But um, because the, the Garvin and Hanson are tight, have been for 50 some years. Um, you know, it's, I mean, but it was good. He got Rocky in a key figure in a payoff in these towns. Plus, he made, they made Rocky King more than just an enhancement talent off of this deal. Even though Rocky didn't get a star cape payoff off of it though you know I, I would not be I would not I would not say no to that because he probably did do you think he got a payoff even though he didn't work yeah I think he did because he was figured in he was going to be a part of it and then Big Mama was put in there for some reason well I know why the reason that was there's two reasons why <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, the third is her and Handsome live in the same house, so that payoff is going into that house too. But I, I would say Rocky got something because he was a key part of it. Yeah, he might have got he might have got part of Terry Taylor's check. That's why Terry Taylor walked out. Yeah. <laughs> well, that would explain how why Terry feels the way he does about some stuff. Then. <laughs> There you go, Vic. I think we I think we've come on something here. 
but I mean, yeah, this is. I mean, they weren't going to put the men nuts with the rock and rolls. I mean, because rock and rolls are few in the coal offs, and that's yep. something. That's something you can always go to. You always have that in your back pocket. And there was no other babyface tag team in that territory. That's the thing. I mean, you look at the tag teams. There, other than the rock and rolls, there was no other like babyface regular tag team. It was the guys would team up with with each other. They, you, know, you right. would have all your main guys would team up with each other. That's it. Yeah. Well, they tried it on the Atlanta end with the Sawyers. But they, they just, yeah, they're leaving. They they shot herself in the foot and got herself thrown right out the door. Yeah, if they would have did business and, and would have been cool, they probably would have been able to pull that up to the Carolinas and wherever else. But they, you know, they're thinking, well, we're more over in Georgia and blah blah blah. Well, no, you everybody is replaceable, and they found out how quick they were replaceable. Yeah, but 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 yeah, Crockett. I mean. You, you look at it though. Crockett didn't didn't have that babyface tag team like a like a regular tag team since you know since the Youngbloods, yeah, since Jay and Mark. Because you know after they leave, it's Dusty and and Bull that win the tag titles from the Rush and went from Ivan and Kernodal, and they yeah. weren't a regular tag team and they they were tag team champions. It was like the tag titles were on the back burner because Dusty was always you know wanting to. With Flair and Tully and Wahoo yeah. and this that, and the other, and the tag titles was like an afterthought for a long time until the Russians got the belts back, and then there wasn't a regular Bayface tag team for them to feud with until Ricky and Robert come in. Yeah, a territory okay, that was 80- built on tag teams. <laughs> right, eighty four doesn't even have a tag title match, does it? Star K four, no, because Dusty's working Flair and Bulls and Manny's with Black Bart. Yeah. Yeah. So that that shows you how far that had fallen down in a year. But that's dusty. I think that's yeah. that's, that's dusty more than anything else. Yeah. But uh, Vix, what are your thoughts on uh, on all this? Midnight's uh, feud with uh, Handsome and Rocky King here. I mean, the plan was to wait on putting them with the rock and rolls. I mean, it's a. I. I get why it looks strange to some people looking back on it, but in the context of 1985, it makes plenty of sense. And like you said, it was the co-main event in Atlanta. Yeah, that's dark. And it got it got it got a handsome way from Paul Jones. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's another thing too. They they handsome needed that break from Paul Jones, and they would do that. He would few with Paul Jones break, few with Paul Jones break. And this was a break from feud with Paul Jones, right? And then, and then, and then the you know the Paul Jones feud doesn't restart back up until Pistol Pass turns on him because he feuds with Tali after uh, the first you know, first part of eighty six. Yep. And neither one of them liked that a bit. <laughs> so uh, you know it, it, it was a styles clash. It really was. It. And then you know, handsome goes back to Paul Jones and. That's his lot in life after that, pretty much, the whole time he was there. But, uh, but yeah, this, I mean, it worked for what they was intended to do. So, uh, yeah, it was a success. Now, you touched on the Sawyers. The Midnight Express beat the Sawyers in a loser leave town steel cage match in Columbus, Georgia on September 14th, with Brett being pinned. But Buzz is on his way out as well. With rumors going around, he'll be going back to Florida to work with Kevin Sullivan. No, he's going to Mid-South with Dick Slater. All right, the rest of the results here on this car, we have Jim Jeffers going to a draw with Lee Ramsey, George South beating Matt Jeffers, 
Then Jim Jeffers did double duty, being Ron Rossi. What a lineup we have here in Columbus. <laughs> oh then we have Arn Anderson over Crystal Pez Watley. Okay. Nikita Koloff over Terry Taylor. All right. And then the Lose Leave Town Steel Cage Midnights over the Sawyers. How pissed do you think they were that night that the Jeffers are in triplets? <laughs> well, this is one reason. Why, this is one reason, basically, why Fred Ward just gives it up because when they were when they would run Columbus, the, the lower card is was always some of the lowest of the low guys on in his towns. Like some of those Albany shows. Oof. I mean, yeah. it was and, rough. And, and pretty much what it was. They're running three was, times. Was that was that a Saturday? September 14th is a Saturday. They're running three times yeah. a night, too. Yeah. They're just sending guys down after TV. Yeah. The guy, the guys that drove to Atlanta to do TV are now being told, all right, you're the undercard in, in Columbus tonight. Go down there. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. That's exactly what that is. Which um, <laughs> I'm guessing Nikita and Arn had to ride together back to Charlotte. <laughs> yeah, probably so. And probably they were not happy about that. <laughs> yeah, I guess it could have been worse. Um, but yeah, that's a. Uh, I'm trying to see where else Crockett was that night as I'm looking. All right, so also that night they ran Charleston, West Virginia. That's where uh, Tully and Magnum were at. And I, I've been a crush against the Road Warriors, uh, Bull and the Barbarian, Black Bart and Ron Bass. Funny that the Nash have way titles in Charleston, West Virginia, not Columbus. Yeah. And that's the, I, I don't have another card for that night. But, uh, yeah. So uh, that's two cards right there. And and, and, and this time, Bo, well, you're, you're close. This is the era where they're taping TV on Sunday mornings. Oh, okay. They, yeah, they tape TV that, that next morning. So, so they sent him down there to go to just to be yeah. there early. Yeah. So Yeah. All right. So, so pretty so, much yeah. everybody in the first three matches stayed in one hotel room somewhere around Atlanta the night before. Yes. To do T V the next morning and get beat up and get their forty dollars and go back to Charlotte. Yeah, think about the guys that had to wear Charleston, West Virginia, and then come to Atlanta the next morning. No, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Raleigh at Dorton Arena on September 18th. Joel Deaton over Brady Boone. Superstar Billy Graham over Gerald Finley. Barbarian over Rocky King. Midnight's over the Italian Stallion and Pat Tanaka. Then uh, Jimmy Vine over Black Bart in a national title match by DQ. Bart retained. Rock and Rolls tend to world tag titles, going to a no contest with the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. And your main event, Manny Fernandez over Abdul the Butcher in a steel cage match. And in Richmond on the 20th, Mark Fleming over Stoney Burke, Tommy Lane, RPMs over Brady Boone, Rocky King over Mike Davis. So Rocky gets a win here. Yeah. Barbarian over Hard Rock Ricky Reeves, Terry Taylor over Arn Anderson, Ron Bass over Betty Landell, and he got five minutes with J.J. Dillon. You can probably guess how that went. And then Crusher and Nikita won a Russian chain match over the Rock and Rolls. So. Blood every night in Crockett. <laughs> Yeah, in this time period, absolutely. All the main events had blood. Yes. Well, Circuit 85 is the perfect example of that. (laughs) Yeah. 
perfect example of that. But uh, Bix, what are your thoughts on these uh, lineups as I re- read them? Anything stick out to you? I'm kind of curious to see the chain match, I think, in particular, the tag team chain match that you just read. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, they did those at, at various places, um, you know, and it's a different different combination as Crusher and Nikita. Yes, as opposed you know, to Ivan and Nikita or Ivan and Crusher. Yeah, so kind of a little different deal there. Hmm. Um they ran there's there's some shows they ran during our week. They ran Henderson's Arena in College Park, which is an old school spot spot building for uh, for Georgia. That that was interesting. They ran a show in Unadilla, Georgia. Continental that, ran there. Yeah, Continental. Uh, yeah, Blackwell ran Henderson's Arena a lot. Yeah, they ran, they ran a show in Unadilla with Bobby Eaton over Buzz Sawyer. That is a interesting place to run a show in Georgia. Um, <laughs> Fayetteville, North Carolina had this main event. America's team and Sam Houston against Tully and the Wrecking Crew in a bunkhouse match. That was on the 16th. They ran a, a, a high school stadium in Chattanooga on the 17th with the Midnight Speed uh, Italian Stadium and Pistol Pez. So they had some interesting shows during our, during did, our week. Did, Le- did Lexington, Kentucky run this week? No. That was, that was the 5th. Okay, I knew it was in September, right around the time they were here. Yeah, I think September the 5th was Lexington. Yeah. All right, Gina Hernandez is all but sure to be coming in to feud with Terry Taylor over the Nash Hathaway title. This is the thing Gary Hart, I think, talks about in his book where he was trying to get Gino and potentially Chris to go to Crockett, thinking that it would be a better chance for Gino to get clean if he was away from his connections, I guess. And. And this is pre-Horseman, because we haven't even had the flare turn yet. Yeah. Because the the rumor always was that Gina was going to come in and team with Tully and the Horseman. Hmm. When Ole got hurt, when they did the Ole injury angle. Yeah. But no, this is Gino coming in as himself, just feuding with Terry Taylor. Yeah. And it would have been interesting to see him in, in, in that environment. He had, he, he had a bar in Myrtle Beach at one point in time. But I'm pretty sure he had his enemies there too, Bo. So it might not have been, uh, yeah, might not have been still good for him in the long run. And here's the other thing: Flair is there, Buddy is there, Tully, somewhat same. He would be the fourth guy with the same pretty much gimmick. Yeah. So it would have been hard to get over. Yeah. Kind of like what the, the you know the position John Tatum was in. When he was at Crockett earlier that year, where you have Flair and you have Buddy, and here's John Tatum, who's a long haired blonde guy doing the Hollywood John Tatum gimmick. Yeah. It's kind of hard. But still been interesting to see him there. Wish would happen. Don Cronulla's returning in two weeks. Thank God, Dave said. he. W- I was having a tough time finding five good wrestlers on this circuit for those ratings I'm doing. <laughs> That's the newspaper favorite ratings that I've been putting on Twitter lately. Dave, uh, Dave was not. Um, bullish on Crockett at this point in time as we talk about in shows. And But why do you think that is? I mean, Crockett this time, you know, it's a really strong television, but it just was it because it was all about brawling and blood and not, you know, the hot moves as Dave liked? You think that may have been yeah. one? Yeah. He don't, like, handsome. He don't get handsome. 
He, but but he's not here to be alive to to be to see it live and be a part of it. I mean, look at that crew. That's that crew is an all star crew of top guys that have drawn money everywhere. Yeah, you know, Ivan, Arn, Holy, Tolly, Terry Taylor, uh, Ricky and Robert. I mean, look at all these guys. He just he don't get it. It's what he prefers, it's, you know. And, it's what he prefers, and he doesn't get it. And that's his, and that's his opinion, you know. Um, but I mean, considering how much we all love JCP now, Bex, it is interesting to go back and look at Dave's opinion of this. Yeah, and uh, okay, I'm pulling up the newspaper ratings from our week. Let's see. Okay, so National Wrestling Alliance. Okay, so this is from the Fort Worth Star Telegram for the 16th. So okay, this okay. He has Mid Atlantic and National Wrestling Alliance. Okay, so Mid Atlantic, or should I tell you both? So National Wrestling Alliance. He has World Champion Ric Flair, Top Five Contenders, Ted DiBiase, Beautiful Bobby Eaton, Stan Hansen, <laughs> R I C K Y, Chosu, Ricky C H O S U, and Tenru. So then Mid Atlantic, U.S. Champion Tully Blanchard, Top Five Contenders. Did they know he was doing this based on working ability? Because they put it as top contenders, you know? I, 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 they did it for all those years. I know. Did he get paid for this? Has he ever explained any of this? <laughs> I don't know uh, so how that works. So he has it as Bobby Eaton, Magnum TA, Ricky Morton, Arn Anderson, Buddy Landell. That's it. That's him giving his opinion on the five best workers. Yeah. Not contenders, five best workers. Knowing him, interesting that he put Magnum number two. Well, he was he liked Magnum at this time. Magnum had, had improved in his mind. Okay. So who he's having a hard time finding five good wrestlers in this group. But the thing the thing is though is who I mean he has Bobby Eaton right number one, and we all love Bobby, but Bobby is in a fairly new team deal in in the promotion, and he's working the Georgia Loop, just getting out of yeah. that. Yeah. So. But yeah, what, the, what the, is, the work attender, the work attender should not have been used. Absolutely, and that might not have been what, Dave's fault. Yeah. yeah, but but what does Bobby do that nobody else is really doing? Hot moves. Hot, Hot moves. moves. Yeah. Yep. All right. The Crockets are unhappy that TBS is cutting their time on Saturdays due to Atlanta Braves games and college football. Welcome to the South. <laughs> I, I, okay, I I don't buy that a bit. Because they knew that going in, they knew, well, you're going to get cut when the Braves come on. They cut them a whole week. I mean, I think I think there's two weeks in '85 that they don't have shows. Yeah. At all. I, I'm I'm guessing there was probably some unhappiness over that. Now, getting yeah, not getting getting your shows cut down to an hour, ninety minutes. That's one thing, but not even having a yeah. show for a week because no, yeah, no, like that, two weeks missing in timeline. That there is no that, show in existence. So had there never been made... any preemptions before this, though? No. No. So no. What, cha- no. what changed the TBS? They got, they're, they're, they are pushing their Saturday Night College football package heavy at this time period. Mm-hmm. They, they, brought, they got Lindsey Nelson and Paul Horning to announce their Saturday Night College football games. That's a big deal. Because yeah. the two, le- two legends, the voices of Notre Dame football... You know, the Notre Dame television game of the week, 
They got them. That was the first year that they had both of them together. And because they had both been at TBS, but it's the first time they got them together to work the Saturday night games. And that was a Super Football Saturday. That was a big thing. So, but there were no Braves preemptions before either. No, no. So what changed there? Well, I don't think it was the Braves. I think the Braves was about the time of the show, not Mm. not having a show period. Not having a show period was called football related. Yeah, I think that's what they're mad about is if they would have had their hour to 90 minutes, they would have been all right. It's not that their time was cut. It was their whole show was cut. Yeah. It only happened that year because yeah. 86, they were, they got that show every, every Saturday night. Something. Yeah. And for what? And then, for, and, then, and then they're doing the college football scoreboard during the middle of the show, too. Yep, seven o'clock. Yep. So they got that going on as well. So World Championship Wrestling is the number two show on cable for September, though. Yeah. Well, of course. <laughs> but it ain't college football. <laughs> you know, it don't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter. How many times when you know do we say this? You know, wrestling could have buku ratings. But it's all about what's wrestling standing at the time compared to everything else. Because football, even in that era, has a higher standard, that, uh, you know, standing than wrestling. Yeah, not a bunch of Lemuels watching. Yeah. So. <laughs> and at the September 15th TBS taping, several smart alley fans who have taken to wearing Jim Cornette-style outfits kept chanting things that hurt poor Dusty's ego, refer- referring to his waist size, and, cha- and chanted, Go home, Ronnie! During Garvin's match, so Virgil had them all kicked out of the studio. Well, he is the executive producer. <laughs> and, you know, we know, seeing it firsthand on television, sometimes Dusty, when he's not in the right attitude, not in the right frame of mind, will definitely take out his frustrations on the fans to the fans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there are a few famous instances of him doing that. So, but they asked for it. They're in there doing exact. They know exactly what they're doing. Yeah, and this is a different time in wrestling too. Yeah, and it goes right back to the other issues that we've talked about with the guys wearing the shirts and holding up the signs and everything else, and you know. They went there to disrupt, thinking we'll get put on TV. No, you'll never be shown on TV. And this whole thing would change because, you know, you, you would have the Horseman fans show up yeah. and all that stuff. But this is early in that run. So I guess Dusty's not used to that yet. And, you know, it does kind of, and like I said, he may not have been in the best frame of mind that day. So. He was pissed off and irritable. And, so and take it out on them. But it's, there's an episode of Georgia, and I'm trying to think when it was maybe 81, where there's two or three, four guys in the front row that keep getting up and like hitting each other with the worst looking working elbows. And like, it's just awful. They're like making fun, but they don't realize they're making fun. I don't know what it is. Anyways, you see them throughout the first match doing it. Then it goes to break and it comes back and they're sitting on their hands for the next 
<laughs> hour plus, and they never move or make a noise, which means to me that probably during that commercial break that either Ole or Gene went out there and had a discussion with them. Because yeah. the people that come to disrupt the TVs are the worst. They're the worst. Because there's so much time and money and effort put into TVs. And if you you can act like you didn't know yet, they want to get thrown out so they can write letters to the observers right now. <laughs> Bruce Grummert and the twins. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. And I was been sitting here. And those guys from Oakland. That we and the guys that walked around with the NWA signed in the cow palace. Yes. But I've been trying <laughs> to sit right here thinking of the twins and Bruce's name. Yes. They did it on purpose so they could martyr their self in a letter to the observer. <laughs> they should have been drug out back and had the <laughs> shit kicked out of them. There's a difference in, you know, supporting the people that you like or whether it be heel fans or what, or making a whatever statement you want to make. There's a difference in doing that and being completely overbearing. And, and just being a butthole. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly right. Okay, to bring it to 2022 for a second, how do you fit in the uh, Colt Cabana chance at CM Punk a few weeks ago into that uh, little rubric? Well, that was obviously going to happen. <laughs> I mean, and it's they, only going to get worse. And I mean, they're in Chicago. They were in Chicago. I mean, it's what it is. It's what it is. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, what can you do? Now, Paul handled the wrong way. But, I mean, what, what, what can you do? So, Your baby face. But that one only handled the wrong background. way lately. So, well, yeah. <laughs> and 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 they weren't out there chanting WWE or no, they were chanting the name of a wrestler who's still under contract to the company. Right. Yes. They were giving their opinion on the situation. They were not trying to disrupt everything going on. They thought that CM Punk was wrong and how he handled that whole situation and let him know that. <laughs> were, were these kind of guys that were doing this in the 80s and early 90s, they were just trying to get 15 minutes of fame or some kind of sympathy about, oh, we were treated horribly. We had our constitutional rights taken away from us. We had this. We had that. Oh, God, help us. No, <laughs> you're lucky. One thing though about getting one thing though about getting kicked out of TBS to close it out though they didn't pay for their tickets. Mm. Right, you're free. <laughs> you're free. Just like Channel. Hey, I saw them get drug out at Channel Five in Memphis a few times. <laughs> there was a guy that came. He would wear a troll mask, you know, and he yell stuff. And he had been warned and been warned. And one day he jumps behind Corey and Dave Brown and you just see this big black arm reach in and goozle him and drag him right out of the shot. And I was standing there behind the curtain at the monitor. And if you open the door, you could go up the hallway, go out the back door. Well, that door was open. We all leaned forward and watched him drag him right to the back door and throw him right out on the asphalt. Was that Lawler security guy that did that? Yeah, Raymond. Oh, God. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be messed with him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah. 
but they had warned that guy for like three weeks in a row because each week he pushed it a little bit more, a little bit more. And then that he finally got the nerve to get behind Dave Brown and Corey. And it he wished he would not have. Still not the best Memphis fan story, though. The all-timer, of course, is what something that we will never have be proper video of was the fire and flame incident. You know, with the fan where uh they go out and they go out there <laughs> and beat up that dude or whatever it was. Because when you watch the TV of him, because we, uh-huh. we don't have the live version of that. We only have the Evansville version. And it. I think uh, I do. There's, well, check see if you can. I've used to have a tape from someone in uh, central New York that had the WMC version. I well, think not, I've got that buried somewhere. Well, it's not circulation, so if, if anybody has that, they need to get that out. So, so everybody can see that whole thing because what we have is the clip version of it, but definitely something something happened. Do you know Ron and Roger's story? Yeah, you've told it, I think, on this show, but go ahead. They they claimed the guy was their cousin, and they just went into business for themselves as they drug, <laughs> drug his dead body off Channel 5. And all, the, all the people from Channel 5 are down there. Uh, and they they Don Bass all the way to his death. It was a work. It was a work. It was a work because he was so afraid of that lawsuit coming 30 years later. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Gotta love the 80s, folks. All right, let's go international now. Let's go to the land of the rising sun and all Japan pro wrestling. And they got some interesting look at shows during our week. TV tapings, Matsumoto City Gym on September 14th for a 2300. We have Masiko Takasugi over Shinji Sasazaki in your opener. And Miguel Perez Jr. over Yoshihiro Momoda, Mitsuo's brother. Rocky Hata and Great Kujika over Ryumago and Apollo Shigawara. Norioinaga, Kunyan Kobayashi, and Fumihiro Nakura went to a double countout with Tarzan Goto, Mighty Inoue, and Toshaki Kawada. Ashura Hara over Haru Sonoda. Roshikamura and Gorosharumi over Shinichi Nakano and Osama Terenishi. Giant Baba and Tiger Mask 2 Masawa over Tim Horner and Tor Kamada. Kill Tim Brooks and Great Kabuki over Takashi Shikawa and Matoshi Okuma. Ricky Choshu and Adam Hamaguchi over Marty Janetti and Harley Race. And then Tenya Grichiro and Jumbo Sharuda retaining the NWA International Tag Titles, beating Killer Khan and Yoshiki Yasu by countout. Then we have Corkin. Corkin Hall on September 19th. Toshiaki Kawada over Shinji Sasazaki in your opening match. Norinaga over Mas- Masika Takasugi. Mani Inoue and Haru Sonoda over Ryumago and Apollo Shigawara. Kojika Nakuma over Masakurisu and Shinichi Nakano. Ashurahara over Tarzan Goto. Russia Kamara and Gorosarumi going to a double countout with Killer Khan and Osama Terenishi. Takashi Chikawa and Tiger Mask 2 over Kunya Kobayashi and Fumihiro Nakura. Giant Baba and Tenryu Gunichiro over Tim Horner and Torkamada again. Riki Choshu, Anamamaguchi, Yoshaki Yatsu over Killer Tim Brooks, Marnie Janetti, and the Great Kabuki. And Jumbo Sharuda retaining the international way title going to a double countout with Harley Race. And yes, these matches made television, like I said, TV tapings, and I watched these fairly recently, and uh, wow. Tim Horner and Torquemada is quite the interesting tag team. That's for damn sure. I was going to ask if they made Melcher's uh, tag ratings. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
and and both Tim, Tim and Marty had were had grown beards while they were on this tour, which I always <laughs> thought was cute when the Americans would do that. But uh, so that had to be some culture shock for Tim Horner, Bo, to go from East Tennessee, working in you know the South and all these Southern territories, going him and Marty both because Marty yeah. worked you know South and Kansas City, and here they are in Japan, and they're teaming up with Tor Kamada and Killer Tim Brooks and those types. Where see Tim would have been in Louisiana at this time. He just left. He's in, yeah. he's in between. Yeah, because he he's, he goes he goes all Japan, and then he just like falls off the face of the earth. He's working like outlaws, and then he'll show up in Continental in March, March eighty six. Yeah, he may have been here working. He may have been staying back in Morristown then. I, I think he may have worked some shots for Sullivan when yeah. they did their, their little thing in Knoxville. But it's like you know, Horner and White Boy, same thing. White Boy like fell to face of the earth for a little bit before he resurfaced the continental. Mm-hmm. Not working anywhere. So it's weird how that goes. But yeah, this is a uh, all Japan foreigners in the mid '80s. Uh, they could bring bring some doozies. And what a crew this is here. <clears throat> Absolutely. I love the International Blood Army. That's one of my favorite tag names ever. Yeah, that's uh, the old IWE crew. Russian yeah. Murr's crew. Yep. All that, all those guys. <clears throat> but, um, you know, all Japan's got a loaded roster. I mean, they're running 10 deep. 10 matches deep every night. And got some guys aren't even working. Yeah. So, uh. Yeah, it's just a fixing thing that uh, ca- caught your eye off this. Not that didn't two weeks ago. Yeah, it's about the same stuff we talked about. Yeah, you know, we we mentioned these matches and stuff a couple weeks ago. So uh, yeah, can we dig really... into those results a little further because of the Janetti and the Horner stuff? <clears throat> yeah. Now we didn't have New Japan. They weren't they weren't running at that time. I remember. So let's talk about them. Miyagi Perfectual Gym on September thirteenth, front thirty five thirty. We have the opening match of Masahiro Chono over Masakatsu Fanaki. Hirokozu Hata over Suman Kim. Anora Adesone over Donna Arakawa by disqualification. Tony St. Clair and Siva Afi over Shiroko Shinaka and Naoki Sano. Umanaseki Ueda over Riki Basan. Hacksaw Higgins and Kerry Brown over Seiji Saguchi and Black Cat. Gee, I wonder who did the job. <coughs> Keiko Kamura, Keiichi Yamada, and Keiji Muto. Over Kantaro Hoshino, Shinji Kasugi, and Shinya Hashimoto. Giant Machine over Tatsumi Fujinami by disqualification. And Super Machine over Antonio Noki by disqualification. Then we go to Fukuoka on the 18th. <clears throat> Fukuoka's four center from 50-50. Masahiro Chono over Masakatsu Funaki in your opener. Keiichi Yamada over Shinya Hashimoto. Don Arakawa and Hirokozu Hata over Noki Sano and Fan Kimaru, <clears throat> who did not last long. Riki Basan over Black Cat, Shiroko Shinako over Siva Afi, Anara Adesone and Umanasuke Ueda over Shuji Kasugi and Katara Hoshino, Tony St. Clair over Keiji Muto, King Okamura and Saguchi over Hacksaw Higgins and Kerry Brown, and then Anoki and Fujinami over the Machines in the main event. And then the big show of the tour, September 19th at Tokyo uh, City Gym, for an 8,200 fans. What was built as a wrestling classic as Antonio Noki beat Tatsumi Fujinami in 35-29 with the octopus hole with Luthez as the referee. At one point during the match, Fujinami had Noki in the figure four in the center of the ring for more than five minutes. 
Also saw Gucci and Kimura beat the machines. Andre and Superstar by DQ. Hacksaw Higgins pinned Ricky Bassan, the former Superstar Machine, number two. And in a surprise, Manasaki Ueda, longtime heel, shook hands with both Anoki and Fujinami after their match. Ueda said he did so because he wanted to congratulate both men for wrestling such a great match. Matter of respect. The rest of the show, here goes Ahato, Masiro Chono, Mudo and Hashimoto over Black Cat, Siva Afi, Kerry Brown over Suman Kim. Kasugi and Yamada went to a no contest with Koshinaka and Asano. Hoshino Narakawa over Yuen and St. Clair. Hexal Higgins over Riki Basan. Kamara Saguchi over the Machines by DQ. And then Inoki over Fujinami by referee stoppage. Next, I'll go to you first. The star differences between All Japan and New Japan are very noticeable at this time. All Japan has got this deep roster. You know, with all Choshi's guys there, they still got them. You know, a good group of foreigners coming in or a mixed group of foreigners coming in. And here's New Japan, where you have the Machines, which got Axel Higgins and Kerry Brown and Tony St. Clair, who, you know, Tony St. Clair's great talent. And it's the young guys. Look at all the young lions that are being pressed into action because there's no death, you know, in this roster. Mm-hmm. That's the big difference. And they threw these guys out there, and it was for probably for the better of their careers that they were able to, to, have, to have this. Yeah, we look at it as the best dojo class ever, 84, and, you know, tons of those guys were talented, surely. But, yeah, you do wonder, like, if kind of being thrown more into the fire the way they were compared to other young Lions is a big part of why so many of those guys got so good. Yeah, because if Choshu's crew's still there, I mean, that's still a lot of guys that would take up spots. And... You wouldn't be able to give a lot of these young lions spots higher on the card. They'd be stuck in opening matches, just saying working. Period. You know, working here and there because that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Where some of these guys would work a night and have a night or two off, work a night and have a night or two I off. Working work every show. Yeah. The the only way to get someone ready for a spot they're not ready for <clears throat> is to give them a spot they're not ready for. Yeah. And it's same for swim. swim. Sink or swim. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I just watched, you know, like I said, watched all this TV from this era. And it's it's interesting. New Japan is definitely interesting to watch, you know, compared to all Japan. <clears throat> um, Mudo, you could tell. I mean, he's a guy you just watch. Okay, this guy, he's going to be a star. Yamada, you could tell at the time. You just knew he was going to be a star. But you look at Chono Hashimoto... And those two especially, you know, I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe not. But we saw what it would happen to him. So, but yeah, interesting to definitely look at the, 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 the vast differences. And this is one of the times that there's the most differences between the two promotions. Is right here. In this 1985 time period. Now, my aide and his crew come in, and that totally revitalizes the company. And then Choshu and his crew comes back in 87, and it's like, my God, one well, of the greatest rosters in the world. It's also kind of funny, because like up and down the card, in terms of the makeup of the cards, <clears throat> this is as different as they've ever been. But it, arguably, it's also the closest the two in-ring styles have ever been, because all Japan's been in, inundated by New yes. Japan-style guys. Working yeah, New Japan style. You're right. Yeah, there is that, too. Yes. And then when Maeda and his crew come back, come in, then this changes because mm-hmm. it goes to that UWF type style. Absolutely. 
<clears throat> well, it's 1985, so that's it for, for Japan. Let's go to Canada. And the West 4 Wrestling Alliance. Tony Candelo. They had a show in yep. Dolphin, Dolphin, Manitoba at the Dolphin Arena on September 13th in front of 300 fans. Ross Hart over Spider Webb, not Nate Webb. Cowboy Lang over Little Tokyo. Bruce Hart over Mad Dog Vashon by disqualification. And Ben Fasserab and Honky Tonk Wayne Ferris over Goldie Ronders and Mr. Hito. Quite the show here, Bo. Yeah, Tony Candelo has ran wrestling forever. And everybody, it seems, that has ever made it to Canada has worked for him at least once. And here's proof of that with Vashon and Honky Tonk Wayne and everybody else here. Well, see, you know, Vashon is still wrestling with WWF, but he's able yeah. to make outside bookings. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Calgary the guys starts are, next month. Yeah, they're buying their time. Yeah, they're about to restart. But they're able to work for Tony. But yeah. you know, thing, Dolphin, Manitoba was never a stampede town. No. That's, that was Wally Carpo. He would run it off of Winnipeg. So there's a difference there, too. You're not really you're not really competing against, uh, you know, Stampede, per se. Yeah. And Tony's had great success running up there forever and ever. Yeah. Death tours. Mm-hmm. Yep. The Ice Road tours and different things. He had TV at different times over the years. Um he had probably deals not many with towns with AWA. Yep. There's probably not very many towns that he has not ran. Yeah. He's a legend. All right, let's go to Mexico. EMLL, Arena Mexico, September 13th. Santa Negra and Rocambole over Buffalo Sabaje and Limos. Estratigio and Solar number two over Adi Romero and Zorro de Oro. Los Brazos, Brazo de Oro, Brazo de Plata, no Brazo. Over Shamaka Valdeguez, Mascara Año dos Mil, and Muguer. Then we have The Keys, Rayo de Lisco Jr., and Super Halcón. Over Cien Caras, El Faraón, and Sangre Chicana by disqualification. Cien pulled Keys' mask. And we have Cachorro Mendoza, El Dorado, and Solar, number one. Over El Supremo, Mochocota, and Talisman. Dorado and Supremo head into a mask match. And um, had that Solar and Cachorro in the fight after the match as well. It's a Patata match between them two. And then we have Atlantis going to a double count with Satanico for the Mexican National Middleweight title. Then the 15th at Arena Mexico, a Sunday show, we have Climax 2 in Pequeño Hacón over Pilatus 3 in Zimba. Santa Negra, El Az, and Gallo de Oro over El Huicho, Limos 2 in Sangre Fria. Asotijo, Wokombole and Solar number 2. Went up against Ano Blanco Jr., Masacre, and Tierra, Tierra Viento y Fuego, Vix, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Then we have Mascara Unidos Mil, Rico Mendoza, and Tony Salazar up against uh, the Infernales, MS1, Perato Morgan, and Satanico. And then our main event, NWA La Heavyweight title, Hernandezco Jr., defending against Sangre Chicana. But the big news in our week, which I didn't you know, put in here because, you know, I was ahead in my mind, so I was going to say it. September 19th was a big earthquake. That was the big earthquake in Mexico City. Uh, we would have had the anniversary show in our week because it was on the 20th, but um, that took that out. And for people that 
you know, would you know, think, okay, this sounds familiar. The Muertes gimmick in Lucha Underground was based off of the Surfquake because he survived it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this was a major, major deal in Mexico City at that time. Huge. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest natural disasters ever in that country. And um, it canceled all the wrestling for a while. And, um, yeah, you know, Bo, I mean, you've been dealing with, with not nothing like this, but something, you know, kind of similar lately in uh, Kentucky with all the flooding. You know, yeah. natural disasters, that can, I mean, it's, it's, it is a motherfucker to deal with, especially when people are displaced from their homes and there's nothing that they can control and there's having to, you know, try to get back to some type of normalcy in life. I mean, earthquakes, floods, nat- any type of natural disaster. I mean, it's just, it's rough. And, and the thing after that, when they have to rebuild and regroup and regather, Entertainment and sports and all that is put on a back burner for a long while. And, you know, that had to be a thought here to the promotions going, how long is it going to be before we can run Mexico City? Because so much damage and so much work has to be done. So much money has to be recouped. People are saving their money now because they're afraid they're going to, you know, they going They've lost so much, and yeah, it just it puts anybody that's ever been affected by it. It puts their life on a hold. I yeah, mean, the, it just the, stops. The, it. the first like card we have uh, like results for after this in, in, in Mexico City for EMLL is October 11th. So we, a have, month. Some, we have some lineups, but yeah. no official results until October 11th. Yeah, and that's at Coliseo. I'm in Rio, Mexico, too. So, yeah, I mean, it's it was rough, big time, big time rough. People never, you know, have heard of it, you know, read up about it. I mean, it was a major, major national disaster there. All right, UWA, we got some shows for them. El Torreo de Cuatro Caminos in Nacapan on September 15th. Perverso, shouldn't he be working for Kansas City? And Ray Richard uh, went up against El Falcon and Hawkon 78. The Brazos, when it begins, Avispa Negro, Black Man, and Kendo. The Missionarios de la Muerte, Signo Negro, Varo, and Tejano, when it begins, Anibal, Enrique Vera, and Granamada. And then your final two matches, what a double main event this is. Pero Aguayo against Viano Tercero, and Mil Mascaras against Kanek. That's star power, folks. But guess what? They ran the next night. <laughs> Which, <laughs> the reason why, September 16th is a major holiday. In Mexico, it's Dia de la Independencia. It's their July 4th, their Independence Day. So you're going to run major shows on that day. And uh, they had a big uh, tag team tournament for La Copa Ovaciones. We had Brazo de Oro and Brazo de Plata over MSC Uno Satanico. Gran Haman and Viano Tercero over Fishman and Pero Aguayo. Dos Caras and Mil Mascaras beat Babyface and an unknown opponent. Then we have Signo and Tejano against an unknown team. Nobody knows who they were. In the semifinals, we have uh, Sino Tejano beating Dos Caras and Mil Mascaras by DQ after a dose foul. How about that? Mm. The Brazos then beat uh, Hamada Viano Tercero, and then the Brazos beat Sino and Tejano to uh, win the tournament. So, uh, yeah. So you got Mil Mascaras and Dos Caras in here, and they don't even win the tournament, Bo. How about that? 
Yeah, I guess they didn't get the memo on no jobs. <laughs> was uh, any Perverso, faking, of, is that, faking uh, of injuries? <laughs> yeah, they faked the injury. Yeah, I can't make it. I'm hurt. My back, my knee. Oh, no. <laughs> my ankle. My back and my uh, knee. <laughs> my, yeah. Was Perverso, was that, uh, was that Mike Boyette under a hood? <laughs> Oh, those all fair stories. <laughs> um, well, let's be real though. If there was any wrestler, people would just assume was a pervert of some kind. Oh, my boy, yes, up there. You, you, you look at him. You look at him in 1987. Look at him in 1987 UWF television, and yeah, he looks like a pervert. Absolutely, absolutely, he does. Yes. Big, uh, any thoughts on the the shows here? Tag tournament looks real interesting, and you know, only seven matches. So, despite being a lucha tournament, you would think the matches all got time. Um, you would hope so. I'm curious why we have a wrestler and a team missing for what otherwise you would think would be well documented. Yeah. Um, you know, Aguayo versus Viano Tercera, always great. So. That had to be a hell of a match. And, you know, these are, these UWA shows, of course, they always look good, and we barely have any video of any. Well, yeah. So. yeah. And also, just because I was going to mention, then I forgot, uh, I guess the only real notable name change we should mention from these shows would be that uh, Rocambo, Ro, excuse me, Rocambole on the EMLL shows is Viano 4. Yeah. So, there you go. So, could the uh, question marks just be guys that were doing double duty as a different gimmick? No, no, it, it would be it would be just somehow got missing. That happens, uh-huh. you know. It happens. So, but I I've seen it in doing newspaper results where they would have a guy beating unknown. So we also beat unknown. Yeah. Well, you're, doing, you're doing a shitty job <laughs> of reporting if, <laughs> if, if if you don't know who the name of the guy is. I don't know what's I don't know what's worse that or trying to figure out on TV who the job guys are because the announcers would never name them. Yeah, thanks, Gordon. <laughs> oh no, he's not the worst. No, he's not. Watch, watch, watch late '80s Crockett TV worldwide, especially Tony and David were the worst about not naming guys. Ross and Caudle were pretty good about it, but oh no, Tony and David, oh no. So. I, I like the results where it just says like such and such won his match. <laughs> yeah. Well, who did he beat? I'm trying to put this down here, man. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Well, it's halftime. So that's some great, uh, 1985 commercials. We'll hit to the halftime segment where we'll uh, talk about Patreon show. We'll uh, hit some plugs and then we'll come back and we'll go to, uh, Pro Wrestling USA, which has a couple interesting shows to talk about. We got uh, Chancellor Wrestling Florida. We got Dick Slater doing Dick Slater things in Continental. And quite the angle of Memphis Television. A long angle. All that and more after the break. This week's MTV Top 20 Video Countdown was sponsored by Skittles, by Hanes Printed Tees and Sweats, and by Art Carved Class Rings. Out it, out it, out it, out it. I'm watching you. 
watching me. Dig the way MTV looks. Whenever you're ready. It's rock and roll. No matter how fast life gets, no matter how hard you work, Right Guard can help keep you smelling good for up to 24 hours. That's protection. Right Guard Protection. Swatch! Watch yourself. The videos on sale now at Musicland. Save on Private Dancer plus the video Tina Turner Live. Pick up Around the World in a Day and see Prince and the Revolution Live the video. See and hear Madonna like a virgin on sale now. Save on these and selected video award winners now on sale at Musicland. Musicland. We bring entertainment to life. My good man. You mustn't be weighed down up here. Try a whisper. A what? A whisper. The latest inspiration from Cadbury. Looks like a regular chocolate bar to me. But whisper is all chocolate with an amazing textured chocolate center that will make your spirits soar. Heavenly. You know, you'd be pretty good at this job. Thanks, but I don't do windows. Cadbury's whisper like nothing on earth. Bite it and believe. Sunbeam bread with raisins. Just think of it. A delicious but different golden French toast made a special way with raisin bread. Or sunny cinnamon toast made with sunbeam bread with raisins. It's a perfect snack. When it comes to bread, have a slice of sunshine with sunbeam. These days, you don't have to hit people over the head to get your message across. 
Today, there's cable television advertising. Cable television gives you the opportunity to reach the customers you want to reach at the times you want to reach them on channels including ESPN, MTV, Movie Time, and more. Our production department will help you get the ad you want in the way you want it at surprisingly low prices. Call cable TV. See what cable advertising can do for you. Local cable television, here to help your business grow. Casio presents the Johnson Five. Rick Johnson on drums. Johnson on bass. On guitar. On piano. Rick Johnson on trumpet. In other words, Rick Johnson on a Casio MT100. With a graphic equalizer, built-in rhythms, and one-finger Casio chord, it's easy to play. And it's battery-powered so you can take it on the road. Casio keyboards for the Johnson 5, the Smith 5. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed those great 1985 commercials as we shift to the halftime segment of the show, where we'll begin talking about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And we haven't started recording uh, part two yet, but we will be very soon. And um, part two of our look at the possible sale of WCW in 2000, which part one is up for all of you people that have not listened to it yet on our Patreon. At patreon.com slash twenty sheets. Five dollars a month gets you access to that. And um yeah, should be an interesting way to cap off this uh, series before we start our next series, which again we will announce on the Patreon show first. Yes. So be ready for that when that drops. But yes, now, if you think well, you can guess, you're probably right. Well, maybe, maybe not. Hmm. All right, so um yeah, Fight Also Month gets you access to that and all the audio that we've done in our near six full years of the Patreon. A lot of audio for your $5. So uh, everybody uh, check that out if you haven't already and tell a friend to check it out too. And yes, even though Patreon is laying off staff, <laughs> they're still uh, going strong, folks. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about uh, anything possibly happening with your money. Yes, Patreon apparently... Is still they overextended themselves with some expansion efforts, but I mean, the core business model is what it is. They're taking a percentage of everything, so I, I would think that there's no danger of anything really happening to Patreon. Yeah, like all these other things that's laying off people left and right these days. So, yeah. But anyway, final also gets you access to the audio. Dollar month gets you access to our uh, Discord, and thanks in the segment, which we'll do in just a second. $25 I should pick a show for the week. Now I have two shows on your mind when you want to do this because the show you may want, somebody else maybe uh, maybe uh, already have picked that out in the schedule on, the, on our calendar. And um, so it could be something we've done in the past somehow, some way, which you may have forgotten about, which I still need to get you that list of shows. I have yes, completely the forgotten chronological about that. list, yes. So I will do get that to you so you can make that available for people. But um, – yeah, so um, had two shows in your mind, Wednesday to Tuesday in our timeline, 10-year rules in effect, 30-day rules in effect. Please get that information information in before 30 days. And we're in the you know back part of 2022, so 2023 is coming up. So have some ideas in your mind if on, on a show for 2023, then uh, you know get it in there and we'll get it on the calendar. $50, I'll just send for a segment of the show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show if you choose. That's at patreon.com slash between 
the sheets. All right, Biggs, who I think this week is our new and or returning patrons. All right, we would like to thank Brent Clark. Thanks, Brent. Not to be confused with Brett Hitman Clark. Yes. Tricks, as in T-R-I-X, as in, like, silly rabbit tricks are for kids. Thanks, Tricks. And an annual subscription from Paul McGee. Yes, and we, have to, we haven't mentioned annual lately, so annual is 50-40? Yes, 16% off. There you go. Annual. So a lot of people have jumped on that uh, since we started that up. It's a good deal. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. We thank all you new patrons, old patrons, patrons that have come along the way, patrons been there from the beginning. We thank everybody for your support. And those of you left, come back. You don't know what you're missing. Patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix, IWTV, what's going on with them this week? There are a lot of live streams coming this coming weekend. I'm shocked. <laughs> a lot. Uh, it starts Friday night at 9 Eastern. Freelance presents, uh, was it? It's, it's Trevember Fuckers is the name of the show. Uh, okay. Main event, uh, John Moxley's fishing buddy, Robert Ego Anthony, defends the Freelance World title against Calvin Tankman. Well, they're not fishing right now. <laughs> no, but still, he's his fishing buddy. Uh, Brian Keith defending the Legacy Championship against Myron Reed. The Bang Bros. The Wrestlers. Uh, defending the tag titles against the workhorsemen of Anthony Henry and J.D. Drake, Storm Grayson versus Big Damo, Trey Lamar versus Project Monix, and more. So fairly loaded freelance show there. Saturday afternoon, well, I guess it's going to be 5 Eastern, so I don't know if you call that afternoon or evening. Uh, Black Label Pro, our dear friend Mikey Blanton, has show one of his TurboGraps 24 tournament. It's not just the TurboGrap 16 this year, so the the pun is ruined, much to my dismay. Yeah. But night well, show one, excuse me. So we've got so here's your first round matches. So yes, twelve matches. Because they're all singles in the first round. What a lineup we have here. Anthony Henry versus David Young. Yes, that one. Dragon. Yes, his father his father in law, yes. Oh, that's right. I completely forgot hell of, about hell. that. A hell of a match. Yeah. Uh, Dragon Gate Shun Skywalker versus Space Monkey, who I don't think had been around in a while, right? Uh, I think Space Monkey has worked on some. But less than before. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Levi Everett versus Colby Carino. Joshua Bishop versus Sawyer Wreck. Dustin Waller of uh, Miracle Generation, I believe, versus Myron Reed. Jungle Kiona versus Sky Blue, Crash Jackson versus Isaiah Broner, Marco Stunt versus Big Demo, Trick Davis in action against Cheeseburger. Uh, like so, yeah, I guess he's Cheeseburger again. He's no longer the famous CB or the world famous <laughs> CB. He's whatever he wants to be because he's Cheeseburger. Yeah, uh, Eric Stevens versus Brian Keith, Kylon, and Kay and this is not the same Brian Keith from. Uh... Mark Castle and McCormick, folks. No. It's the rest of Brian Key. Kylon King versus Gary J. And Warhorse versus Filthy Tom Waller. So. Not a bad not a bad field there. Lots of names from different places. 
Yeah. Mikey, Mikey Blanton always finds a way to uh, get a mixed bag of, of folks on yeah. his shows. And some international flavor from some of the Japanese talent who are currently staying in North America as well. I saw um, I saw Jungle Kiona at the JCW show over the weekend, this past weekend before we're recording this. And first match back in two years, and she didn't look rusty at all. So we'll see her here. Plus, we've got all the, you know, the we got the Dragon Gate presence since they have guys on excursion. So interesting field there. And Limitless has a show Saturday night at 7.30. What are they calling this one? Chasing Forever is the name of the show. With a main event of J.G. Drake versus Big Beef. The f so is Big Beef just strictly Big Beef now and not Gnarls Garvin anymore? I guess. Also, this is a match I never would have expected to see. MSP, the former Main State Posse, taking on the former Fandango and Harry Smith. Why not? <laughs> uh, also on the show, Matt... Uh, Delmi Axel versus Becca, Anthony Green versus Rip Bison, Slade in action, and more. Uh, H2O has Hustlemania 5, and that is Saturday at 8 Eastern. Mickey Knuckles versus Matt Tremont, among other matches. And then, okay, yeah, TurboGrap 16, excuse me, TurboGrap 24, show 2, comes at 8.30 Eastern. And besides the rest of the tournament... So yeah, this is the first time TurboGrafx has not had the title has not had a title on the line in the tournament, right? So I, don't know. The, I think so. I think it's the first time that the IWTV belt or the BLP title have not been on the line. So Kevin Blackwood versus Bobby Fish is on the show, as well as the tournament matches and a BLP title match with Calvin Tankman defending against Trisha Dora. But there's also a bunch of West Coast stuff coming this weekend. <laughs> Don't overload this. <laughs> well, yeah, but we like the West Coast promotions. I'm not going to. I know, but I'm not going to overdo it. I know. Well, there's a lot. Uh, West Coast Pro has a show Saturday at 10 Eastern. All to Walk Among Us main event: Jacob Fatu defending the title against Ricky Shane Page, Titus Alexander against Viento, and more. Paradigm has a less endless show than usual. <laughs> Just looking at the lineup, it's still a lot of matches on Sunday at 1 Eastern. Uh, you know, various UWFI rules matches, of course. Uh, Invictus has a show on Sunday with Edith Surreal defending the women's title. In the main against, against Vicious Vicky, plus Speedball Mike Bailey in action against uh, Gabriel Sky and more. Uh... Hold on, I can't, yeah, I can't read all of these. There was something else I was like, okay, there we go. Prestige is also running this weekend with the show on Sunday at 10 Eastern, including Midnight Heat against the Workhorsemen, Davey Richards against Sonico, Bobby Fish, Ethan HD, Alex Zane in action, and more. And okay, that's it. I thought there was one or two more, which was worrying me, but that's it for this week, coming weekend, I should say, on IWTV as far as live streams. And nothing, at least archival, that I noticed is on VOD. So yeah, if you're not already an IWTV subscriber, go to independentwrestling.tv, sign up using code BTSPOD, and we will get a referral fee for each month you stay a paid subscriber. So that's independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD.
Today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider storing your browsing data many times even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help. Private Internet Access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private Internet Access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest, the number one, the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mac. And if you sign up with Private Internet Access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's go down the list, shall we? Three plans that we offer you through them. You can get a monthly plan for $11.95. You can get a yearly plan for $3.33 a month or $39.95 a year, which is a great deal. But you can get the best deal. Three years plus four free months, $1.98 a month. Equals up to $79 for three years, 83% off. What a bargain. And of course, those are paid up front for the longer term versions, we should note. But that's why you get the big discount. It's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other private, virtual private network on the market. And if you get it right now, you can take advantage of uh, Private Internet Access 30 day risk free challenge. Try it out for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just turn it for a full refund. So how do you get that, you might ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we're going to do a guest list show because we have business to take care of. But we have a 1998 show to do to fill in some gaps. And uh, the main thing on our show next week is Jerry Lawler and Jim Carrey have a little to-do at the filming of Man on the Moon, so we'll have news on that at the time and uh, people wondering what's really going on here? Is this real? Is this fake? Who knows? Well, Lawler goes on uh, Memphis Television to talk about it, and we have a letter from someone who was in the building when this was filmed, so we'll talk. We'll have that report. Also, uh, World Wrestling Federation, we got Raw, of course, and news on an updated taping schedule they got going on, and some other things. Not a heavy WF section next week at all, because they got a pay-per-view coming up. Japan, we got Mitsuru Masawa getting more involved in the booking of All Japan Pro Wrestling. Antonio Noki starting shit with a UFO in New Japan. We got new IWGP champion getting crowned. We got all the indie shows going on. We got a big uh, show in Mexico to talk about. News on the, the situation with the foreigners in Mexico. We got indie scene. We got Sid making a big appearance on indie scene. We got uh, drama involving the Sandman as he's left ECW. And we'll have the the way they uh, send him off on television. And him working for Dennis Corluzzo in our week. And uh, all the other indie scene stuff. And in WCW, Ed Leslie has a bad night in Boston on Nitro. And uh, we have, we'll have news on Jackie Chan coming to WCW, possibly. News on Goldberg. All kinds of other stuff. Thunder. What's up with the Giant? Is he leaving? All that more next week on Between the Sheets.
All right. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix. And Bix, what's going on in your world this week? Eh, we'll see. All right. Well, on that note, that's it for this segment. Let's get back to the rest of the show. All right, Bo's back with us, and we're going to the territories. Always a good time, and we start with Pro Wrestling USA, which is still a thing at this point in time. Baltimore, this is mainly a Gary Juster show, but Pro Wrestling USA banner at the Civic Center on September 19th from the 10,500, as we have Billy Robinson over Jerry Oski in your opening match, Brad Rankins over Kevin Kelly, yeah, nails, Black Bart defending the National Heavyweight title, going to a no contest with Ronnie Garvin. Nick Pontwick and Larry Zabisco beat Greg Gagne and Sergeant Slaughter by disqualification. Dusty and Nikita went to a draw, some type of screw non-finish. Rock and Rolls uh, beat Ivan and Crusher by disqualification, and Ric Flair retained the NWA title, beating Magnum TA. Now, the next night, we have a Pro USA Brandish show in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where we do still have some Crockett people on this show. On September 20th, in front of 5,000, Mr. Electricity Steve Regal went to a draw with Brad Rangins in the opener. Wild Bill and Scott Irwin beat Bobo Brazil and Calypso Jim. Yeah. Superstar Billy Graham over Pistol Pez Watley. Larry Zabisco over Buck Zumhoff. Sardar Sardar over Borzuka by qualification. Tully and Magnum went to some type of non-finish. And then Dusty Rhodes over Ivan Koloff in your main event. Calypso Jim would later become Bobo Brazil Jr. That's right. And they were Indian, mainly working in Indianapolis and Indiana local promotions, so they're probably subbing for somebody, possibly, here. Um, yeah, Pro Wrestling USA branded shows is definitely interesting in this era because you'll see shows all over the place that are branded as Pro Wrestling USA. Um that involves, you know, so, some type of grouping of the AWA and Crockett guys, or it's just, it, it, they're basically, you know, I want to say soul shows or spot shows, but I mean, they're guys promoting that are able to get the talent that is using that pro wrestling USA name to, uh, build their shows as basically. So, but yes, I mean, the 85 is such a weird year and all that because you're seeing all these hybrid shows that's going on, especially with Crockett and Crockett people involved, whether it's Memphis or Continental or Mid-South or whatever. I mean, there's guys working everywhere. I mean, this this year is the first year where you're just seeing the, the real days of the territory is just gone. But, I mean, people are working everywhere. Because everybody's TV's overlapping now. Yeah. It's syndication and cable, and you now know what's going on everywhere. Yep. <clears throat> and AWA, AWA just started on ESPN right before we. Yeah. So at this time here in East Tennessee, we were seeing Crockett syndication. <clears throat> AWA, World Class, uh, Memphis, Continental, WWF, and I'm trying to think if anybody else was still 
So we were seeing at least six different places. Yeah. Of course, Atlanta was getting everything, basically. So, yeah. You know. <laughs> but I mean, it's just a, it's a it's a different time to just go back and look at look at this and uh, see who all's working together. As you know, this didn't happen before this time period, Bix, and uh, the fans, I guess, could be considered the winners in all this as they're getting this different group of talent coming to town, especially at Fort Wayne, because Crockett went running Fort Wayne, Indiana. So they're getting to see the TBS crew come in here and work their, their town. Yeah. I mean, it's probably a healthy way to look at it. And I, 5,000 in Fort Wayne for the, you know, what do we, we don't even, I don't even know what do you call pro wrestling. Is it the B national promotion? Is it the B minus national promotion? You know what I mean? Like, it's not even a promotion. That's what I mean. Like, <laughs> it's just a name. Thing. Yeah. So like, it's, I mean, they seem to draw well here. So. Do, do, do you know what it was on Crockett's end? Well, it was mean? nothing now. <laughs> it was a test. Yeah. Let somebody else run the town. Let's send top guys to see what kind of reaction they get. If they're over, we know they're watching TBS. So we will go back on our own. I mean, basically, fell. Up, I mean, it fell apart when the Crockett in, you know, at eighty at the end of eighty four. They yeah. take that. They 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 do those tapings at the Crockett shows. They do two sets of tapings, and then all of a sudden, then your then Pro Wrestling USA is nothing but AWA tapings. Vegas, yeah. Winnipeg, Minneapolis, you know, Hammond, Hammond Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. So that that. But- that last you had that what, one you had that one Memphis taping and then the two Crockett tapings and then Pro Wrestling USA is basically burned. Yeah. That. But that that's what Dusty and Crockett were doing. They were testing the waters in the other places to see who knew who their guys were who were watching. Well, yeah, and then you know when they get a TBS, then they are able to gauge that more yeah. through their through their research. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's pro wrestling. You know, in, uh, yeah, when the superstation went everywhere, when it first went out, they did some kind of deal about right in. Might have been dream matches or you know something. And Randy, that worked in the office, Randy Conyard, his job for weeks was to just sit in the office and don't open a letter, just see where it came from to see which cities wrote in the most. And that's where they went. And, of course, where did they get the most mail? Ohio and Michigan and West yep. Virginia. That's why they started doing those tours. Yeah, exactly. Now that's this is what Crockett's doing by actually sending talent to these places. See what kind of pop you get. See what kind of heat you got. Then we know what people are watching. Well, AEW. When they were first starting out, they were gauging where they were going to go run shows by Google Trends. What, yeah. what, what city was was trending highest on Google, and they mapped out a schedule based around that. Well, was it yeah. necessarily that they based on the Google Trends or more that the Google Trends corresponded to stuff no. like the local pay-per-view buys? Or both? I mean, probably both. But, I mean, that's where they 
the early days, what decided where they were going to go in a lot of ways was that. Yeah, I mean, that's why they went to Charleston, West Virginia. What, it was like two months in? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's still there's still what that uh, you know methods of that going on today. But uh, yeah, just an interesting time in wrestling history. All right, next we're going to go to a show in Girard, Ohio. Now, this used to be a Southwest Championship Wrestling stronghold, but this show is not a Texas All-Star show at the time because Southwest changed Texas All-Star. This is a show of Southwest guys that had worked there but are working this show. On September 12th, we had Lord Humongous over Tate Martin, Chicky Star over Ron Sexton, Sweet Round Sugar, Skip Young over Adrian Street by disqualification, the Sheep Herders over Sky Casey and Cheeky Star. And then a steel cage match, Rick Casey, something for Steve Kern, because Rick Casey being Wendell Cooley, who's working in Mid South at this time, over the Sheep Herders by disqualification. Weird show. Because you Wonder got guys the- that are working all you got I mean you got the Puerto Rico crew here with Chicky and Sheep Herders, which there may be around because of ICW. You got Scott Casey who's in world class. Adrian Street, who's bouncing around. Rick Casey's in Mid-South as Wendell Cooley. So, weird show. Ron Sexton's either getting he, is in Memphis or getting ready to go. He's in Memphis. Yeah, yeah. he's in Memphis. He's, um, yeah. he's teaming with Mr. Class at this point in time or just now finishing up because yeah. they done the Billy Travis turn so, at this point in time. I wonder if this yeah. was a Pizza Joe card. May have been because it's it's just not a it's, it's not, not an affiliated card. Danucci. It's not a Danucci no. card. Yeah, he's not on it. Uh yeah. but I mean it's 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 a weird show to look at because yeah, Southwest normally ran Gerard with a, and a lot of these guys that work there. Yeah. So yeah, it's an interesting show. And like I said, it's the beginning of this era where you get this stuff. Where you get these indie shows which is like a, a total hodgepodge of talent. That'll that pop up. All right. Championship Wrestling from Florida. Let's go there now. We go to Orlando. Eddie Grand Sports Stadium on September 15th. We have Frank Lang. breaking the Thumper Lancaster over Jack Hart. Barry Horowitz. Hector Guerrero and Mike Graham over the grappler Rip Oliver. Kendall Wyndham retained the Florida Heavyweight title, beating Playboy Buddy Rose. Woman Daniel over Kevin Sullivan. And Billy Jack Haynes over Ravishing Rick Rude in the match where Percy Pring was handcuffed to a ring post. Fast forward two days after that to Tampa, Spartan Sports Center. Frank Lang over Jack Hart. Coco Samoa over Kevin Sullivan by disqualification. Hector Guerrero went to a draw finish with Rip Oliver. Kendall over Buddy Rose by DQ. And a no DQ match for U.S. tag titles. Billy Jack Keynes and Wahoo McDaniel over the grappling Rick Rude to retain their titles. And uh, the next morning, Kevin Sullivan apparently won the Florida title from Kendall Wyndham. Bob Roop interfered, and they stopped Aldra of Wyndham, handing him his first career loss. The decision may be overturned, however. And this is Bob Roop beginning the Mahasing gimmick here, which spawned from Turner Television when they when they were working with uh, with Crockett. Then they shoot an angle on Kevin Sullivan's personal show from Knoxville, which they, and which, then well, which aired on Hawaii TV too. Yeah. And this title change does not count either, by the way. And um, then they bring it to Florida. So, 
Yeah, <laughs> an angle started and, mo and moved through three different territories in basically a month. <laughs> and, a TV, and a TV show that was just put on for his kids to watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also like how in that little angle in the studio in Knoxville on Kevin's show, how Bob Roop suddenly has this new look where he looks like a blonde Colonel Sanders. He already had that look. <laughs> he had that look yeah. at Crockett. Yeah, yeah, he didn't go all the way in that. Yes, he? he sure did. Is it the suit that's throwing me off then, maybe? You just don't remember seeing Bob Roop like, looking like that. But I've seen in that era, and I don't remember seeing him specifically with, like, the longish blonde hair and mm -hmm. goatee. When the angle starts in Crockett, yeah. Yeah, he's got that. Absolutely. He's working the TV match, and Sullivan's at the, at the desk. And Sullivan, he sees Sullivan, and that's when he starts falling under the trance. I'm looking on YouTube, and I'm not finding anything. Oh, well. Because um, the whole deal was they were trying to get Dick Slater, right. who was also about to leave, which we'll talk about in a minute. And um, then Sullivan and Roop get gone, and Slater's gone. So it's an angle that just goes completely nowhere. So... I think the angle is, I think it's him working Rocky King, too, from July 27th, World Championship Wrestling. So, it's in that general area, I know that. So, July, August. But Florida, I mean, this is, Sullivan's coming in, as we talked about in the show we did two weeks ago. So, Florida's starting to shift now to the Sullivan style of doing things, where we're about to get the satanic angle kicked up to another level. Where the summer in Florida was kind of like a Portland style thing with look at all the Portland guys that are here. So eighty five Florida, that's another thing, you know, all those years of eighty Graham and how it, that territory is normally run. Eighty five, you get this total mixture of booking styles and everything going on here. A different look every few months, both. Yeah, Wahoo's booking at this point. Yeah, Wahoo's booking. And, and and Wahoo brought guys there that had not been there before. You know, yeah. like Buddy Buddy Rose and Rip Oliver and you know, so he he tried to make it fresh. Give give Rude that big push. Yeah, so, I mean he, he he was trying but it 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 just wasn't working. Between Dusty and Eddie Graham, you know, yeah. Passing away. I mean, it just was not. Yeah. It was not working. It it wasn't. It wasn't our wrestling anymore. And and then, you know, Blackjack and Wyndham. Blackjack's already there, but Wyndham comes back, and then you know Luger gets out there, so they start doing something different then, and still the business sucks. It's just one. It was just a, a territory that was just in bad shape for reasons that beyond somebody. It's control, basically. So, I've always wondered if the way Eddie Graham died, how much effect it really had on it. Well, they were already starting you know, to go down before he before he died. You know, he, I mean, they you look were, at the 80, late '84 TV. But what I'm saying is, like, it exposed, kind of like what happened to the Von Erichs in Texas. Hey, wait a minute. These guys ain't what we thought they were. Yeah. You know, if Eddie would have been killed in a car wreck or, you know, died of a 
sickness or, or something, would it affect it different than what happened? That's just a sad story all the way around. You mean because of the whole, because it's 1985 and how mental illness would be looked at differently and all that, that because yeah. he's Eddie Graham, pillar of the community, Eddie Graham Boys Ranch, etc., that people were yeah. going to be maybe more likely to look at him as, quote-unquote, a fraud in light of him killing himself. Okay, I think I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different time. Yeah. The thing is that the thing is with with du Dusty that, that you know a lot of people talk about Dusty leaving, Dusty leaving. That was a big thing, but Dusty was coming back and doing shots. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't there full time, but he was still coming back in. He was still a presence. Yeah. He was. A, he would show up. He just wasn't a regular. So, yeah, Florida was just. I think Dusty saw the writing on the wall anyway himself, and that's why he got out of there. Yeah. He was there for 10 years, man. That's a long run anywhere. And then people forget. I mean, in the 80s, Dusty's not there. Dusty's not there all the time. Yeah, he goes to work for Watts. He's going to Atlanta. He's coming up working for Crockett. Working for Vince. Working for Vince, yeah. Going on Japan tours. I mean, he's, yep. he's taking time off, which he would do that to freshen himself back up again so he can come back. Yeah. But still, he wasn't there continuing. He was not like Lawler, who's there all the time. Right. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's go to Continental Championship Wrestling. Put your hand over your heart. <laughs> Dick Slater had uh, been in on the previous TV taping. He'd come in to uh, stop by as he was passing through and got involved in the Armstrong Stud Stable drama. And uh, now he's actually going to be working in a match with the Armstrongs as Bob's are injured, and he's there to you know help them defend his honor against the, the stud stable. So uh, let's go to a promo with uh, Slater and the Armstrongs, and then we'll go to the match and the shocking turn of events that happens there. I want to take a moment right now to talk to uh, Brad and Steve Armstrong and to Dick Slater. It was just recently, of course, that... Uh, your brother Scott was uh, rather severely injured and is going to be out of action for a while. Yes, sir, it looks that way. You know, it's just another example of the Fullers and Mr. Golden. Excuse me. Excuse me. I said, Mr. Golden, I don't, pardon my respect. I have none for these three gentlemen because, like I said, it's just another display of unsportsmanlike conduct and the nauseating, repulsive thing that have. Just show the film, Mr. Soli, and it'll speak for itself. Well, I'll tell you what, before we show that, I, I want to ask uh, Dick Slater a question because, uh, Dick, you've sort of come in and uh, taken the place of uh, Bullet Bob Armstrong, and frankly, we're all very pleased and very happy that you've taken up the cudgel for the Armstrongs. Seems to me there's a lot of low-down dogs around here. The Fullers and a few others. But I told these men right here that I would show you what a low-down dog is. We'll take it out on the Fullers. I tell you what, let's take a look at what happened to Scott Armstrong. If you'll, uh, those of you in the audience right now, take a look to your left and we'll take a look at the monitor. And you'll see exactly what we're talking about. There it was. You saw it. Robert Fuller pulled something something out of his tights and hit Scott with a foreign object. And, brother, that crossed his running light. Scott was out. We, we made a mistake. We turned our back on the Fuller for just one minute, and that was our mistake. 
and Scott, bless his heart, paid for it. Boy, one thing, you would never want to turn your back on anybody like this. You know, the Fullers are low-down dogs, too. They're going to take every advantage of what you do. But don't ever turn your back on anybody. Well, certainly sage advice from uh, Dick Slater, Mr. Electricity himself, saying never turn your back on anybody, and I can certainly understand that. But right now, things do not look too good for the Armstrongs. Yes, sir. You see, it's taken it. The, the action is going outside the ring. And when you go outside the ring, outside those ropes, brother, it gets severely dangerous down there. We go, we're going pretty good. Steve and I are taking care of ourselves. And they're putting Scott on the stretcher. They, Scott, Scott is out. He's been hit with something, like I said, that crossed his running light. And, brother, he is out. Well, Steve, uh, you have not had much to say during this entire situation, but I know your emotions are running pretty deep. I'm telling you, man, it just kind of turns my stomach to see this kind of stuff going on, especially when it's your brother, man, with somebody that you've grown up with and lived with all your life and love, you know, just, you know, here it goes right here. Look, Jesus. Golden jumped off the apron. They were carrying Scott back on the stretcher, and he was out helpless, and Golden jumped right off the ring apron onto him on the stretcher. And you'll see right here, he picks him up and pile drives him on the floor. On the floor, brother. And that was it. As if he wasn't out before, he's, he's hurt here. All right, this was the pile driver, of course, on the concrete floor. And again, uh, uh, the Fullers and Golden continuing to pummel and punish uh, Scott Armstrong. And, well, there's no telling how long he's going to be out of action. No, sir, they're sure it. And, well, what Scott is, Scott is completely out here. Stevie's firing back on Jimmy, and I'm trying my best to come up. I'm around the other side of the ring, and I'm trying my best to come around there and help Steve out if I can. But in the meantime, in comes that long, tall drink of water, Ron Fuller, and in comes Robert again. And they're pulling Scott into the ring, and this is where the damage is done right here. Ron picks him up. The man, Scott is helpless. He's out. He's out completely, and Ron picks him up so that his brother Robert can put the toehold on him. And this is where the injuries came, and we tried our best to fight our way back into that ring. And they was, we was fighting them tooth and nail, brother. The damage was done too quick. Now, this, of course, the infamous Fuller leg lock. That has uh, achieved international uh, uh, fame or infamy, if you will. Because uh, just nobody but nobody gets away from that. No, sir. Nobody does. And Scott certainly didn't bless his heart. And his leg is messed up. His knee was blown out real bad. And it might be a few minutes, a few months, excuse me, before he ever comes back to wrestling. Bless his heart. Well, one good thing for sure, we've got uh, Dick Slater here. And we're going to be seeing these men in a six-man tag. And Dick, congratulations and thank you for hanging in with the Armstrongs. It's my pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen. All right, pause. So, well, we have Dick Slater here saying, don't turn your back on anyone. And if so, one of the low-down dirty dogs does. Well, yeah, yep. he said it was sage advice. Sage advice from someone who in a few years will be working with Sage Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that clip was from either Mobile or Pensacola. I can't remember. It looked like can... Pensacola. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking it is by the pillars, but you can see the business they're doing. Yeah. They're doing some big business here. And, you know, I wish we could have got a longer run with Slater here. We knew it was going to be short. I mean, he told him when he came in, it was going to be just a couple of weeks. Pass it through. Yeah, because he'd already had the job with Watts. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
There's your big setup. Now we have our match. Armstrong's and Slater against the Fullers and Jimmy Golden. And uh, you can pretty much guess what happens if you've never heard it or seen it before, how it, how it could happen. So let's go to Gordon Sully. Slater stalking back and forth. And the stud feeling uh, very confident. Armstrong slips through his leg, makes the tag. And it is Steve Armstrong out there. Steve Armstrong looking good now. Steve Armstrong pounding away. Brad Armstrong in there. And it is Steve Armstrong pounding away against the team of Fuller's and... They've got him in a rolling reverse. He got the pinfall. He got the pinfall. Brad Armstrong gets the pinfall on the Tennessee stud. And uh, look at the stud screaming something. And Slater, Slater suddenly turning on the Armstrong. <laughs> Dick Slater has turned on the Armstrong. Slater exploding with everything that he's got. Now it's Fuller and Golden and Fuller on uh, Steve Armstrong and Dick Slater against uh, Brad Armstrong. Brad Armstrong firing back and now Slater outside the ring climbs to that top ring rope off the ring rope down on the head of Brad Armstrong and so Slater joins the list of Judas's another Benedict Arnold in Dick Slater Armstrong outside the ring coming up very very slowly and look at this despicable They've got him in the fuller leg lock. They've got him in the fuller leg lock. And Slater, right there to add more punishment. Dick Slater adding more punishment as they've got. Brad Armstrong finally comes in. It's Brad Armstrong exploding against Dick Slater. Steve Armstrong battling away in the Armstrong. Two against four, fighting almost insurmountable odds. In fact, they are fighting insurmountable odds. No question about that. And so Dick Slater joins the growing list of Judases, of Benedict Arnold's, as he turned on his friends the bell is being called for. The bell is being called for. And even more punishment being meted out. And the Armstrongs are helpless and hapless praise now to this backbiting, backjumping group of uh, Robert and Ron Fuller, Jimmy Golden, and now Dick Slater adds his name to that infamous list. 
a triple pile driver on uh, Steve Armstrong, a triple pile driver, and all the damage that could possibly be done has been done. Well, we'll be back. Time is 8.30. The Alabama Balls. Championship, a one-night round-robin tournament. Well, the, 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 the interesting thing about this turn, uh, the match was over with. Then he turned. Yeah. That's the different thing about it. I mean, but you, you, I mean, it's one of those things that's so obvious from watching the body language, what's going on, what's going to happen, because he never gets involved in the beatdown at the end. He's walking back and forth on the apron. And then, I mean, before the, the match is over with, Brad gets the win, then he comes in the ring and then attacks him. So it was a weird turn in a way, Bo, for them to do that. It was designed just to get sympathy on Brad. Yeah, because, because Scott and Steve are leaving. Yeah, exactly. They're about to go to Memphis. Yeah, and we covered that in the week they quit mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, on an earlier show. Um, it was just in 1985, Brad, in Continental, 85 into 86. This is Brad's best work. Best yep. interviews, best in-ring. Him and Stubbs, him and Fuller and Golden, all this stuff right here is, I think, his best because he'd been gone. He got seasoned. He came home, and he's the man. And, oh, I wish we could have got Brad and Slater for a run. Uh, great. It's also Robert Fuller's best work as a heel because this is Robert's first run as a heel. Yes. And I think this is his best. Everybody's and, running uh, on full on on all cylinders here. Yes, everybody. And Robert, or all of the people that want to knock his booking and everything else. Robert is the booker right here. He's the one putting all this together. So he does a tremendous job here, and they're they're doing business, and you see it. That's why they're showing. Every week, it seems like they're showing a clip from an arena somewhere, whether it's Dothan, whether it's, especially when they get into Knoxville, they start showing Knoxville clips. They show you stuff, uh, even from spot towns, just to show you the business that they're doing places. They're on fire. Absolutely. Fix, what were your thoughts on uh, what we just saw? Six later, they should have known better. <laughs> And, and this is Slater's only run through Alabama that I can think of. Yeah, because he had worked Knoxville. He worked he, the Knoxville side. And he'd worked the Knoxville side a few times, and he booked Knoxville for him. He, and he was, I mean, he was the champion when they were going to war with, uh, yeah, with Ron Wright and All Star. You know, yeah. he was the champion. So. There's that, there's that type of, you know, I guess loyalty or whatever with the Fullers right there. Yeah. That he, they, that he was still, they all still speak highly of him. Yeah, he was a hell of a man in many ways. And, and Robert and, and Jimmy get him into WCW years yep. later. Yeah. Well, he's in on WCW a lot in that era. <laughs> yeah, but they, it's like a revolving him, door. <laughs> yeah, but no, they get him back in and get him the run with the tag yeah. titles and uh, yeah, 
yeah. you know, and, and the uh, his last run where he got to make some money. Yeah, yeah, money. yeah. It was with them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, he made he made good money everywhere he worked, but I mean, it's probably the only contract he ever had. You don't think he had a WF contract? Uh, the same one everybody else did. Yeah. 15 appearances or 10 appearances at $1,500 yeah. or whatever, $150, $1,500 contract. Everybody had the same deal, but it's the only guaranteed money he probably ever had in his career. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the business. To sell out of 4,000 fans on September 13th in Oxford, Alabama. So Roberto Soto go to a draw with Bill Ash. Nightmares beat Brickhouse Brown, Norval Austin. Tommy Richard of Adrian Street by his qualification. Fuller and Golden over Steve Armstrong and Rolly Welch. In an exit main event, Ric Flair pinned Brad Armstrong to retain in the Bayward Everway title. Yeah. So 4,000 fans in Austin, Alabama. That's pretty stout. Pretty damn stout. On a, on a Thursday night, probably. Is that a Thursday night? The 13th is a Friday. Friday night, okay. So they did that, and then is it, Thursday used to be the spot show night. Yeah. Now, they did a special Sunday night show in Pensacola. Now, the promotion who didn't originally want to work with JCP in their expansion plans eventually gave in to a combination card in Pensacola on September 15th, even though they only drew 2,500 fans and had a dead crowd. Well, here's the results. Buddy Landell over Sam Houston. Manny Fernandez over Crusher Khrushchev. National Tag Team title match. Brad and Steve Armstrong beat the Minnesota Wrecking Crew by disqualification. Interesting match. Drew Vanderbilt with Barbarian. Rock and Roll in the World Tag Titles over the Midnights. So there you go. They're working against each other on this show. Uh, Tommy Rich retained the Continental Heavyweight title beating Adrian Street by DQ. Tony and Madden went to a double DQ U.S. title match. Road Warriors over the Koloffs. And then Flair over Dusty for the NBA World Title by disqualification. That's a pretty stacked show, Bo, and only drawing twenty five hundred fans at Pensacola. And and here's why: it's not our wrestling. They're bringing yeah. all them other. They're bringing all them other guys in here. Which Sunday night was the night in Pensacola? Was well, always. Bix, look at that. Where we just took that from those clips. Look for the commercial for Pensacola. It should be on there. The card changed. Well, Mobile is uh, what's on the uh, on the YouTube clip. Uh, yeah, but it's got the Pensacola ad because they're so close. TV's overlapped. That's why. That's why they never did the same card in Mobile and Pensacola. It was always different because they were so close. Uh huh. But right. it's got the. It's got the. Um, it's got the Pensacola ad. I'm trying to remember because the Armstrongs, I think, were, I think, rock and roll against nightmares was advertised, and I can't remember. But it's it, the card is actually different than what happened, and I'm thinking Fuller probably ran a spot show somewhere on that Sunday with the rest of the crew that didn't get on this Great American Bash on tour card. Okay, I got your, uh, I got the uh, card here. It was advertised on the 13th. It was a show to raise money for the Gulf Breeze High School Booster Club, Quarterback Club. Percentage of the proceeds going to Gulf Breeze High School. Well, no, Bo. It's Rock and Rolls and Midnight. So that's the advertised match. 
Oh, Flair and Dusty, Tully Madden, Rich Street, and Rock and Rolls and Midnight's. That's the advertised matches. Tickets on something the boss office, 15, 10, and 5. You think that might have had something to do with that it? That may have had something to do with it, too. They raised the ticket prices. <laughs> um, but the, the commercial they advertised was different than what the actual card was. And I just The one it. they had on, had on TV. You think that was a, ba- a bait and switch, though, because of stuff that was going on, which they no, would do I that. Think, I, I think Crockett said, no, I want this instead. Well, let's see what the ad looks like. For the Great American Bash. That's right, at the Civic Center. Match time is 8 p.m. The NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Ric Flair, defends his title against the challenge of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. And it will be the Road Warriors in a special challenge match against Ivan and Nikita Koloff. The U.S. title match, Magnum T.A. defends against Tully Blanchard. The Continental Championship, Tommy Wildfire Rich against Adrian Street, and the World Tag Team Championship. There you go. Rock and Roll Express against the Nightmares. Jimmy Valiant takes on the Barbarian. It'll be the National Tag Team Championship. Ole and Arn Anderson against A R N E Anderson. Yeah, that was a common misspelling. It was a common spelling, even in Crockett territory. Mm hmm. Brad and Steve Armstrong, and it will be the Raging <laughs> Bull against Crusher Khrushchev. Excuse me? C-H-E-F. C-H-E-F. So, Khrushchev. American Bad. Wait, let me see that one. So the nightmares were d- dumped for midnight. Yeah, even in the newspaper. Even in the newspaper the day before this show aired on television had midnights and rock and rolls. Well, they they edited TV on Monday, late Monday. They would shoot. Here's what they would do. They would shoot in Pensacola or in uh, shoot Birmingham. Go down the street to the studio and start editing right then to get them out by midweek to all the stations that needed them. So it changed somewhere between Monday night and Friday. The card changed. Yeah. So, but yeah, if I am barbarians on the on the on the show, they didn't do it. Um. Yeah, they did. That's right. One more thing about it. Yeah, they did. Yeah. So all, only thing that really changed was the nightmares. Nightmares. Yeah, yeah, I knew there was a change, and I couldn't remember what it was. And so, so that's yeah. the only change. So they uh, at least advertised, "Hey, our guys are getting a shot at the bigger titles." Yes, but, and Tommy, and yet, and you had Tommy Rich defending against Adrian. You know, yeah. so you had a, a continental title match take place that night. Yeah. But who's not on the show? The lead heels. Yeah. So you don't have Fuller and Gold and, you know, and none of them people on the show. So who who knows? I yeah, mean, you, don't, you don't have the stud stable or the nightmares. You, you don't have the guys with all the heat. <laughs> In the territory, yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, I don't know where they would have worked. There would have been some probably spot town somewhere. So yeah, and yeah, out of these joint shows, this is way more Crockett heavy than a lot of them were. So there's that. The too. one, the one in Lexington with Jarrett was pretty Crockett heavy too. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're about the same. Yeah. All right, Batwell Auditorium the next night. TV Johnny Rich returns. Helping Norval Austin and Brickhouse Brown beat the Nightmares. Rich had been out of action for a few weeks after being stabbed twice after a show in Montgomery, Alabama. Yep. 
<laughs> and he's the baby face getting stabbed. And also, somewhere around this time, somebody shot at Tommy and Johnny on the interstate coming into Montgomery. <laughs> Shit, they had some heat in Montgomery, didn't they? Um, they go to an American Legion or a VF somewhere. Somebody invites them to go with them after the matches. So they go. And there's women in there, of course, and they're paying attention to Johnny and Tommy, which the locals did not like. And that's what led to the stabbing. There you go. It, it, it became a brawl and some, they got, they almost killed him. They got him in the gut twice. That's where he comes back right there. He takes his shirt off and points at the surgery where they had to go in and do surgery. And he points at the scar and tells, uh, Gordon, the, the nightmares tried to kill me because they had, <laughs> for the angle they had worked, they had did, I think the head, the headbutt off the top into his, and busted his appendix is what they had claimed. But yeah. yeah. Well, the, the results of that show Bill Ash over Nick Patrick, Rick Flair working on Arville Hutto, TV squash match, Norville and Brickhouse over the nightmares, Adrian Street over Royley Welch. Flame went to no contest for Roberto Soto. Brad won a handicap match over Fuller Golden by DQ. And then Tommy Rich beat Ric Flair by DQ in an NBA World Heavyweight title match. Arville Hutto was uh, Bobby Eaton's old buddy, right? That's yeah. right. Child, we childhood friends. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Brown Bombers, Bobby Eaton and Arville Hutto. They didn't know that was a gimmick. They didn't know that was a rib on them at first. Oh. <laughs> uh, and this is why Fuller does the deal with Crockett. This this is why it was it was to get Flair this week, an extra week with Flair, for extra dates, and and it paid off because they went to a spot show and drew four thousand people. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Flair didn't mind working working that area at all. You know, on the on the beach. He he said he always enjoyed working there in the high spots interview yeah. that he did. In the nightlife, there's some great nightlife, yeah, down there. So, and him and Arner become close, and that's where they met. Yeah, oh. yeah, absolutely. All right, Dick Slater was supposed to be a key figure in this show because of his turn the previous week, no showed, and is on his way to Mid South. Well, here you go. He was actually supposed to be at this TV tape. Uh, I'll have to go look. I don't know if he was or wasn't. Well, do you think that they probably had a blow-off or something that they would blow off on this taping and he no-showed and, yeah. Do you think that I, was possible? That, that I mean, that is possible, but I'd have to go back and look at the Birmingham ads to see if he was advertised. Yeah. A female fed. Yeah, go ahead. If he was, it would have been against Brad. Yeah. And... They got the handicap match, which I think was what was advertised. I don't know if Slater was or wasn't. I, I can't remember. But they but they knew he was only there for two or three weeks. Yeah. So I'm saying they probably had something planned they were going to do, and probably he decided not to do it. You know, knowing that he's about to go to Miss South and get a push. Uh, no, I mean, he's business, and Continental TV was not showing in – over there. Mississippi. Um, 
It's overlapping yeah, in Mississippi. It was shown in Columbus. Did they did Watts run Columbus? Biloxi. Biloxi they booked well, yeah, uh, Biloxi's right there. That's right. Biloxi people they don't realize that Biloxi should have been in the Continental Territory, but it was in Watts' territory. Mobile to Biloxi's like an hour drive or less. For a while there, Biloxi on the Culkin shows in the eight, early eighties, even into the mid eighties would have a continental or I mean a southeastern spotlight match on their show with all yeah. the mid south guys. Yeah, yep, they sure would. So possibly Here, that could have been a Bill Watts thing. Yeah. It might have it been was a Watts, thing. Yeah, well, it may have been too. But here's the thing. He's not in he's not in Oxford. Because there's nobody working twice. That's all the matches that they're doing on TV to take to the towns. If uh Yeah. If he was going to be at TV Monday, he'd have been in Oxford on Friday. And there's no place for him on the card. Yeah. So they knew he wasn't going to be there. He didn't know show. Let me see I'm fine if he was anywhere. Let's see. Uh no. The uh the fr- between he he's not booked anywhere as far as official results I got. From the Boutwell turn till September 25th. Yeah, he's moved on. So. All right, a female fan jumped Miss Linda. She and Adrian Street went to the locker room after Street beat Roy Lee Welch. They rolled around for a while before the police broke them up. Not a shot there, is it, Bo? No, that was a common thing, and it never worked out very good for the woman that come over the rail. <laughs> Little did they know about Miss Linda. Right. And, and people will tell you all the stories that you have heard about Adrian and how tough he is. Yes, they are true. And they also <laughs> will tell you, you would rather fight Adrian than fight Linda because she is mean and fights dirty. <laughs> and both of them just wonderful, wonderful people, just sweethearts, man. Just, they're just great. Everybody loves them. And so we talked about this uh, before the show. So Gracie and Adrian street, Get the love from WWE, man. Uh, you know, yes. it, it, you know, he's at Clash of the Castle, was flown in, looked great, eighty-one years old. God bless him. Yeah, maybe eighty-two in December. So God he, bless. Him. Uh, they moved back to England two years ago. Yeah, maybe three. So, um. You know, he's out of the limelight. He's away from where most people would re- would remember him. Um, so, yeah, it, he did, him and Linda both deserve all the credit and recognition they get from everybody. Yes. Hell of an act. All right, we have the Alabama Heavyweight Title Tournament take place in Mobile on September 20th. First-round matches saw Nightmare number 2 against Tommy Rich, Roberto Soto against Bill Ash, Brickhouse Brown against Nightmare number one. The Flame, he beat Rolly Welch. Uh, Soto beat Bill Ash, by the way. Uh, Norval Austin against Adrian Street. Nick Patrick against Dick Slater, Bo. So there what is, night that. is that. The 20th. That's the 20th. Uh, Robert Fuller against Steve Armstrong. Brad Armstrong against Jimmy Golden. Uh, of course, we don't have the results full of this, but we do have the tournament final where Roberto Soto beat The Flame. Become the new Alabama heavyweight champion. Yeah. Hmm. So Slater was 
was listed in the newspaper ads for this tournament on September 20th. This is where I got it from. Right, but I and would have been on that and would have been on that TV's um, mobile ad too for the for the uh, commercial. Yeah. So they may be advertised. Maybe who knows? Yeah. But no, I, I think he finished up with the turn and was gone because he didn't do an interview afterwards. Uh, he did the turn. They crippled him. They walked out. There was nothing. There was nothing there to set up to do a return. It was just let's use him for two weeks to get to sympathy. Yeah. So. And he would have been living in Atlanta, moving to Louisiana. So yeah. He could have made Birmingham. From Alabama, or from Atlanta, easy, and then he could have moved that night. He could have left Boutwell and been, already been moving towards Louisiana. Possible, it's definitely possible. Well, let's go to Memphis now. Interesting angle took place on the November, November uh, September fourteenth TV show, where Booker Tom Ernesto came out and said that Jerry Lawler couldn't face Mongolian Stomper on September sixteenth in Memphis. Unless he put up his Southern Halfway title. Lawler came out and said he wasn't going to put up his belt because Ric Flair was only going to defend the NWA title against the Southern champion. Ernesto told Lawler he was scared and he brought out, and that brought out Jerry Jerry Marlin, with Jared telling Marlin that it was time for a chant, change and they fired Ernesto, which Ernesto said they couldn't do because he quit. Ernesto then came back out and said everyone was scared of Lawler and he's going to manage the Stomper now. All right, Bo, describe this whole relationship we have here with Tom Ernesto and Jerry Jarrett. Well, it says right here, Booker, Tom Ernesto. He's not the Booker. (laughs) No. He had been, though, right? For two or three weeks. You could tell when. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And... They had so much respect for him, they didn't want to fire him. <clears throat> so Jarrett takes the book back, and they keep Tom as the on-air authority, booker, figure. authority figure, matchmaker, and he's also helping Jerry. He's now an assistant somewhat, but not much. Well, and the storyline explanation is that since Jerry Jarrett has started wrestling again, he needed someone to take over his interests on the promotional end of the company. That's right. Which yes. there was kind of some shoot to that, if I'm yes. not mistaken, too. Tom actually was involved legit in and, that, from what Jerry told me years ago. And the word that had Tom booked before this last Puerto Rico? Puerto Rico would have been his last booking run of note, yes. 82? 82, 83. Ish, yeah. yeah. Puerto Rico booking, one... Puerto Rico booking runs. I mean, that, some of that you just don't know. You don't know who yeah. who's who's there when in that era. Yeah, but Tom is the person that gave Buddy Landale the Nature Boy gimmick mm-hmm. in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Um, Tom had booked Atlanta. Oh God, yes. He, he had booked uh, for Nick Goulas. He booked for Mike LaBelle. Michael Bell in California. When Tom Pritchard broke in, that was Tom's first territory, and Tom was the booker there. Yeah. Um, he booked a lot of places. He booked a lot of places and was very successful. 
as we've talked about, times are now different. Mm-hmm. Rock and roll and wrestling together, music videos, younger audiences. Um, it had passed him by. Yep. And he is still trying to book Tennessee the way that he had booked Tennessee in 78-79. Because he was the book. I mean, well, I mean, he's the booker with the Freebirds. I mean, their first and, run, big run in yes. Nashville. He, and he Savage was, and it, Dutch. Savage and Dutch. Yeah. Yep. That was a hot run. And he was the booker. Yes. He, he very hot. But in that six, seven years, the whole world had changed. Mm-hmm. And and it happens. Uh especially when you're when you're in a bubble in the wrestling business, especially then and you're working every day and you're going to the building. You're sitting in the dressing room with wrestlers. You go to the ring, you work, you come back, you shower, you get ready, you get in the car, you're in the car with wrestlers. You go home. You get home in the middle of the night, you go to bed, you get up the next day, you get ready, you repeat. You don't see television. You don't see MTV. You don't, you're not seeing all this stuff. This okay. This is why world class and Memphis were so successful with getting the young people. They had eyes in the office that were seeing everything. Well, not just that. Lawler is a pop culture connoisseur, and I was going to get to him. Yes, and Lawler had a freaking TV in his car all the way back to the seventies, so he could watch the primetime shows as he was going to and from the towns. <laughs> yeah, I mean, watch the watch the. Uh... NBC thing for 79. Yeah. And they, him and Jarrett both would read the magazines, not the wrestling magazines like People and Star and National Enquirer. And they read all the stuff to see what was going on. And is there anything we can use? In uh, Dallas, you had, what was the guy's name that produced the TVs? Mickey Grant. Mickey Grant. Mickey Grant. He had his finger on the pulse of what was going on. So. Joel Watts. Joel Watts with with Bill, right? Joel and Jim Ross, too. Both and Jim Ross. Um, some territories didn't have that. <laughs> some you people. Right. Vern Gagne sure didn't have it. Dusty. Uh, Dusty got it. Yep. Dusty was that. Uh, Ernesto just everything passed him by so I don't know what he had been doing for the two or three years that he was not involved in wrestling now he's put back in to book a territory and kind of like George Scott George Scott another perfect example they just don't get it and it's it's went by Mm mm-hmm I can say the same thing for myself. You know, that's why I've spent the last two years picking the brain of young wrestlers. They'll ask me stuff, but I'm asking them stuff. Um, well, it's one of Vince, it's been one of Vince McMahon, one of his biggest 
downfalls in recent years was he never really adapted with the times and he wanted to go, you know, do things the way it used to be in different ways. And his, his mindset, you know, the, the famous story that, that, you know, is told is, you know, when new day was, you know, first really starting to get going and Vince had him in his office and goes, <laughs> you guys ever heard of flip Wilson? I mean, that's, that's type of Vince's type of, well, no, it was even better. It was, <laughs> I remember Flip Wilson. <laughs> yeah, like that, you know. And Vince is so tunnel vision, and that's where it goes back to what you're talking about, wrestling. Tunnel vision. Yeah. It's wrestling, 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 wrestling. You know, yeah. I mean, you kind of get lost in that way. Yeah. And that's what happened to Tom Renesto. So he comes in the book, and they realize very fast we have made a major mistake <laughs> now what are we going to do and is he the first heel promoter yes yeah I, 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 so out of that came originality mm -hmm. and, he is the first on, on air heel promoter and Jarrett Lawler come up with that, and they go with it. And I'm sure that every Saturday morning at TV, Buddy Wayne and Renesto were over in the corner going, this is some bullshit here, <laughs> what they're doing. And, you know. Because Buddy Wayne was his top heel manager. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, Buddy, and I, and I love Buddy, and I love John Aubrey. I, I love him. And I was around Buddy a lot in the 90s. But Buddy was in the 50s. <laughs> and uh, Buddy was still know, with Buck Ramstad. <laughs> he, 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 every day I heard, <laughs> when me and Buck Ramstad was the world tag team champions, <laughs> and Buddy would come up to you and, he, and he'd have, he always wore a suit and tie because every wrestler had to wear a suit and tie back then. And you know, in the fifties and sixties and seventies, and unless it you were like handsome Jimmy or Lord, it didn't fit your gimmick or Dundee. Uh, but he would say, "Look at this suit." I say, "Yeah, it's nice. I bought this suit in nineteen fifty eight. It still fits." <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're just like, "Whoa!" <laughs> and Buddy would come in the room. Why do you have wrist on your have tape on your wrist? Work your wrist out. <laughs> I mean, if there was anything that was not from his time, it drove him. It literally drove him insane. <laughs> and one time they asked Buddy Wayne when he wasn't at TV. Did you watch TV last week, buddy? And he said, no, I don't enjoy music that much. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Renesto's in this same deal, but they know he's one of the greatest heels of all time as the mm -hmm. assassin. Absolutely. That's who he Joe Hamilton a, heard, learned from. Yes. He is a tremendous interview. Mm -hmm. So let's make him a heel manager, but he's also the promoter, and and they were good 
to Tom Ernesto. They they let him keep his dignity. They didn't run him out of the territory. He was still called the Booker and still in that role and probably still would take finishes and give finishes that were given to him. But it was it was coming from Jarrett Lawler. Yeah. And they also gave uh Tom Branch, which is Tom Ernesto Jr. They gave him a job. Yep. He, and he's overpushed. <laughs> yeah. Uh Speedy Speedy Talltree will come through. Yeah. The which other is son. Tim Ernesto. So yeah. I mean they took care of so my hats are off to Lawler and Jarrett for the respect that they had. Yeah. And for taking in taking care of him. Yeah. Um but they realized very quickly that we're in trouble. Um, mm-hmm. Probably needed to be more conversation before he was given the job, but they're they're also going off the past of what he had done other places so he can get the job done, which is the same reason that George Scott was hired so many places even after he had early onset Alzheimer's, according to so many different people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was told stories about uh, Tony Atlas and the Batten twins. I've heard them say we were in Dallas and we'd get a booking sheet and we would not be on it. And they would go to George Scott and say, do we still work here or should we leave? (laughs) And and he would say, I forgot. I forgot you were here. (laughs) Says what kind so, of impact they were making. <laughs> and the, that was two years before he got the WCW job. Yeah. So I can only imagine, you know, we've covered it on shows here, how bad it had gotten. Mm-hmm. But Renesto and the Stomper, they were good together. Uh, you know, you got a monster heel, a killer, and you've got a great mouthpiece. And Renesto didn't have to yell and scream. He could just talk, and you listened to what he was saying. And just the experience that young guys got to have being around them, you know, at that time. Because, I mean, there's a wealth of, of knowledge between just those two alone. Well, the races coming in and out, too. Yeah, races in and out of there, yeah. So, yeah, there's some, some veteran presence already in that locker room, that's for sure. Yeah. With all the young guys that's in Memphis at that time, there's a yep. lot of them. All right, well let's go. Well let's go to the clip. So let's hear. Let's hear all this. Let's hear how everything goes down. And this is a long clip, folks. This is a one of the Memphis angles that it takes a takes a little bit. So let's go to the clip. Yeah, guy. Guy Coffee. Guy Coffee. The Stomper will not wrestle Jerry Lawler under any circumstances, any time. You'll have to get some kind of a unless it's a. Uh, championship match, the belt's at stake. He will not wrestle Lawler, so you'll have to probably make some kind of arrangements for Monday night for another match. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, this has not been a good day. No, it right is. off the reel, I'll tell you, it has not been a good day. I, 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 w- I wish we could get uh, some kind of an order enough to know exactly what's going on. If we can get Eddie out here uh, to, to find out uh, what in the Sam Hill Lawler, of course, after the situation with the Stomper that we ran the tape on, uh, uh, you better believe he wants him back in the ring Absolutely. in the world's worst way. And now, uh, he's saying, 
Tom, uh, yeah, Tom, Tom Ernesto. Uh, the situation, uh, uh, Tom, we just got the word. Yeah, I know, uh, I know yeah, full yeah. well what the situation is, uh, Lance, and of course it upsets me a great deal. You know, I thought I knew wrestlers, but uh, obviously I don't know them that well. I, uh, I've been in negotiations all week long with uh, the aides of the Stomper and uh, Mr. Uh, Jerry Lawler, the king, as he is so well known. And I've never had so much trouble and so much bickering in all of my life to get two men to sign a contract. Now, the aides for the Stomper have specifically stated that they will not wrestle Jerry Lawler unless he puts up the title. Now, Lawler, in turn, comes back and says he will not put up the title. All he wants to do is wrestle the man known as the Stomper. Now, as I said, it's been very, very difficult, and that's what makes this job particularly hard. When you have two men, neither will give an inch. Of course, the Stomper doesn't talk. He has his aides, and uh, they have a very profound position, and they refuse to change that position. Now, all this could be avoided. And it's my personal opinion, I'm going out on a limb by saying this, all of this could be avoided if Jerry Lawler would give the man a championship match. Now, you know and I know my job is particularly difficult enough as it is. My job is to draw money for the company. My job is to put matches together. I think that you will agree with me that a championship match has far more meaning, has a lot more interest to the fans, and after all, we're here to please the fans well, than a non-championship match, right or wrong. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, you know, in, in time, certainly the championship match does no, no, have no, more. No, not in, not in time. I think this particular instance, and since Jerry Lawler is the champion, I feel, now this is my personal opinion, and of course I, I, I'm doing my job to the best of my ability, my opinion is that he should defend his title against this man. Now, if he doesn't want to defend the title, there's obviously a reason for it. If he's afraid and doesn't want to meet the man, then I think he should admit it, and, and we won't have the championship match. I think that's a little strong, Tom. Obviously, in your job in booking matches, you're interested in the championship match, and I don't blame you because I'd like to see one, too. Uh, but to indicate that Lawler's afraid, the guy's history is too much. Well, yes, sir, he has a great history he here. He certainly does. Area. But the uh, one thing that he has a history of doing, the one thing that he has a history of doing, of course, is intimidating people. He's obviously intimidated you to the point to where you're going to agree with him. No one's going to disagree with him. I'm going to call it like I see it. You've had a bad week, Tom. That way there's no point well, in arguing about it. The idea of being a bad week, so I'm going to call it as I see it. And as I said, this gentleman here, whom I respect a great deal, I don't think there's any other wrestler in the world can defeat this man. But I think that he should take the prerogative and go ahead, put up the championship, give the people. After all, this title is the people's title, as he has said many times. Yeah. He is the king, so as a result, I think he should defend his title with honor and dignity. Well, I don't have to talk for him. He can talk for yeah, himself. That's, that's true. If you don't mind, I would like to get a word in here in defense of myself. Um, it's true what Tom says. I understand that, you, you know, I realize the job that you have to do. Your job is to try to make the most exciting matches that you can do, and understandably, probably a Southern title match would mean more than just a non-title match. But I don't appreciate the fact, Tom, of you standing out here and saying that I'm afraid to put up the title, that I'm afraid of the man. I came to you and asked for the match. 
You know that's a fact. I came to you and I came to Eddie Marlin. I'm the one that asked for this match to begin with. So that obviously shows that I'm not afraid of the man. Now, what, what I would like for you to do, Tom, is, you know, you talk about you have respect for me. It's certainly not showing because you're not telling the whole story. Now, you're not telling the people why I don't want to put up the title. But if you don't want to tell them, I'll be more than glad to tell them. Because everybody knows here in Memphis and everywhere how hard and how long I've worked to try to get a World Heavyweight Championship match. And everybody also knows that the man who holds the Southern title is first in line for this title shot. Right. Well, now that I've got the Southern title, I've been able to negotiate a world title match with the NWA champion Ric Flair, and it's coming up very soon. And I don't want to take a chance. It's true. I don't want to go in the ring with a jerk like the Stomper who pulled a stunt like he did last week and risk that title and risk my shot, which could possibly be the only shot, at the World Heavyweight Championship. So why don't you tell the people that, Tom? Now, you ask all of these people out here and see if they think that I should risk the title shot and a shot at Ric Flair against a jerk like the Stomper. I don't think so either. Let me say in reference to what you're saying, it is obvious, as I said earlier, it is obvious by all the fans that are here, as I said, and this is what makes the, the job tough. You've admitted to the fact that a championship match would be of far more interest, of greater interest. I'm interested in selling tickets to the general public. Now, you're saying that I should come out and tell these people. It is obvious that you have all the fans intimidated, as well as this gentleman and everyone else. You have them intimidated. They're going to go your way. I'm not and trying to I intimidate think, anybody. Now, wait, let me finish. Let me just have my opinion, if you will. I feel that there has to be a reason, and I think it's a very weak reason that you're putting out to say that you don't want to risk the chance of losing the championship because then you won't get a chance to Rick Fair. Listen, listen, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, because if you're co you have to have confidence, first of all, Jerry, and, you know, I've argued with you and I've respected you, and we've been through more arguments, and I'm sick and tired of it. Yeah, I've I had think. all of this thing, but I think that you should have confidence in yourself and represent your people as a man with dignity and respect and wrestle the man and put up your title. Hey, he didn't say he wouldn't put the title. He just said the timing's wrong, Tom. I think, you know, what time is the match? Is the match? Yeah. You don't lose you don't lose revenue that you lose. When you lose no, revenue, okay. you lose hey, it. Listen, we're standing out here. I mean, isn't this something really uh, I know the folks are having a big kick out of the argument, but uh well, no, to me, I don't think they're having a big kick opinion. out of it. This this is something that's going on all week long, Lance. He's as bullheaded as these jerks that represent the stomper. And I, I, I'm i sorry, Tom. I understand that your job is to have the most exciting matches as you can. But I'm telling you this. If you want somebody to have a title match with a stomper, you go get somebody else. As far as I'm concerned, you can get somebody else to wrestle him any, anyway. I don't have to wrestle. I don't have to wrestle him. I don't have to wrestle for you. I don't have to wrestle anybody. I got a world title match coming up, and that's the most important thing on my mind right now. And if you can't understand that, I'm sorry, but I can understand it. I think the fans. Well, you're telling me then that you're not going to wrestle him after the championship. I think you're totally wrong. Please, Eddie. Really not smart business to stand out here and try to run Jerry Lawler. I agree with. We don't want Jerry Lawler leave. And we don't want the stomp of the league. Well, now you're being intimidated. No, I'm not being intimidated. Everybody stands here. Look, look, I told you before, I respect you. I respect you as a great champion. I respect you as a man, as an individual. But I do not understand why everyone will not have a difference of opinion with you. I'm trying to do my job, and there's something else. I want no, no, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Let me finish. Will you let me finish? I'm not trying to run him off. He is going by choice. And I want to inform you on something. 
I don't work for you. I work for myself. I am my own boss. It's my job to put these matches together. And from this point forward, don't you or anyone else or you or you or anyone else try to tell me my job. I'm going to do my job. You're not doing it right when you want to run this I'm man not, off. I'm not trying to run him off. He did by choice. He just said by choice, if you expect me to wrestle for the championship, I'm not going to do it. And you know what that tells you? You don't blame him. Look, Eddie. Let me say one thing. Through the past month, I have respected you immensely. But to see you get on his coattails to try to become popular, I think this is wrong. I have a right to my opinion, and I think he as a champion should be able to represent the wrestling profession with dignity and respect, and that's not what he's doing. You don't need to voice your opinion out here. This is a Thank matter you. of something that he worked well, for all his life. I'm sitting here with three people. Yeah, but You're you got it on the brain about no, him. Wait a minute. Right. I don't have it on the brain. I've given in to him repeatedly, repeatedly, yeah, repeatedly. What have you ever given in to me on anything about it? Come on, come on, Eddie. I mean, look, you know, we're standing out here arguing about it. You're trying to tell me that you don't work for him. He I runs the company. He didn't, he didn't hire me. Now, let's get down to brass. Jerry Jarrett hires me. Now, since we're going to throw it all out in the open... Let's go back and get the well, man that's in charge. Let's get the man that owns the company and get You're not in charge as far as I'm concerned. If you want to expose it, let's get the man out here. <laughs> I just wish one thing. We got... Listen, we got a television person. show to do, Tom. You're I have a I'm... job to do. Well, well I understand that. I have a job to do. I'm calling it as I see it. Jerry Lawler is obviously afraid of the stomper. Now, why, if he's not afraid of him, why, and he says he can You've got him? a stomper-Lawler match that's coming up, and you're going to have an opportunity. What kind of money will that draw? It's not going to draw as much as the other. Let's be sensible, man. Boy, Jerry, I hope we can get this. We've got a television show to complete here, please. So. Jerry, let me well, ask you one thing. Let me just say one thing. They're coming out telling me that I'm totally wrong. I have a free hand to do as I see fit, and since all these people have gathered together, they're being intimidated, I'm going to publicly say I think that you are afraid of the stomper to put up your title. And that has nothing to do with the stomper. I asked for the match with the stomper. And he wanted that a long time before you came here. Please, 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 please. Listen, first of all, I have absolutely no authority. You know that. Eddie, you most of all know that. I'm, I'm embarrassed, and I apologize to the people here for what has taken place today. I... If I had the authority today, I would make some immediate changes in this company. Unfortunately, I don't. And, Eddie, you are responsible for the company. In May, I signed the authority and made you general manager of this company. Now, you hired Tom Ernesto, and I'll admit, I submitted his name to you as a recommendation. But you're in charge of the company, and this fiasco that's taking place out here in front of the public is your responsibility. If I was in charge, I would make some changes this instant. You have either got to let this man do his job as he see fit, or you've got to do it yourself. Now, this is crazy, Eddie. Well, he's got to do his job right. Wait a minute. He said I was in charge. I'm in charge. Go to a break, and we'll settle this in the back. Did you're my boss? Never. Well, you heard it right there. We're going to take a break and get out of this thing.
understanding of this match is that it is a tag team match, so I, I don't know. Here's Eddie Marlin. Yeah, yeah. It must be some misunderstanding. Buddy Wayne has left. Billy Travis will get his five-minute match with Buddy Wayne next week right here on TV. Okay, yeah, no question. He left. That's right. He's gone. Now, the other problem has been corrected. Jerry Lawler will wrestle the Stomper. It'll be a non-title match. Okay, at least we got that. All right, we got a match coming up here. This gentleman has just got through saying that everything has been corrected. I'll tell you how it's been corrected. He just tried to fire me. He can't fire me. I'm going to quit. And let me tell you why I'm quitting. Everyone here, including yourself, Lawler got his way. Lawler got me fired. Lawler's going to go in with a non-tensionship match. Each and every one of you, the fans, all of you here, were all on Lawler's side. Even though this gentleman is sitting quietly, I know he's on Lawler's side. I know that your job depends upon that you do what Lawler tells you. Mine doesn't. I quit. This man's job and his welfare depends upon what Jerry Lawler's going to do. Everyone's afraid of Jerry Lawler. I'm not afraid of him. And I want to tell you something right here and right now. As I said, and not to sound repetitious, I can't be fired because I just quit. I thought it was great to hold you gentlemen in esteem, but I see that you're all paper puppets, each and every one of you, and all you want to do is sit up and okay Jerry Lawler. Let me just say this last thing to you, Lance Russell, before I leave. I've been doing some negotiating myself. I've got a new job as a booking agent. From this point forward, listen to me well, I'm going to book the stomper, and I'm going to be his representative from this point forward. You can keep your job, and as that old song that that hillbilly sings, you can take your job and shove it. Well, I'll tell you what, it works both ways. I used to have a little respect for you, but after that kind of a move with a stomper, you can... Uh, well, I tell you what we can do. We can sit here and argue all day long. I'd like to see a little wrestling myself. Yeah, I would see too. if we can get somebody out here. All right. What a segment that was. Big song go to you first. Um there's a there that was in, that was fascinating to watch because you watched that Tom Ernesto has a lot of valid points. <laughs> if you look at it from a logic perspective, he has a lot of valid points in that thing. You know? He is there to look after the business. Mm-hmm. And if he's looking after the business, He's not going to let Jerry Lawler get away with not defending his title to try to hold on to the shot at player. Absolutely. And, and it, it's about the you know, the match. Lawler says he wants the match, but he doesn't want to defend the title. And Lawler has a very logical reason in doing that, too. But Tom Ernesto's like, what the fuck I got to do with me? I'm My job is to book the most you know, exciting, fascinating shows that we can, and you putting your title on the line against this guy is that. You're going against what I'm supposed to be trying to do here. And then, another thing, too, well, I mean, Law's a baby face, absolutely, but he speak, Renesso speaking truths. What have they been doing all those years? Make, try, making Jerry Lawler happy. It's all about Jerry Lawler, Jerry Lawler, Jerry Lawler, Jerry Lawler, which that's what he's supposed to. I mean, that's the babyface thing to do because they're babyfaces, but it also is truthful. You know, I mean, Memphis does. This is again, this is classic Memphis. They do these intricate angles that nobody else could ever do. 
nobody, nobody could pull this off like they could just then. You got the whole thing where Eddie, you know, Eddie was now in charge because Jerry signed it over to him when Jerry went back to be an active wrestler. And Jerry is the owner, but he has no power because he signed it away to the, the Marlin. And but he said, this is what I would do. And then all this other stuff. And then you got Lawler out there, you know, truthfully saying, listen, my my mind's on flair. I'll wrestle the stomper, but the title's not on the line. So this is my motivation. But Renesto said, well, you know, Lance Russell, Eddie Marlin, all you guys do is try to make Jerry Lawler happy. You're his puppets, which that's true as well. So just fascinating, fascinating stuff there. Bo, uh, Bo, watching that, what, what what were your thoughts on that? <clears throat> Buddy Wayne left because he did not want to see the new Fabulous Ones music video. <laughs> <laughs> or Tommy Wright's music video. Yeah. It, it only works in Memphis. Only. The only place that no, happens. No other territory does the lead babyface have a relationship with the commentators that Lawler, Lance, and Dave have. Mm-hmm. Not and even P- with Johnny Weaver and Bob Cottle. Not, you know, yeah. this place. And, 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 and people do know that he's more than just a wrestler, I'm sure. A lot, a lot of the fans probably knew that he there was something going on. I, don't I would, know that I would believe know- that. I don't. I really don't think that they knew that he owned points. Well, that's what I'm saying. Maybe not owning points, but yeah. the, he he was involved. Let's put it that way. Yeah, well, they knew he was the face of the promotion. They knew he was the guy that was always doing the public appearances and the commercials, and you know, they knew he was the cash cow. He was the man. Yeah. And. You know, then they knew Lance had known him since he was a kid because they had talked about that on TV for years. Mm-hmm. And they knew that uh, Lance and Dave and Lawler were all friends away from the cameras and that Lance and Dave were always pulling for him. Mm-hmm. They they knew that Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler were friends <clears throat> and Eddie Marlins, you know, so they knew that. And Eddie and so, Marlins, Jerry Jarrett's father-in-law. Yeah. So he's like an adopted member of the family. So it's it's all that rolled into one, and here's this guy. And notice how quiet that studio was when Lance and Ernesto were talking. Mm-hmm. And ha- nobody made a sound until Lawler walked out there. They mm-hmm. were listening. And also notice this, and you may have missed this. When the interview started, where are they doing the interview? It's at the main set. Beside the the desk. And the other camera was in the way for a minute or two. Yeah. And then it moved. And then they did another shot, and another guy was in the way. That was by design to make you think you're seeing something they're not ready to shoot, and you're not supposed to see. It's one of those live television, you know. Right. It's this thing that, you know. could pull that off, too. Because they were live. Yeah, but they they could make because all the other interviews are over there. All the other stuff that cameraman's moved. All the other stuff. Wait a minute, this ain't supposed to be going on. Why aren't we not having wrestlers out here? Why is nobody yelling and screaming? 
oh shit, we're seeing something we're not supposed to see right now. And they they mentioned that we this is something for the back. We need to do this in the back. Yeah, yeah. Memphis was the best at those kind of, of angles, and and they did them for years. Mm-hmm. And they could they could go back to one. Remember that time? And people's like, yeah, I remember that. They played up their history better than any other territory ever. Nobody comes close. No. And nobody would even, you know, like mention guys from years past. Mm-hmm. Like Lance Wood and Dave Wood. You know who this guy reminds me of? He reminds me of, you know, whoever. Oh, he does. And the guys are just, I mean, you had the guys that would come back, like Sputnik Monroe would show up. Uh, you know, after a long time, Jackie Fargo yeah. pops in and out, you know, I mean, just, just different legends and stuff like that, you know? So it's all about your rewarded for watching their, their product for all those years, because yeah. you see stuff that happens all the time. And even with all the Gaga and Dr. Frank and the zombie and Freddie and Leatherface and everything else, they made you believe it was a legitimate sport. Yeah, well, it was one of those things. It was one of those things where I think everybody's in on it, you know. Well, something like that with Doctor Frank and stuff like that. Okay, we get it. You know, this is entertainment. Nightmare Freddy. We get it. You know, we know we know that this isn't real. It's about the entertainment factor, and they condition their fans to believe that more than any any other territory could do try doing nightmare freddy in jim crop promotions try oh, doing God. try doing um your dr frank in georgia championship wrestling hey I mean, try doing it in the wwf <laughs> yeah it's Even cartoon there it wouldn't work it's cartoon but they made but, you believe that hey this guy's a little crazy he may hurt somebody but the thing is, is that, I mean, you, you had the situation with Tom Ernesto where he's, he, you know, gets heedless and more time goes on. But if you look at it logically, you understand that he has a lot of valid points. He does, but he's not from here. He's an outsider trying to tell us what to do. There's that. Yeah, there's that too. Mm-hmm. There's that factor as well. Absolutely. Very intricate stuff. I mean, extremely intricate. So, I mean, that, I mean, that's, that's fascinating that that, that they you know, did that. And Renesto, I mean, what a promo he what what a promo he cut. Yeah, you know, laying it all out there. And I don't work for you, Tony Andy Marlin, because the whole thing when when that started was him and Andy were partners. They were co-promoters. Yep. They shared the same job. And then here's Jerry telling him, no, I signed it over to Eddie in May. So, and Tom's like, I don't work for him. (laughs) You know, and I mean, just, yeah, just classic stuff, man. Classic stuff. And people always talk about, you know, this era of Memphis in general about how it's not as good as any of the other eras. Well, there is some validity to that, you know, in some ways, but still, even in that type of deal, 
where you got an era where the, the product isn't as strong, you get angles like this. You know? Yeah. Bumper had not been around in six years. Yeah. You know, that's another thing, like you're talking about. People can go away for six years, come back, and, you know, remember what he was when he was there before, how dangerous he was and everything, and just carries it right back in. And Renesto stays around for, you know, till November, and then he leaves and Stomper leaves. And basically, when, when Dundee comes back, the writing's on the wall. Yeah, Bill gets the book, comes back. So that's pretty much the, the end of, the, of, of that story. But, uh, well, that, okay, that's just fascinating stuff. Bixie, any more thoughts before we move on? It's just really well executed. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, and there's just something about Memphis where the arguments come off naturally. When it's mm -hmm. not strictly a babyface heel confrontation, when it's people arguing, it's unique to Memphis. The heels have legitimate beefs. The Memphis is one of the main territories, if not really the only territory. I mean, you had that in other places too, but Memphis is the main one where even though they're heels, they have legitimate arguments. You can you can understand where they're coming from. This is an amazing territory. That's why it's the best. This made the stuff. All right. So, um, Miss Afghanistan on September sixteenth. We have Tommy Wright over the spoiler. Frank Morrell in your opening match. Tojo Yomoto over Tom Branch. Sean O'Reilly over Taurus Bulba by disqualification. Jerry Jarrett and Candy Devine over Buddy Wayne and Sherry Martell. What a match, Bo. <laughs> sure. What a match. Who, I can tell you who was not happy. <laughs> uh, Billy Travis and Coco Ware with the Black Shadow and Mr. Class, Ken Thames. Southern Tag Titles, Jonathan Boy and Rip Morgan defeated the Fabs. Stan and Steve to win the championships. Buddy Roberts and Terry Gordy going to a double countout with Phil Hickerson and Rocky Johnson. Then Lawler going to a no contest with the Stomper. Obviously, the Black Shadow is subbing for Ron Sexton. Yeah. Who was Mr. Class's partner here. And this, I think this is the last of the Freebirds appearances. And why the Freebirds in Memphis? Tom Ernesto. Yep. That's why they come back here in 85. He gave, I mean, he gave them their big break. He's he's booking here. They come in and have a hell of a run here. Ooh, Lawler Island Hickerson. So you mean Tom Ernesto did do some good things. Which break did he give them originally? Na Nashville. Okay. Coolest <clears throat> for first because yeah, first place they, as the Freebird. Well, they had the one week in Memphis and then went to no 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 Nashville. Memphis Memphis was after. They they left Culkin. They left the Culkins. They did the outlaw for Culkins, and then they yeah. went to Nashville. No, they went to Memphis first because it was closest. They did one TV, and then they were gone because they didn't have a spot for them. So they went to Nashville. Well, that must have been all they did was TV because I don't have any of your house shows. Yeah, shows. they did one TV. They okay. did a. Uh, they did TV that morning, and they didn't have a spot for them, so they got in the car and drove to Nashville. Yeah, and then they worked for Goulas and, you know, because Gordy had already worked Memphis by himself. Yeah. He was working Memphis before he went to Culkins. So, so yeah. All right, Louisville, 
on the 17th. Of course, that's a week behind on the Memphis with the TV. Bota over Sean O'Reilly. Jerry Jarrett and Kenny Devine over Buddy Wayne and Sherry Martell. Stomper over Tracy Smothers. Toge over Tars Bulba by DQ. Black Shadow, Seven Haran Sexton, and Mr. Glass over Billy Travis and Coco Ware. Southern Tag Titles match. The Faz retained the belts they just lost the previous night. We behind. Uh, beating the Sheepers in a no DQ, no time limit match. And a Hickerson and Lawler beat Buddy Roberts, Terry Gordy in a Bad Street match. So, uh. I wish we had the Buddy stuff from here. We got Hayes and Gordon, but we don't have Buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Which, it pro- you know, maybe some of that stuff probably air. We just don't have the. The arena show. Yeah. Uh, very little of the arena show from uh, this era. So. Uh, 85 is uh, when we have a lot, isn't it? Not of this era. Uh, not of this late in 85. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's more of 86 than any time for the arena show. Yeah. All right. Let's go to Mid-South Wrestling. And very interesting angle going on here. So Bill Watts starts the show. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Dick Murdoch, and Butchery. Hacksaw Butchery, the three top baby faces, standing there at the desk with Bill Watts. And he's talking about a situation they have going on, Ric Flair. Listen to this and notice the similarities between here and what we just listened to in Memphis. Say, who's leaving his booker here and is about to start booking Memphis? <laughs> well, it's... There, it's not the. I get what you're saying, but there's nothing. There's nothing there to that. Okay. We're going to um, the do, uh, the we'll in our Mid South Sports Cowboy Bill Watt. Well, I'm standing here, and I'm very privileged. I think I'm standing among three of the greatest athletes in wrestling today. You can go anywhere in the world, and you're not going to find three better competitors. But a very controversial situation. Ric Flair, the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, has sent an ultimatum to Mid South. He has faced each one of these men and been taken to the wall. And I don't think he wants any more with either one of them. So he has said that the only person he will wrestle when he comes back to the Mid-South is the North American champion, that the North American champion is the number say. one contender. Now, certainly being a North American champion for seven years, I know how important this title is, and I know the pressure on you. And I also think that Ric Flair is trying to cloud the issue and avoid meeting anybody. He kind of wants to create a war... And then he wants to try to pick off the survivor. Now, Butch, you came back to Mid-South with one goal in mind, to be the first black world heavyweight champion. You've won the television title. You've taken Ric Flair right to the limit. Matter of fact, in New Orleans, such a controversial situation. Many people feel you're the underground world heavyweight champion. What do you think of this new situation? Whoa, 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 whoa. Excuse me, Butch. Bill, you know yourself, no matter what sport you're in today, that you always talk to the champion first. And then you go ahead and talk to the challenger or the challengers. Now, go ahead and talk to me first. That's right, Dickie. Excuse me. You are the North American champion. You've won that title. You're an international star. What do you think of this situation? Well, Ric Flair is trying to dodge each and every one of us. But he said it fast. He said it right there. Right here is the issue. Right here is the North American Heavyweight Championship belt. I am the champion. I am the contender for the World Heavyweight title, but I'm sorry. You're a great wrestler. But I'm that much better, and I am the champion. Well, Butch, again, that issue is the North American title. Flair's trying to make that the key issue. Well, you know Flair's trying to cause dissension, just like you said. But if it's got to be that way for me to be to get the Ric Flair, 
You take on Dick Murdoch, and that's where it's got to be. That's where it's got to be, Murdoch. You the North American champion. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute, tough guy. Oh, I saw Jim Duggan's been there too, fellas. So if you guys want to talk about competing with the world champions, you don't put Hacksaw Jim Duggan in the back of any line, baby. I'm here. I'm standing tall. Well, as you see with this crowd reaction, this could become a tremendously controversial situation. Ric Flair may have accomplished his goal. We'll be back with more Mid-South right after these exciting messages. So we have the same premise, but a totally different way of going about it. And this right here is all the setup Murdoch's heel turn coming up in November with DiBiase. And, you know, we get Murdoch and Reed feud out of this as well for the title. So you get the same premise you get in Memphis, but totally differently worked. And both of them worked great for those for those promotions in that way. Although both do end up with Flair not defending against the stated champion. <clears throat> Flair defending against everybody. No, but I mean like the big match. <clears throat> like, yes, he yeah. defends against everyone here, but it's building up to the DiBiase turn where yeah. DiBiase gets it because the champion can't wrestle. And yeah. in Memphis, it's Coco Ware who is the Mid-America champion and gets Dundee to put up the title shot because Dundee wants all the belts, so he does it to get the Mid-America title shot. I mean, to get a shot at, at Coco's Mid-America title, so he, he puts his shot at Flair up against it. Well, he puts the Southern title. Wait, did Coco win the Southern title, or was it yes, two? Yes, okay, That's right, that's right, yep. that's right. Because Bill did not want to work with Flair. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And neither did Lawler. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, totally different ways of going about this, Bo. And that's what I love about the different territories and how they handle a very similar angle of, of you know, a structure of an angle, but go about it completely different ways. But to Bix's point, who's the booker in Mid-South? <clears throat> well, Dundee is still Dundee. there right now, yes. He's still the booker. Who did he learn from? Lawler and Jared. Jer Jerry, Jerry, Jerry Lawler. Okay, how do we handle the world championship? Because here, here's the deal. When the world champion comes to town, if he wrestles your top guy, your top guy has no opponent after that match. He's, he's not going to beat him, so he's either going to get beat or it's going to be a DQ, which is dead or they're going to go to a draw. So you have to worry about the business after the world champion is here. So <clears throat> they both set up to where there is a stomper, Renesto Lawler situation. When flair leaves, they set up in mid South where there's the Deviasi Murdoch, Butch Reed, Hacksaw, Duggan situation. When flair leaves, you got to worry about the week after the champion comes. You build to the big show with the world title. Business is going to drop off the week after, but you better pick it right back up the next week. 
So that's the Dundee has taken the Tennessee mindset to mid south. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that Dundee, I mean, Dundee is talking to Lawler and Jared. So he just he, came he's, in. He's, he's coming back. To, you know, he's about to, uh, he's about to go back to Memphis. Yeah. So yeah. he just came in for the, uh, there was a, it, it may be, I think it's already happened. I think it happened in August where Dundee came in and worked with somebody and Boda worked with Michael Hayes and they drew that yeah. big house. Yeah. That's what happened. Yeah. So he's been talking to him because he's came in and made the shot and said, Hey, how about I come back here? So yeah, they're all talking. Yeah. And who, here's the deal too. Both of these could have been Jerry Jarrett's idea, or both of these could have been Lawler's idea, or both of these could have been Dundee's idea. Cause Dundee could have asked, we've got Flair coming. What do you think? Or we got Flair coming, and I'm thinking about doing this. And Jarrett Lawler go, huh, what would you do with ours? We'll do this. They're all connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, this is uh, in Mid-South that we talked about on the previous show with Diff 85 and, you know, what they were looking like at that point in time. Now, with this, then Slater and Sawyer coming in, DiBiase about to turn babyface. Now this promotion is about to get really kicking. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. At the TV tapings in Shreveport on September 11th, Tim Ashley suffered a serious concussion after getting elbowed in the head hard by the Barbarian off the top rope. Talk is he's even going to retire over it. Bix, I plugged the uh, I plugged it into the notes. I didn't have it in there before. I forgot. The I plugged video? it in there. No, this is from the actual match. Okay. So, so let's watch the clip here, and uh, let's watch and see what happens here. And watch Tim Ashley after uh, Barbarian hits him, what, what he does. No question about it. And they are completely annihilating Constance and Ashley, a pair of men that are extremely powerful themselves, but they're up against so much great strength. And look at that. My goodness. Fencing reflex then wakes up, but has no idea where he is. Basically says, "Oh shit!" Yeah. And watch, watch, watch this. Dragging him like a sack of nothing. Look at him. Gives him a wedgie that throws him out of the ring. Basically. Yeah, he don't have a clue where he's at. Really put the punishment to the barbarian. He goes for the arm with reversal. All right. All right, got Jake and Barbarian now, so we're good. So, yeah, this would be become famous from the potato video, bumps video that Watts did at the end of the year, where they talked about that, and uh, basically made it sound like he Tim Ash is a big pussy because he didn't come back to wrestling after this, which he didn't. He quit. I mean, how's the potato video not on YouTube? That needs to be rectified. It used to I be. I used to have it, and I don't have it anymore. I've tried to find it for years. It used to be. It's on, uh, it's somewhere. It's Bobby somewhere. Gordon got that hard way on the steps and the concussion. Yeah, I, I, I know what it aired on, and I have it on numerous things on DVD. So it aired on Power Pro. Yes. Yes, it aired on Power Pro. 
So, but I think it, I think it may have also aired on a episode of Mid South Wrestling. It did. I had it off of uh, November '85, Mid South. Uh, the first the first uh, result I have for the potato video is the first one aired November third, Power Pro. That's not. I don't know if it's this one or not. Uh, also aired on the November twenty third episode of Mid South Wrestling. That's video what I number, had it on. Video number two aired on December first, Power Pro Wrestling, and uh, aired on the J- January fourth, eighty sixth episode of Mid South Wrestling. So, yeah, and I'll see if I can find it as I go through the magic of YouTube here. Uh, let's see. Right. Thing is, you you spend enough time in the ring, you're eventually going to get a concussion like that. Yeah, and Barbarian, I mean, he came down with a lot of force. His whole body landed on his head. Yeah. Yeah, he came down with a lot of force. Okay, I'm looking at Potato Video 1 now. I'm seeing if it's on that one. Uh, yes. Okay. Bix, do you want to watch the whole potato video, or do you want to isolate? Um, I forget. It's not long, right? It's uh, about four minutes. Let's play it so people get the full. Yeah, I want to see it. I'm not seeing it. And it has the intro. And it has the intro with uh, Jim Ross talking about the lapidated chairs, right? Oh no! This has Bill, it's Bill Watson boy Pierce giving the intro. Oh, okay. Mine's from mine's from Mid South. Doesn't he yeah. also talk about dilapidated chairs though? That's Bill Watts ta- doing Bill Watts things. So, all right. So, are you sending me this link? Yeah. All right. You don't see them, so they're not count when you see their injuries. But injuries are real. It's not like Titan Sports where they have gimmick wooden chairs that when they hit the guy, the chair breaks <laughs> off perfectly because it's been free sawed. Let's look at some. <laughs> <laughs> together with steel chairs that are getting bent, and you can hear people's heads ring. Just for context, this is shortly after the uh, Steamboat Morocco angle after Steamboat Fuji, where Morocco <laughs> hits Steamboat with the very obviously... Uh, that piss Watts off so much. <laughs> A very dilapidated looking chair. Yeah. Some of the most devastating blows in wrestling have come when steel chairs have been used as offensive weapons. Take, for example, this incident. That I don't think this is the beginning of the video in the full version. Yeah, it is. Oh, it is? Okay. Occurred during a signing for a Mid-South tag title match between the Fantastics and the Midnight Express. Dennis Condry blinds Fulton and Rogers, allowing Bobby Eaton to blast away. Oh. Oh. Watch again in slow motion. Yeah, that last one. You can hear the steel crack as it collides with flesh and bone. Dutch Mantel gave the snowman a rude awakening in this TV title battle. What this boy knocked the snowman off his feet and might have contributed to his hasty decision to leave the midfield <laughs> rings. Jake Roberts used a chair to augment oh. the already punishing DDT. Slow motion or not, this move was truly devastating. Taylor received eight stitches later that evening. 
chairs are not the only weapons that have been used effectively in the squared circle, as we watch Dr. Death waffle Terry Taylor with a football helmet. Watch the incident Ouch. again at regular speed. It looks just as punishing. Ouch. Bobby Fulton suffered a blow to the back of the head in Tulsa, which resulted in 16 stitches. You may want to turn your head as we look at this frozen shot of the wound. Uh, Joel, you're the one editing this video. Maybe you should have waited until you finished saying that to show the picture. Because <laughs> he wants you to see it. That's right. Some fans have questioned the dangerous nature oh, of the Oh, yes. Believe it, folks. <laughs> this hold is not to be taken lightly. Landing on Josh your back Charles. allows the impact to be spread over a larger area. But still yet, the spinal column, kidneys, spleen, and lungs suffer severe concussion due to the stiffness of the wrestling ring. Even more punishing is the shock that occurs when a wrestler lands on his head. In slow motion, you can see the impact, even though Joshua Stroud's head drops slightly out of the uh, A similar incident occurred during this tag team match when Al Perez body slammed Bob Sweetan. Sweetan didn't see too much more action in the match as he let the three teammates handle the situation. Oh, well, that's, that's the part I'm going to want to watch over and over again. <laughs> Body Slam 85 by Al Perez. <laughs> Sometimes falls to the head are hard to see during fast-paced action. Oh, this one. As evidenced by this sequence. <laughs> Keep an eye on the head of Bobby Fulton as he goes over Dr. Death's shoulder in an attempted reverse of a bear hug. Oh. Here's a similar drive involving Steve Constant as he gets tripped by the bruiser. It happens so fast that you can barely see the impact of Steve's head. Focus your attention on the head of Constant. As you watch the incident in the slow motion, you can see his head bounce off the concrete. Many wrestlers have been fatally injured in similar incidents. When Constant first arrived in Mid-South, he had a partner named Tim Ashley. Ashley changed his mind about being a pro wrestler after receiving this elbow from the Barbarian. Ashley suffered a concussion from the impact. And as you can see from the look on his face, this was a very painful experience. Oftentimes, the human body is the most effective weapon. Watch as Butch hits Tim Horner with a big forearm. In stop action, you can see Horner's nose flowing crimson as soon as he hits the mat. Oh, man. And finally, we have an example of a perfectly executed dropkick. Oh, he dropkicked him right in the face. dropkick requires precise timing in order to make it connect. If the wrestler who is about to be dropkicked sees the maneuver in time, he can sometimes get out of the way. Oh, he didn't get him in the face, but he still, okay. In this case, Rogers was two days to react. They shouldn't have slowed that one down so much, because you can actually see him trying to go for the chest and protect him. Yeah. And he got it flushed to the jaw. He got his jaw to... Like I say, Mid-South Sports is number one. With all the ratings. It's not on USK cable. It's not out of New York. It's not showbiz. These injuries are by tough athletes. These are the ruggedest guys in wrestling. We demand they be athletes and be in shape. We don't have a Hulk Hogan, a world's champion that's never been over eight minutes in anything except playing in the band. We bring in Rick Flair, <laughs> the toughest guy in the world. Next week, Al Perez. Humongous. We have a great card for you. We hope to have more information on Ted DiBiase. As of this point, his career is over, but we will keep you updated. Hi. <laughs> oh, I love it. 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 Isn't there a second Never. video, too? That's the second famous? video. Yeah, no. This is more famous. The second video shows 
other stuff, but it mainly focuses on DiBiase Murdoch. Okay. The angle recaps that, but Jesus, that's, <laughs> that's amazing, amazing stuff. That was like the, porn for t- the tape the traders. The chair shot that Bobby Fulton takes in the ring from Bobby Eaton was bad, but was nowhere near as the bad as the one he took at TBS Studios in '88. Oh yeah, well they redid this thing all over again. Yes. Well, and he's in the he's in the straight jacket, and yeah, Bobby Butte knocks him out cold. <laughs> Bobby just took a chair. Oh yeah, you knew not to let Butte hit you with the chair. <clears throat> Everything else was so easy and great. He had a chair. Go to the dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> the, one of the worst concussions I ever got was from Bobby Fulton. He hit me with the ring bell in Kinston, North Carolina. And I'd like to never got home. I didn't know wh- what world I was in. <laughs> uh, the potato video. It, it, it was like porn for the... Uh, yeah, that one right there, Bix. <laughs> Play that one. <laughs> Just so you can hear it. It sounded like he threw a coconut at the chair. (laughs) And he's out. Yeah, I'd say. Good lord. Just dragging him around, trying to. (laughs) Good lord. They were going to hold him and let Cornette slap him, but Cornette just got on and started punching him (laughs) because they couldn't get him up. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to New Orleans, September 16th at the Lakefront Arena. We have a card here. Loser gets five lashes. Bill Dundee and Dutch Mantel against Fantastics. Nord, the Barbarian, against Jake the Snake. Wendell Cooley and Al Perez defend the Mid-South Tag Titles against Bob Sweetan and Dr. Death. Murdoch defend North America Tag against Butchery. And lights out match, Duggan against Atbar. Then we go to Houston, Paul Bosch, September 13th, San Jose Coliseum. El Corsario, uh, Savio Vega over Pat Rose. Mr. Kareem Muhammad over Carl Stiles. Jake the Snake over Jerry Gray. Eddie Gilbert over the Nightmare, Randy Culley. Fantastics over Bill Dundee and Dutch Mantel. Humongous going to a no contest with Dick Murdoch. A-Train Tough Guy match. Hacksaw Duggan over Skandar Atbar. Hacksaw Butchery retained the Mid-South TV title, beating Nord, the Barbarian. Mid-South Tag Titles, Win the Cooley Now Perez, retained over Bruiser Bob and Dr. Death. And in the main event, and this is the Houston main event, Metzka Death Match, Chavo Guerrero over Alberto Madrill. I wonder if this is the night that Bobby Fulton hit Dutch with the bullwhip. Well, they worked everywhere, so, I mean... Yeah, but it was in Houston. And if you work with Dutch, they'll don't get the whip. It's his gimmick. Don't get the whip, <laughs> unless you're Bill Dundee. Dundee handled the whip with the circus and did a little show with it. When they had the bullwhip match in 83, they did that video with Dundee. It's pretty impressive of him busting the balloons and all that stuff with the bullwhip. That's where I learned how to use 
the bullwhip from Dundee and Dutch. So they start hot, all four of them in there. Dutch is rolling out of the ring, and Bobby picks the whip up and snaps it, but not knowing what he's doing, and hit Dutch right between the eyes with the cracker on the whip, which is a little rope that makes the noise and also will cut the pee out of you. He's in the ring shaking his butt, doing the strut and everything. Dutch is on the floor having a fit. He's so mad. Dutch grabs a chair and chucks it as hard as he can trying to hit Bobby. <laughs> Bobby floating chairs. <laughs> and it hit the top rope and came right back and hit Dutch in the mouth. <laughs> so he's got a busted lip, hard way in the mouth, hard way between his eyes. He finally got the thing, picked it up, went in the ring and threw it like an axe and took Bobby's legs out from underneath him. Oh, oh the good old days. <laughs> But yeah, this is shows the difference. Is still this is still Paul Bosch promotion. We yeah. have the non Mid South main event here with Chavo and, and Madrill because it's Houston centric. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. World class championship wrestling. My Viner's doing a lot better. He suffered no brain damage, nor long lasting kidney damage. He only weighs about 145 right now, so he's very weakened from the ordeal. But yes, as Dave feared, and as everyone Dave's taught to figured, Mike will be a ringside the Cotton Bowl. Dave doesn't know anyone who would stoop lower to sell tickets than that. Although Dave could just see then bringing out Jay Youngblood's casket and having the heel spit on it before a Starcade match if Steamboat hadn't jumped. Wow! Uh, <laughs> wow! Um. I listened to the show two weeks ago. Like I listen every week. Yeah. And, you know, they're talking about no brain damage and all that stuff. Yeah. I believe there was. And there so was. was a lot of other people. Just there was. What we saw. But I was thinking about when the Heroes of World Class came out. Which is on YouTube, about, by the way, now. Oh, it's okay. Yes. Well, they, they talk about this in, in the documentary. And they said that, you know, the real press is in there asking questions. And it was the, is wrestling fake? All the common crap. And Mercer's the one that asked the most important question to the doctor during the press conference. With a temperature that high, wouldn't that cause brain damage? And the rest mm -hmm. of the media kind of laughed about it. But, because they, they probably, some of them probably thought it was a damn wrestling angle. Mm-hmm. I think they did. Yeah. And by parading him out there at the Cotton Bowl, I think they made a lot of people believe that, too. Well, Dave has more of this. Surprise, Dave didn't, surprise, Dave didn't find the way the Dallas Russia handled the Mike Van Aaron case offensive in the least. He admits Fritz tried to steal the show at the press conference, but to see him Florida wrestling late 1984, Dave's tolerance for bad taste is incredible. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, we talked about that. We played the clip. You know, Fritz was fritzing up at the press conference. You know, yeah, he, he was he wasn't going to give an opportunity to anybody to say or make one of his boys look weaker, non superhero. You know, anything. Yeah, he was going to protect that image that he had made of him at all costs. It's sad. It's a whole sad situation this with Mike. You know, 
the whole family, but especially him. Yeah. He was thrown into a spot to fill David's shoes. Couldn't do it. No one could. He really didn't want to be a wrestler. Everything that I've ever heard from anybody that knew him just talked about what a sweetheart he was, what a just a good kid he was. And he just got pushed to a point that he thought there's no way out of this. And the thing is, is that he gets he gets this toxic shock syndrome from a staph infection from a surgery. Yeah. You know, just the, the flukiest damn thing well, to happen. And from an instrument being left in him, too. Yeah, yeah. it's just the flukiest thing. Off, off of a drop kick. <laughs> yeah. That's how he got hurt. He threw a drop kick, and when he came down, he came over too much and landed on his elbow, and it pushed his shoulder right out. So in the WWE World Class documentary, they have footage of him that's clearly him separating his shoulder in Israel, and I believe it's a different spot. I think he's just, like, selling getting a punch, and he's feeding around after, and his shoulder goes out. Well, that, I think that's following the drop kick. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the drop, that, the drop kick put his shoulder all the, almost all the way out. In the, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And then when or it was just dangling, then when he took the bump from that, then there it goes. But, yeah, you know, everybody's always said it was just from a drop kick. He just, the way he didn't get rotated right, he came down wrong. Boom. Yeah. All right. Um, we got Fort Worth on September 13th. Kelly Kaniski over Ronji, John Tatum, Hollywood John Tatum over Mike Reed. Chris Adams went to a draw with Brian Adias. Scott Casey over Jim Powers. You look good, Jim. And I spent King Parsons and Kerry Von Eric over Mark Lewin in the one-man game by disqualification. Who so, was Ronji? Ronji was a guy that they brought in from the Middle East. And he does not stay very long. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any memory of him at all. Yeah, he he appeared, he he made tape, and it was on Fort Worth shows. But he made tape, but he did not last long, not long at all. Jim Powers is one of my favorite people in the world. Yeah, Jim, who openly admitted. No, I'm sorry, I was thinking of Jimmy Powell. Never mind, Jim Powers. <laughs> I didn't know. Jim Jimmy Powell was here shortly before this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Jim Jim Powers, just you know, young stallions, Jim Powers. Yeah, so, yeah. That guy. And, he, yeah, I remember his run there. And yeah, he, he opened the, he had quit, went back. He, yeah. he, he felt like he he felt like he wasn't going to get pushed the way he thought he was. Yeah. So, so he goes back to WF as a job guy. Yeah, but he was and, probably making more money in New York doing jobs. Well, he he admitted in a shooter interview that I watched with him one time that leaving Dallas was the biggest mistake of his life. Yeah, because it, it would have probably opened him up for other places, is you know getting a push. Mm-hmm. So because he he could have went to Louisiana or Tennessee or maybe Crockett, uh, you know, just on his look alone. If he would have just got seasoned while he was in Dallas. Yeah. Portland. Yeah. yeah. I, I could see Bill Watts taking him in a heartbeat. Possibly. Yeah. All right, Biscuit, ready for some 1985 Dave here. Hollywood John Tatum will team with some new girl they're introducing against Scott Casey and Sunshine. 
Sunshine, who looks significantly trashier each time I see her, was attacked out of the crowd twice by the as-of-yet-unnamed female. Sunshine has also slapped Tatum once or twice. Dave reiterates, Sunshine has turned into one of the trashiest-looking girls on any TV show. Not just wrestling TV shows. I'm not sure what person is making the decision to dress her up like a, well, you get the picture, but a cheap one at that. Wow! <laughs> Sunshine here um, definitely was not 1984 Sunshine. I mean, that is that is the definite fact. She was probably having some problems. She was. You know. And the thing was, I mean, she was always known as being one that, you know, the heaviest drinkers in the territory. But that, I think she was more involved in harder stuff here. They said she could drink more Jack Daniels than anybody. Her and Buddy Roberts. Yeah. They were best friends. Yeah. Because of that. <clears throat> all the all the Freebirds and, uh, and, and all them would be passed out. And Buddy and Sunshine are, are the ones left standing. Yeah. Still drinking. But yeah, this is like her Stevie Nicks phase in this era here, you know. And Missy coming in looking like Missy looked. At this point in time, just really made Sunshine look old. You know? The the Fantastic said that when they saw Missy the first time, they thought they'd hired a model out of a magazine. <laughs> and this is before Missy had got the breast reduction surgery. I mean, she, she was something else <laughs> at this point in time. I tell you. So... Wow. Yes. They was they was they was uh let it all out here on this one. That's up. <clears throat> all right, Texas All Star Wrestling. Just watching Texas All Star Wrestling out of curiosity. So a lot better than when it started, giving some young wrestling experience. By far the best of the newcomers is Shawn Michaels, who they think should be the rookie of the year, even ahead of Jack Victory. Another rookie, Mike Golden, who was a jobber of Florida, is doing a 100% Ric Flair imitation, but minus the good interviews and good matches. He's another wrestler with a valet. It's fantasy. All right, they had a show at the Freeman Coliseum on September 15th. Sakalia against Manuel Villalobos. Terry Daniels went to a draw with Nick Kaniski. Dale Vizi. Ass. Uh, retained the USA Junior Heavyweight title, beating Rick McCord. Ass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Rick McCord had a good time in that match. Mike Golden over Joe Lightfoot, Big Bubba Ottman, and Pepe Gonzalez over went against J.R. Hogg in Little Tokyo. And then our main event, Alberto Madrill in the Hoods, that'll be Ricky Santana and Tony Torres in their mask, over Chava Guerrero and American Force, Paul Diamond and Shawn Michaels. Look at how many touring little people there still was in '85. Oh yeah, they're they're for, bouncing through around all the results, the results from Canada to South Texas. Yeah, but here's Dave Pimp and Shawn Michaels for the first time, basically. So, and Shawn, you watch Shawn in Mid South, you know, and work when he worked world class, and you know you can see the guy may have had some potential. And then you see him here in Texas All-Star with Paul Diamond. It's like, wow. I mean, it's like, he, 
you know, you can see this guy could really be something. Yeah. In just a short amount of time. Yeah, he was a natural. He really was. He really was. And I like Texas All-Star. I thought it was fun television. I've got to see some of it. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. All right, Kansas City. Bo, did you, you listened to the last 85 show, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, notice that when I was talking about how the territory changed once Terry Garvin left. Well, let's look. Let's go down these results, and you'll even more proof of it. <laughs> September 12th at Memorial Hall in Kansas City drew 800 fans. We have the Bad Twins over Sheikh Abdullah and Ricky Starr, not the famous one. Starship Coyote, Scott Hall over Gypsy Joe. Mr. Pogo over Gary Jackson. Gary Royal retained the NBA World Junior title beating downtown Danny Brown. Akio Sato over David Peterson. And Bulldog Bob Brown, Mr. Poco, and Edgar Boo Thomas over Bruiser Brody, Art Cruz, and Rufus R. Freight Train Jones. Flash forward to Kansas City the next week. Six hundred. There were some potatoes in that six man right there. And Bob <laughs> Brown and Rufus didn't want no part of it. <laughs> we, we get this. We go back to Kansas City two, a week later and they lose 200 fans, 600 fans at Memorial Hall. Where Ricky Starr over Rick Brewer, Gary Royal over Gary Jackson, Akio Sato over Art Cruz, Mr. Pogo retained the Central States heavyweight title, beating Big John Harris. My Ooh. God. Then we have Rufus R. Jones winning an arm wrestling contest over Ed Carboo Thomas by disqualification. The Batten Twins over Sheikh Abdul and Starship Coyote. Rufus then went to a WDQ with Ed Carboo Thomas. And then Bulldog Bob Brown went to a WDQ with Ted DiBiase. Notice Bro. the notice the crew here now that Terry Garf has gone. <laughs> yeah. Brody drew that extra two hundred. <laughs> Yeah, this is a lot of a lot of brawling guys, a lot, a lot of brute type guys. I once asked Ricky about Ed Carboo Thomas, and he said he's in the Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> I said, "Really? For what?" He goes, "Being the stiffest person that was ever in the ring." <laughs> he said, "Him and Del Vesey were the stiffest guys that he ever worked with." <laughs> Del Vesey worked stiff, huh? Yeah. <laughs> And Gypsy Joe has worked with everybody. Oh, yeah. But, man, what a crew was, this is. Was Rick Stewart there, or is he still in Alabama? Uh, he's he's here. Yeah. He's announcing here. No, it's uh, Gordon is in Continental. Oh, yeah. We switched to Continental from – yeah, that's right. So Rick, Rick, Rick went to work for Ann Gunkel, too, for a short time, didn't he? Uh, yeah, very short time. Yeah, and then went to Kansas City. Yeah. And his reputation preceded him. <laughs> well, Rick McCord's not here no more either, so oh. so we're missing those types of guys, yes. All right, then, the AWA. We have Milwaukee on September 14th for 3,672 fans. Jimmy Garvin or Buck Zumhoff in your opener. Boris Zukov over Brad Rangans, Katie Devine over Sherry Martell, the Irwins over Baron Von Raschke and Kurt Henning, Terry Gordy over Crusher Blackwell by disqualification, Rip Martell retained the world heavyweight title over Michael Hayes, and Greg Gagne and Sergeant Slaughter over Nick Botwinkle and Larry Zabisco by disqualification. So, good looking car, but not drawing mm -hmm. the greatest of houses 
That's like a half, um, a little over half a house in that building. And speaking of, times are getting tough in some A.W. markets as Salt Lake had their worst attendance ever on September 18th with 960 fans at the Salt Palace where the Jazz play basketball. Not good. Well, TNA uh, surpassed that number by a lot in 2012 or 13. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a that's a big arena to put less than a thousand people in. Yeah. Why did so, they move from the there was the other building in Salt Lake they ran for years? I don't know. I mean well no no well, no. well they ran the Salt Palace. Yeah, but they had a smaller building that they ran too. Yeah. But they mainly ran the Salt Palace though. That was their main building. But anyway. All right, September eighteenth. In front of 960 fans, Jerry Oski over Billy Robinson by DQ. Brad Rangins over Buddy Roberts by Countout. Mr. Electricity retained the light heavyweight title over Buck Zumhoff. Baron Von Ranch over Jimmy Garvin by DQ. Manatee over Ivan Koloff. That's an interesting match here. And then Baron and Brad Rangins summoned for Rip Martell over Gordian Hayes by DQ in your main event. Manum and, I- and Ivan here. That's an interesting match yeah. on that show. That's like cross pollination. Yeah. Then, then Winnipeg, Wally Carbo, Winnipeg Arena, September 19th. Kurt Henning and Tom Zink over the Irwins. Garvin over Buck Zumoff. Baron over Buddy Roberts. Buddy Lane, Winnipeg guy, uh, got a light heavyweight title shot but and beat Steve Regal by disqualification. Blackwell over Hayes. And then Rip Martell retained the world title over Boris Zukov by disqualification. The opening match was the best match of the night. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. California Championship Wrestling, Bo. They ran a show at the Showboat in Las Vegas. We don't have the results of the show, but we have a lineup on September 12th. Billy Anderson against Tony Rocco. The Friar against Carlos Mata. Wildman Jack Armstrong against Rick Drayson. American International Heavyweight title, Jay Strombo Jr. defending against Ripper Savage. Goliath against Professor Tortanaka. And Mondo Guerrero against Victor Rivera. This is the Goliath from L.A., right? That's Gorman and Goliath, yes. Yeah, yeah. How much California Championship Wrestling did, have you seen? Very little. Just what's I've seen a little bit of what's on YouTube. Holy shit. Billy Anderson's <laughs> another guy that's worked with everybody. <laughs> yeah, his name's at a lot of places. But holy yeah. shit. What a TV show that was. And here they are running the showboat. And Vern's running the showboat by this time too, right? Uh, not for TV. They, okay. in fact, when they were in Vegas, they were running the Riviera for for a minute. They ran the showboat, left, went to the Riviera, then went back to the showboat. Okay. And we close that with Portland, September fourteenth at the Sports Arena. Scott Doring over Diamond Timothy Flowers by disqualification. Ricky Vaughn, Lance Von Eric over Chris Colt. What a match that is. Oh, my God. I won't tape with that one. Hey, Bobby Jaggers over Moondon Moretti. Alexis Smirnoff over Steve Pardee. And Mike Miller and Carl Steiner went to a draw with Joseph Oldy and Steve Simpson, the SNS Express. Then Eugene, Oregon on September 20th at Lane County Fairgrounds. Alexis Smirnoff over Steve Pardee by disqualification. Ricky Vaughn over Diamond Timothy Flowers. Jaggers went to a draw with Moondon Moretti. And then the SNS Express retained Northwest Tag Titles. 
beating Carl Steiner and Mike Miller. Of course, Carl Steiner being Bobby Della Sera. Which, uh, which one of those matches was for the Pacific Northwest shooting title? <laughs> Vaughn and Flowers? <laughs> uh, uh, no. <laughs> I doubt that. Colton Vaughn would have been an interesting shoot fight in many ways. <laughs> yeah. Good Lord of mercy. Portland, not in good shape. No, 85 was not a good year for them. No. And you see it here. Well, let's close with the World Wrestling Federation, and we got some news here. In the news of a more national scope, the World Wrestling Federation has made a deal with Video Techniques of New York to market five pay-per-view wrestling shows between now and August 86. The five-part series is billed as WrestleVision. And their first event, which will be called the Wrestling Classic, takes place November 7th from the Rosemont Horizon in suburban Chicago. The other four events are tentatively scheduled for January, March, May, and August of 1986. Not coincidentally, the WF Wear NBC specials on November 2nd, and also the first week of January are roughly one week prior to each pay-per-view show. There's no word as to whether WF will also use arenas to close circuit these shows or rely just on the local cable companies to buy and supply them to subscribers. The suggested price per card is $12 for a household, and the suggested split of the gate is 50-50 between a local cable company and Titan Sports slash Video Techniques. Harry Carey, the famous baseball announcer, will handle play-by-play. We should have a good idea of the main event of the, as the angle will almost surely be shot on the October 5th NBC show. Harry Carey, Bo. <laughs> wow. He, he, he called wrestling on the radio in St. Louis. He did. He did. Could you imagine if that would have happened? Him and oh. Jeff in this time period. It would have just been somebody else that wanted to work for Vince that hurt my feelings. <laughs> the only way the only way these shows make money on a nationwide basis is through a tremendous hype job at the Wrestlemania there can be no doubt that WF is capable of pulling this off if you recall Wrestlemania killed the wrestling business for about four weeks prior to the show and about eight weeks afterwards if WF does strong enough hype job every two months that leaves no in-between time for other promotions and day-to-day business to get back to below normal Dave would say normal but he doesn't think that too many groups will even achieve normal very often in 1986. So WF should continue to go like gangbusters for at least the foreseeable future. In other words, we'll be seeing a lot more Montreal's and St. Louis's fall by the wayside next year. He's right. This metamorphosis yeah. is just an inevitable part of the change in the wrestling <laughs> business that would have occurred with cable television with or without Vince McMahon. Without McMahon, the change may have been smoother. Wrestling wouldn't be as popular with the media, and the product would probably have been a little bit better. And the changes may have taken more time, but the elimination of many promotions would eventually take place. Anyway, whether we like it or not, in the past two months, it is obvious that Vincent Mann's concept of wrestling is a success. Whether it's a short-term or long-term success is something none of us can predict. Well, we all know the answer to that question. But um, here's the, and I'll say this, and I was never a fan of the product or anything especially at this time, my fandom and all of my stuff was solidly on the NWA side. But Vince did not kill the territories. Nope. It was TV. Yep. It, and, and people can say whatever they want to and what 
Dusty and Crockett killed more than Vince did. Yes, they did. Florida, Kansas City, UWF, they bought them to shut them down and take their TV. Um, but yeah, yeah he, the, that's exactly, there was nothing to keep this other than like Portland and Memphis and Continental that were just going to stay where they were at and stay doing business the way they were doing it. That's why they survived longer than anybody else. Um, you know, because they saw it. Okay. We know everybody else is going to see it too. So we'll just stay right here and do what we got to do. And you can't fight city hall. No, absolutely. And, and, I mean, Terry Funk called in the seventies. Yeah. I mean, he said, you know, it's all about Turner getting on cable. He said, that's going to, that, that, it's going to change the rest of the business forever. Well, and, and there's and, that and, specific story tied to that, too, which was... With that, Tommy Rich. Well, no, the one Meltzer's told is that he's still, you know, working Amarillo, you know, and it's still an owner and promoter there, but he was doing shots in Los Angeles as a heel feuding with Chavo Guerrero. And because it's 70s wrestling, he's doing very racist anti-Mexican promos. That is a problem when you are the Funks in West Texas and it airs there. Well, even the even the bigger story is Roddy Piper Moondog Maine. Oh, yeah. Where they're, no, they're, I they're, where specific they're, to they're, Funk, though. But yeah. I know. Well, I'm talking about Piper Moondog Maine, whether, you know, San Francisco is getting Los Angeles television and, you know, Piper and Maine are, are friends in one and the enemies in the other. Yeah. And this is, a, and this is 1977. You know, so Funk. I've heard Funk tell the story about when they brought Tommy Rich, Tamarillo, and they stop in Tucum, Cary, New Mexico, and him and Terry, him and Tommy get out to eat, and a car goes by, slams his brakes on, and starts screaming. It's a carload of girls that recognize Tommy Rich off of TBS, and this was in '78 or '79. And he knew then, oh, wow, we're really in trouble. You know, and Ron Fuller, people have told me, many people have told me in 80, 81, Ron Fuller predicted pay-per-view. And there's going to be a day where they pay to watch it on TV. And well, that's where the money's going to come from. Boxing's already done it. Boxing's yeah. had, boxing has had pay-per-view at that time already. You know, I mean... Leonard Leonard Duran, I think was a. I know Leonard Hearns was a pay per view, in eighty one. So, yeah, pay per view's already been done. You just you had to be in certain areas, like New York, maybe Los Angeles. You had to be in these certain deals. Yeah, but, but I tell you, I tell you what's interesting. Um, there are some newspaper results going back to nineteen eighty, and some you know Midwest towns. Where they're advertising Madison Square Garden shows, and you call a number up and you're able to watch them. Really? Wrestling shows. Yes. Mm hmm. Hmm. Yep. So. Do we think that's officially working with MSG Network, or do we think this is a cable company playing fast and loose with getting the satellite feed of MSG Network or something? Possibly. I don't know. Because, like, I think I've talked about here once or twice before like you know it was before my time but 
my dad's told me about how when they had a small, tiny local cable company uh, elsewhere on Long Island from where I live, not far, but uh, nearby, but still not the same cable system, they had like channels they would fill with wild feeds of all sorts of stuff so you could watch like here is the block of all five episodes of gi joe being fed out at the beginning of the week and stuff like that so cable companies would do stuff like that i don't know about fake pay-per-views but it wasn't out of the norm for them to kind of not bootleg but repurpose weird satellite feed stuff yeah um but 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 you know, getting about the disc picks. All right, WrestleVision, explain that for people that uh, may not have heard us talk about this before. So WrestleVision was originally the name that was going to be given to all the pay-per-views. You know, res- Wrestling Classic is WrestleVision, the Wrestling Classic, or WrestleVision presents the Wrestling Classic. And they give up on it after the first show <laughs> and just go back to doing Mania. Um, they were going to, and they were going to do things like you know, give away the car. They were going to do stuff like that on these shows. Yeah. Well, they did that anyway. But I know about the how, other, on the other shows, too. How many homes could they have possibly been in in 85? Well, I was about to get to that. So the Broadcasting Magazine article from our week that Dave appears to be sourcing most of this from says 460,000 homes. Based on who they had signed up at this point. And that was with commitments for all five events, allegedly. Now... I did check uh, archive.org's microfilm collection, and we actually have a little bit more looking at electronic media, including quotes from Vince. All right, so we go to the September 16th electronic media. PPV wrestling package planned by Richard Tedesco. The mania surrounding professional wrestling gets another boost soon when WrestleVision, a package of five pay-per-view events, kicks off on November 7th, declaring it, quote, the most prestigious wrestling tournament ever devised End quote. Vince McMahon, the hyperbolic president of Titan Sports, said the first event would be an elimination tournament featuring stars such as Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. Well, not exactly. At the Rosemont Horizon in Rosemont, Illinois, suburb of Chicago. Other four events, of course, January, March, May, August. Marcus, marketing seemed uppermost in Mr. McMahon's mind as he touted the potential for pay-per-view. Quote, I think one of the things missing from the pay-per-view industry is that there hasn't been much promotion for events, end quote. Mr. McMahon intends to redress that situation with a promotional kit for each cable affiliate offering the events. That package will include 30 and 120 second spots, complete with space for local tags, to encourage subscribers to sign up. Ad slicks providing room for insertion of local information will also be provided, along with promotional posters, bill stuffers, and localized press releases. Promising a different theme for each event, Mr. McMahon announced that a 1964 Rolls-Royce Silver Cloud 2, excuse me, Silver Cloud 3, will be part of the package of the first tournament, billed as the Wrestling Classic. Subscribers will be eligible for the Silver Cloud sweepstakes. As the acknowledged P.T. Barnum of Pro Wrestling, Mr. McMahon gave every indication of wanting to top himself with subsequent events. Quote, every event we do is just another level to the next event, he said. The event's promoters appear confident they can repeat the success of WrestleMania, which in March achieved the highest penetration ever for a pay-per-view offering in some markets. That show cost subscribers $10 for their pay-per-view quote-unquote ticket, 
video techniques, the company handling marketing and supervision of the satellite transmission, is suggesting a $12 ticket for the bouts, with the take being divided evenly between the promoters and the cable affiliates. We scratched the surface of what the potential was, said Jay Merkel, consultant to video techniques, referring to WrestleMania. The potential this time includes tentative commitments from, yeah, naming various different cable companies, along with Showtime slash the movie channel. Showtime's commitment represents 460,000 potential subscribers for one of the first programs it will carry in its new pay-per-view venture. Okay, so the 460 is just them. Rogers also operates the largest two-way cable system in San Antonio, with approximately 200,000 subscribers, and was one of those reporting high acceptance rates for the March wrestling tourney. So I think the big thing here, besides that we have some amusing Vince quotes, this is electronic media saying this. So it, you gotta think it's true. Did Vince and his people invent pay-per-view marketing as we know it? Um, marketing-wise, probably. The Barker Channel ads, the, you know, the the little, the ad slicks that have the space to put the local cable company information for print ads. Everything we're hearing here sounds standard, but here you have electronic media, which... In 1985 is probably the main cable trade publication, right? Yeah. Because broadcasting is still broadcasting, not broadcasting and cable. It seems like they're saying he's the first to do this. So, you know, when they talk about being pay-per-view pioneers, they ain't kidding. Yeah. Chris, when when did you get pay-per-view? I told this story before. I I never got pay-per-view until I got direct TV in uh, 1996. Oh wow! Um, my, I could have. I, I mean, my cable company offered it, but I never had the box. Yeah, uh, I, I always <sighs> had ba- basic cable. So, so never, when? But when? When did they offer the box? What? What year? Uh, I mean, they had pay per view channels in the in the late eighties because I would like watch Scramble Vision. So it yeah, was available in the late eighties, but I just never had the box. Yeah, we didn't get it where I live the capability of it until 89 and um yeah like the same thing go get the box and all that uh my granny lived in kingsport and she got it where you could get it in like 87 88 she was a year or two ahead of us and i still didn't comprehend it i would look every now and again just see what was on there uh you know, and see the WWF stuff listed, uh, but I had no interest in watching it. Yeah, I mean, believe me, I wish I could have, uh, you know, had done that. But like I said, I mean, I just my folks, I was, my folks wouldn't pay for it. <laughs> I was, yeah, in '87, I went and watched uh, Starcade on the big screen at Freedom Hall on closed circuit. Yeah, because because it was not available here on pay-per-view to watch at home yeah um, but good they, they were talking about the nbc about the, you know they weren't allowed to plug the pay-per-views and stuff during saturday night's main event were they mm. there was i i don't ever like not like you know they would do call your local right. cable company they i don't think right. they did no yeah, they would have the big angle like Hogan and Andre in the Battle Royal, but I don't think they ever say, hey, they're meeting at WrestleMania. 
they just took that and showed it on the syndicated TV and then really hyped it. Right. Um, skipping ahead real quick to the March 10th uh, electronic media, we have some follow-up. Uh, so apparently the first WrestleMania averaged about a 9% buy rate among the places that carried it. Um, WrestleVision, though, did about a 3 to 4%. And... <laughs> Uh, Mr. McMahon expects a response for WrestleMania 2, roughly equivalent to the force of a full-body slam. Thanks. Quote, all of our guns weren't loaded for WrestleVision as they were for WrestleMania, he said last week. This WrestleMania is like a megaton bomb compared to a firecracker. <laughs> and then he said, uh, well, it paraphrases, it says, Mr. McMahon conceded uh, that the negligible results from the last clash of his behemoth WWF brawlers tested the limits of audience endurance. Quote, the one thing we learned is that you can't promote two events at one time. He said, referring to other wrestling events taking place at the same time. So he means his shows, or does he mean Starcade Closed Circuit? Does uh, he mean his house shows? I guess. Is 86 the first year they do the Postmania shutdown? Yeah. Okay, I just found something here. It's what I've been looking for. Okay. Right. Janu January 21st, in Racine, Wisconsin, 1980, mm -hmm. they're advertising a Madison Square Garden show on at, at 10.30 Eastern Time on Telecable Channel 8, Racine. It's got the full lineup and everything. This is Madison Square Garden Sports, Channel Racine, only on Telecable. Call for installation. Telecable Channel 8. Again, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's the MSG channel or one in particular, but it's in the Racine, Wisconsin newspaper, January 21st, 1980, with a full lineup of the card. <laughs> that's pretty crazy. Hey, when uh, when uh, Cable got to the Tri-Cities in 69. That's crazy. That about was a, yeah, that was a huge selling point was you can watch wrestling because there was a local cable channel um, that showed the wrestling from Johnson City Rec Center. They taped, they would hold it three or four weeks before they showed it, but they would have um, current interviews during it for this coming week. But they would make you wait three to four weeks. But that was a big selling point that they put in the advertisement about getting hooked up for cable, watch the uh, uh, wrestling from Johnson City. So wrestling was a big selling point for cable TV. They went hand in hand with each other. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, the times they are changing. The wrestling business at this point in time. And WF was in the forefront, and that's why they were what they were. None of these other wrestling promoters were as forward-thinking as Vincent Mann was. And it also helps that he was where he was at, the major media markets, New York especially. But just because you have those advantages doesn't mean you always take advantage of the advantages. you got to be able to do it. You can have put everything put in front of you, but if you don't execute – your game plan then what does it matter so yeah i mean people kids about well vince got lucky this that and the other which he had luck of course but he still had to execute his game plan 
Yes. Yes. Okay. I found an actual total number of homes, finally. So from this is the November 1st issue of Cable Television Business. It says, let me make sure I'm looking at this right. Okay. So by late September, more than 105 systems representing 2.6 million home, subs, so homes, had committed to carry the November 7th event. There you go. Yeah. Um, and Vince says that uh, pay-per-view events in general should be carefully selected say, because pay-per-view's image suffered setbacks this summer with disappointing results for both an exhibition tennis match and rock and roll revival. Like I said, there was all kind of pay-per-view events going on. Just it's nothing just big and nothing like them. super heavily promoted. It was, exactly, it was yes. It was different. All right, well, let's get back into this. Let's go to the house show. Let's go to the Meadowlands, East Rutherford, New Jersey, September 12th, for, and at the Brindenburg Arena, no crowd listed. Big John Studd over Steve Gatorwolf in your opening match. King Kong Bundy over Jose Luis Rivera. King Tonga over Moondog Spot. Cousin Junior over the Iron Sheik. Pedro Morales over Manuel Morocco by his qualification. Nikolai Volkov over Vivian Putsky. Tony Alice over the Missing Link. Killer Bees over the Heart Foundation. And Bundy won a 23-man $50,000 Battle Royal. Pittsburgh saw the return of David San Martino from his leg injury at a show which drew about 16,000 fans, mainly for Piper's Pit with Bruno. Bruno knocked Piper off his chair. Piper hit Bruno with a chair and choked him with the mic cord. Piper spit on Bruno, and as Bruno was about to make his comeback, Piper ran away. Leading up to October 5th, where they're going to main event, along with Terry Funk, Joe ID, and Orton and Orndorff. Also on the 13th, the Bulldogs won the Battle Royal, went to a 20-minute draw with Sheik and Volkov, Savage over Tito Santana, non-title, and King Tong over Iron Mike Sharp as your main matches. Then September 15th, Bloomington, the Met Center, drew 3,500 fans, and that is a big building. Matt Dalvishon over Rene Gallet. David Sammartino over The Terminator, one of the 80 Sharky's boys. Adrian Adonis over Steve Gatorwolf, the Heart Foundation of Killer Bees. Tito Santana over Brutus Beefcake. Bob Orton Jr. over Special Delivery Jones. Greg Valentine over Cousin Jr. I'm sure you love that. And <laughs> King Kong Bundy won a battle royal. That night in Phoenix, another crew. Open and match to this show. The missing link over Mr. Wrestling 2 in the WF. Randy Savage over Corporal Kirshner. Moondog Spot over George Wells. Bulldogs over Sheik and Volkov. Steamboat over Morocco. And Hogan retained the world title being Big John Stubb by Countout. We'll stop here for now, and then we'll pick it back up. Um, Are we sure oh, that need... uh, Steve Gatorwolf's not El Perverso? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Bo, uh, any thoughts on what we've uh, went over so far? No, I mean, you can see that they're still having trouble in Minnesota. Burn's still hot in 85. I mean, 3,500 in the Met Center is not very good. Uh, no, not at all. Wrestling, too, in Phoenix, Arizona, I don't think he means anything there. Against the missing link. Well, it is the other yeah. match, but still. against the you, Well, you know, Arizona and New Mexico were early on the, the satellite, so there probably was a lot of people there that do wrestling, too. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Hogan and Stud, I think they've pretty much seen this in every town by now. Yeah. So... Bixie, How long had Savage been there? Savage hadn't been there very long. Uh, he's in his second month. Yeah. Bix, any thoughts real quick before we move on to the rest of the, the crew here? Uh, not really, I don't 
thing. Nothing too All notable right. here. I mean, the Greg Valentine cousin Jr. is weird. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is weird. All right, so let's go to the next half. Miami, James L. Knight Center on September 16th for a 36-55. Iron Mike Sharp going to a draw with Lanny Poffo. Pedro Morales over Rusty Brooks. B. Brian Blair over Renee Galay. Tiger Chung Lee over Jimmy Young. King Kong Bundy over Tony Gurria. Greg Valentine over Jim Brunzel. Tito over Beefcake. And Tito won a 15-man $30,000 Battle Royal. And then we get Dave Melser at Selen Arena in Fresno, California on September 16th. Corporal Kirshner on a moondog spot in 13 minutes. This match was no worse than a typical opener. Kirshner's green, but at least appears coordinated, so he isn't hopeless like some people throw up pushes. He's fine in openers, but we're out of his league uh, higher on the show. Crown didn't go for him as much as Dave expected, considering all his hype. Spot had to carry him, and he couldn't do anything up top. Two stars. Price is that high. Missing link over Billy Anderson with a dive ahead button in five minutes. This was very boring. One star match. Big John Stud over Wrestling 2 with an elbow drop in 10 minutes. They said, I don't like referring to watch wrestling as torture, but he couldn't think of a better word to describe this atrocity. At one point, he walked three times around the building, killing two minutes and 30 seconds, and didn't hear a peep from the crowd. When he came back, they were both sitting in the same exact position, not having moved once, Dave was told. Negative two stars. Yes, negative two stars. Dave says he's only seen two matches that compare in the last 15 months. Stella Mae French versus Nicola Roberts in Dallas and Tojo Yomoto versus Stan Elmer Frazier in Memphis. If he's talking Yikes. about the Tojo versus uh, Playboy Frazier match, that match is fun. I don't know. Well, again, this is Dave Meltzer picks. So. I know. No hot moves from Tojo. You didn't, well, you ain't getting no hot moves from stuff. You'd rather get moves. <laughs> <laughs> You're apparently getting moves. <laughs> Junkyard Dog went double count out with Terry Funk in 14 minutes. Funk was excellent in this match. Dog was every bit as bad as Funk was good. One man show. Funk deserves four stars. Of course, you had to do things like lock up and work with a dog, though it was, a, it was kept to a minimum of three stars. Hey, Dave just doesn't like JYD. What can you expect? Never did. Bulldogs over Sheik and Volkov 15 minutes when Dynamite pinned Volkov after diving headbutt off Sheik's back, who was on Davey's shoulders. Dave was told the match was pretty good. <laughs> he must have been busy. Um, Randy Savage rolled up George Wells in 12 minutes. Although fans were hot to see Savage once the bout started, the place went dead. Bout wasn't too good, although it was by no means bad, but two previous bouts had taken a lot of the crowd. Savage is as good as a, is a, is a GEE a talent. But you've seen too many bad matches with him to rate him in the class of Flair, DiBiase, Choshu, etc. You know he has more outstanding moves than the guys he named. Two stars. Steamboat over Don Morocco in 14 minutes by his qualification when Fuji threw salt in Ricky's eyes. He even hampered by the gimmick. Steamboat's a great worker and fantastic athlete. Morocco didn't do much but stand there and bleed. But at least he's not the JYD and didn't ruin good spurts of any action. By any standards, this is an excellent match. Four stars. Notes. This crowd was about 6200, which is excellent for a city the size of Fresno. They didn't announce a return date, although the prelims weren't worth a thing. The card itself was fairly good, which shows WF is picking up its standards at live shows. By the way, the collective IQ of the audience was well below 6200. <laughs> People can say what they want about Memphis, but the fans there have a lot better understanding of what's going on than fans in California and on the WF or AWA shows. They were well-behaved as a group, but it was a much more low-rent audience than Dave's seen in a long time. Oh, no Dave yuppies? 
Dave Dallas Fresno has ever on one any one show seen so many genuine first rate talents, and Dave Best they rarely even under Roy Shire saw a show as good as well. Well, they put over the show in that way, but <laughs> boy, he buried the fans of Fresno. Well, <laughs> hey, but 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 there is a reason why Jim Rome. Who you know, nationally known radio sports talk show host has nicknamed the city of Fresno Fresneck. <laughs> yeah, there's rednecks everywhere. Oh, Central California. Ooh. Yeah, Central PA, Indiana, Central Illinois. Dave Perry Fresno. Here's something else. <laughs> Low rent. And I've been to Memphis. <laughs> yeah. I guess I guess Lemuel told him that tag match was pretty good after he went to pee and get his popcorn and pretzel. <laughs> oh, I love it. This is a slow run of the guess, and I've been to Memphis. <laughs> oh, he's obviously never been to Crenshaw, Mississippi. <laughs> The Bulldogs thing is weird, though, because usually Dave does note if he had to go to the bathroom or something. He didn't have any star ready for the match, and he said he was told it was good. I, w- I wonder if this is like that uh, thing that someone noticed on Twitter from Bola a few years ago, because they found out that Dave had fallen asleep uh, during a match between um, Orange Cassidy and a since dis- certain since-disgraced Jewish professional wrestler, and uh, that Dave just like did not make any reference to the fact that he had fallen asleep during the match and just kind of crapped on it. But but I didn't who think one they... of the people in there was not orange Cassidy, the other one, uh, kind of funny though. Dave, uh, but how do you, how do you think Dave would have, uh, felt if uh, showed in Greenwood, Mississippi? Oh, <laughs> or red jacket, West Virginia <laughs> or Stickleyville, Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> low rent low rent of an uh, audience i love it that's fantastic they, so funny thing, <laughs> oh man he didn't get to see that match because they were up there taking away his sign that said nwa is better <laughs> that's why well, he, he walked well, that's why he, he walked around three times he wasn't too hot on crockett this time yeah, like the group the group the group he's the hottest on is basically all Japan. All Japan's yeah. <laughs> we love that's why he, that's why he walked around the building <laughs> three times. He was showing his sign that said player is God. <laughs> well he went to Fresno, but then San Francisco at the at the Cow Palace and on September seventeenth, which they drew seven thousand. Basically the same show, Kirsten over spot, Ivan Pusky over missing lane by DQ, Adonis over wrestler two. Stutter Wells, Randy Savage or Rip McGraw, J.Y.D. over Funk, Steam Up Morocco by DQ, Bulldogs over Sheik and Volkov. Dave's was told this show wasn't so good, though. And that Stud and George Wells was the best match on the car. Stud <laughs> you had bad most of the rest of the car must have been. See, wow. This is why you cannot take anything from these this time period that was sent in. It's all People opinion. It's all opinion, yeah. You know, that that was the best match because John Studd's the biggest wrestler I've ever seen. Yeah. He slammed him. Or somebody may have been a George Wells fan for some, you know, yeah. years ago when George Wells was a top guy for Roy Shire or something like that. Yeah. Hilarious. 
Stud and Wells, the best match on the card. <laughs> Man. Well, there's some rough house shows going on during uh, our time period here. Man. Good Lord. All right. We'll continue. Uh, the 18th, they were in Los Angeles, where they broke the 14-year-old gate record set by Freddie Blassie and John Tolas at the Coliseum, drawing a sub of 16,000 at Sports Arena. They didn't get the exact gate, but he was told it was around 145 grand, which broke the Blassie Tolas record of 142 grand. The car was the same in San Francisco, except Hogan was there and wrestled Stud. Well, Bo, how about that? Hogan and Stud drawing this mega house. Since Frisco and Los Angeles generally draw within 500 of each other, it appears that Hogan, all by his lonesome, sold about 8,000 tickets. I can believe that. It's the first time they ever sold out the sports arena. Possibly an indoor record for California, even though several 1960 matches, you know, early 1960s when wrestling was dead. But the Cow Palace, headlined by Ray Stevens, drew crowds announced from 16,500 to 17,400. Though Dave couldn't see how they could ever put that mean in the Cow Palace. Which capacity is listed at fourteen thousand nine hundred six for wrestling? Yeah, I mean, Hogan, Hogan's smoking hot here in Los Angeles at this time, absolutely, and he's wrestling with stud. So that's crazy. How about so, that, so, yeah? Go ahead, go ahead. LA is one of them things too that you know they're going just because it's the hot. It's a trend-setting thing to go There's to the WWE. There is that yeah. factor in Los Angeles, yes. Yeah. There is that factor where it's the end thing to do. Stargazing. For who, who am I going to see here that's famous? Yeah. I mean, what, what, are you, what is your opinion on this, Bix? I mean, they broke the Blassie Tullis record here for Hogan and Stud. A, a match that's not doesn't really have a hot angle behind it at the moment. Gate record. Uh, yeah, the gate record, yes. Because the attendance, obviously, isn't as high. Um... I mean, here's the thing. Blassie and Tolis were always under the assumption that the gate was bullshit and they got cheated. Yeah, but this is what's reported on record, though. Yeah. Should we see what the inflation so, calculator says about this, too? I mean, if you want to check. Um, that was 71 or 72? 70, wasn't it? No, I think it was 71. 71, 71. You're right, 71. You're right, you're right. You, did you, have I ever mentioned on here that my granny and... Two uncles were at that match. Really? I think you have. Yeah. When my dad was stationed in California in the Marines, my mom went out. So then my granny went. So my mom's brothers went. My co- We were like the Clampets. We all went. Uh, <laughs> and after the Marines, my dad worked for Cal Vets under Ronald Reagan. And my family lived out there until 73. And then they came back here, and then I was born in 74. But my granny used to go to the Olympics some. My Uncle Bud fought at the Olympic boxing. And uh, they went. They were there the night that told us through the powder in Blassie's eyes, and they were Holy there to call us in for the match. Yeah. Wow. I've heard about it all my life. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And uh, <clears throat> before... When my grandpa got a uh, job in Pennsylvania, when my mom was in middle school, the they all moved to York, PA, and they used to go to the matches up there, too. So my granny saw Gorgeous George in Kingsport. She saw Bruno as the world champion up there in his prime. She was there for Tolis and Blassie. Hmm. And people wonder where my wrestling love comes from. 
Imagine how different your life is if you were been born in Cal and lived in Cal raised in California. Yeah, I've never been in the wrestling business. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so adjusted for inflation's not even close. One hundred forty-five thousand and from seventy-one in nineteen eighty-five dollars is over three hundred eighty-five thousand. Yeah. Uh, so even if one hundred forty-five thousand was a worked down to screw the boys number, in terms of actual, you know relative to the time it they more than doubled this Hogan stud show there you go plus also it's a territory that went downhill in a big way after that too so even as inflation was picking up that's why you wouldn't really have had the opportunities to outdo the 145 or whatever it was until now uh, what was the attendance oh wait it was 142 excuse me was the I should tweak that a little bit what was the attendance for which for Blasty and uh, Tolis. Allegedly, it was what? Like low to mid-20s, I think? Yeah. Yeah, and cheaper prices, you know. So, okay, 377,000. They weren't charged as much 000. as WWF was, yeah. Yeah, so 377,000 adjusted for inflation. <clears throat> since I put the wrong uh, dollar figure there first. <clears throat> yeah. All right, well, let's go across the country now to Bix's neck of the woods. Nassau Coliseum, where they drew 6,000 for Freddie Blassie and Lou Albano in a cage match. Okay. In 1985, which Albano won when he used the ropes because stealing his trunks to tie Blassie to the cage. Then walked out the door. Dave was told this was horrible, but what can you expect? Dave's not looking for any consistency from the government when he can't even get consistency in wrestling. <laughs> How true is that today? However, the New York State Athletic Commission is to govern wrestling and pretend to give wrestlers physicals. How can they allow a 68-year-old man with plastic knees, bad hip, and a bad heart who came and walk without a cane into a cage to do combat? Either to regulate the thing and administer a circus, which it is, or at least keep combatants in that poor physical condition out of the ring. Also, Piper Norton went to WQ with Windham and returned them the same bill. Doesn't he also have one kidney? <clears throat> yeah. Yes. Let me read the results and we'll talk about this because I'm sure Bo has some things to say about commissions. Piper Norton over Paul Roma and Salvatore Belomo, which is not Wyndham and Rotunda. Right. <laughs> so I don't know where I don't know what's what. Uh, Randy Savage over George Wells, S.D. Jones over Barry O. Lenny Poffa went to a draw of Iron Mike Sharp. Albano over blasting the cage. Orndor for a Big John Stud. And Uncle Elmer and Cousin Jr. beat the Dream Team, Valentine and Beefcake, by countout. I'm willing to bet Dave got wrong information on that uh, tag match because uh, these results came from the results site. So. Well, maybe it was advertised as... Yes, because this is Wyndham being flaky, yes. And also selling the injury from the title switch. But, um, all right, Bo. State Athletic Commissions and... Uh, Freddie Blassie be, being allowed to wrestle in a cage match. Thoughts? <laughs> it's they're useless. They don't give you anything. They're there to take your money. And why would they book Albano and Blassie in a cage match in 1985? Yeah, try to draw. What would the setup have even been for it, though? Manager yeah, the manager, what... would it have been manager of the year? Maybe. Did they advertise that possibly one of these men died during this match? <laughs> did did they hope people would watch and go out of curiosity that Blassie would die like they watched Flair's last match? Well, I mean, 
this this makes no sense. Especially when you have as many wrestlers and as much talent as New York has at this time. The, to me, I think this is Blassie wanting to do it and talked him into letting him do it. <laughs> Probably. You know. And <laughs> put him in there with Albano because he knows he's going to bleed better for him than anybody else. <clears throat> what I want to know but, is where where is the David Big Span in 1985 that would have stepped up and complained <laughs> to the Athletic Commission about this? Oh, will you stop? <laughs> how how old were you at this time, Bix? One. I was no, no, uh, I was nine months. Almost. Okay. So if it had been a year or so later, he uh, he'd have been writing letters to the editor and everything else. <laughs> he'd have been firing off stuff to Meltzer about and crayon. <laughs> yeah. What Inspector Robert what? Orlando is poopy. <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, all the all the athletic commission doing is walking in there, taking a payoff, and going home. And and he may have been in better shape than Albano at this point in time. It probably was. Uh, Good lord! Speaking of aging wrestlers, <laughs> yes, uh, let's go to George Animal Steel, who's put in for leave of absence from school. After the semester, so starting in January, we're going to have year-round steel. And he's and 48 he at this time. Full-time. Yeah, he becomes full-time for the next two years. More than two years. 88. So, 80, yeah, three years. Yeah, three years, counting. Two and a half, yeah, three 86, years. 86, 87, 88. Yep, yep, yep. Oh. Then he's an agent, still making all the towns. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so basically this is it for him as a teacher. So, uh, yeah. But he had a run of his life here, you know, probably never made more money, didn't have nearly as much notoriety. So, yeah, he he, he struck when the when the fire was hot, so to speak. Yeah. And they, and they gave him a hell of a run. All right. We got a, a couple of clips here to close the show. Making their debut on September 14th on CBS was Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. Now, this is a very short little promo for it that I had never seen before until I found it on YouTube. So let's go to this promo. This is weird. Let's get the second screen ready immediately because this does not last long. Okay, yeah, let me do that. Um, <clears throat> did the, the Saturday morning preview, did that air during our week or was that the previous week? It was b before. The thing that Piper hosted. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that's that's before our week. Hey, you little hosters out there! You want to have fun? Watch my show. Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. At the bottom, it says premiere September 14th. But what kind of effects was that, Bix? <laughs> it was the whole Deke motif. Yeah. I guess. Right. Yeah, I guess. Because D I C Deke. That's what Bix is talking about. Yeah, do we have an actual air date? Because I'm seeing it now. Yeah, the All Star Rock and Wrestling <clears throat> Saturday Spectacular, September 14th. <clears throat> no, for the this thing though. Oh, I don't know, but I know September. I know the first cartoon is September 14th. Right, and the first episode is so, on Daily Motion. Yeah. So let's. Uh... Oh, there is a Rock and Wrestling YouTube channel too that has, I guess, everything divided up. It's got clips. Is it? Oh, is it only the live action segments? Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's only the live action segments. 
Well, okay, so let's see, as I'll skip past the intro, since it's just the Jim Steinman song. Uh, Very song it is, so. Yes, which he would repurpose the actual tracks for uh, Ravishing on Bonnie Tyler's next album. Yes, which we've talked about in the show. And I'll tell you, the whole country is really caught up with this physical fitness. People are jogging, people are playing handball, they're playing racquetball, and they're in the gym. Whether they're on a Nautilus, they're using just plain dumbbells like I do, and the men I manage do, you've got to be in shape and know what you're doing. Now, one of the most important things, like John Studd, who he works out three, four times a week, the other men I manage in the Bobby Heenan family, to be a wrestler, you've got to be strong, but you've got to have the technique when it comes to working out. Do it the proper way, that's what I do, because I'm Bobby the Brain Heenan. Now, there's different ways you can do things. Some people, I'm in the gym five, six times a week anyway, so it don't matter to me. So listen to these tips. First of all, you, you grab the bar and you pick it up. Then you you got to have the proper technique and get underneath it. Then, well, you can use your knee too if you want. It don't really matter. There are no you weights on up, this, by the way. You get up here and you... Five pounds well, on each side. That's one of the reasons I'm yeah. Bobby the Brain. Okay, I don't need this, places. John. I got a brain. Junkyard 500, written by Jeffrey Scott. Junkyard, junkyard. Two bicentennial bowling ball. I'll roll them right over. Hey, Junkyard, listen to this. Famous movie director Woody Brooks is searching for a vehicle to put this newest monster movie. He'll pay 10,000 bucks for it. She looks like Scott Leo. He does. <laughs> Bring that piece of junk into this studio? Watch what you call on a piece of junk. My junk wagon's gonna be a star. Okay, I see no problem there. I told you. Sorry, brother. Send me the bill. So Junkyard Dog just killed a man. It looked like Ronald Reagan, in a way. It just ran into a man and sent him flying. Cut! Who let that hunk of junk on the set? You've ruined my shot! I ought to have you thrown off this lot! I'm here after you, eh? And it was the start of such a nice day! It really is something that they opened with the two junkyard dog-centric uh, episodes. Yeah. I got to hear Roddy really... Piper. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. This is Piper. I, I want to hear Piper talk because that is my favorite bad voice on this show. <laughs> it's Hollywood for Rowdy Roddy Piper. <laughs> hey, don't forget Big John Studd. Nikolai, go do what I told you. Right, Comrade Sheik. <laughs> <laughs> Get ready! Get set! Yeah, this is the uh, race between the heels and the baby faces at Junkyard Dogs Junkyard. Alright, so I watched this when I was a kid. Um, but we've talked about it off the air, we're talking about the cartoon. I, I never got into this. I mean, I watched it because it was a cartoon, it was on Saturday morning. But I never got into it because I was seeing the real life versions of these characters on television too. And this the wrestlers like, aren't even doing their voices. 
Well, yeah, it's not just that. But it, you know, you, when you watch G.I. Joe or He-Man, that's nothing but a cartoon. So you can get invested in that because that's it. You can't get invested in this because this is, you I mean, you had the real life versions to get invested in. So that, that's what was tough for me as a wrestling fan to really get into it. But I watched it because it was, it was on Saturday morning. Of course, Bix is too young to remember. He didn't watch it until the 90s when it was on USA, which that video was from. Bo, he was a little bit too old for it, so he wasn't watching. So this was in my wheelhouse. I was six years old. This is perfect for me. Yeah. But, um, the whatchamacallit, I mean, the USA thing was weird, too, because it was, it was on Sundays at 6 on Cartoon Express, and it was just completely unadvertised. Yeah. It was in listings, but that was it. Yeah, there was not, no WWF build to it being on there or anything. Which was weird, because it seems like they own the rights to distribute it. So why Who were... knows? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to pull up real quick if I can find my favorite thing that just shows you how cheaply animated the show was from uh, the episode Clean Gene where they are they go to try to clean up as a surprise. It's, uh, it, well, folks, it's not good stuff. Well, no. it's it, it, If I can find it, I probably won't. But there is a scene where the, I guess, Korean animators or whoever, um, actually, I think this was animated in Japan, but still, uh, the animators overseas, I guess I should just say, uh, when the baby faces are supposed to be gathering for a meeting, all of a sudden, like, the heels are just inserted into it and huddling with them because the animators have no idea that these are two competing sets of people. Yeah. Just that kind of bad thing. Also, look at just how like the like the proportions are out of whack with the doors and stuff too. Yeah, I mean, the cartoon. Oh, there it is. Clean. Okay, see. Okay, but let me yeah. go back a little so you can see it now. I mean, it's not clean, but no, there's a lot of bad cartoons in the eighties like that, though, Bix. Not, but not as bad as the villains and the good guys are together. See, we got Piper and Stud in this group scene for no apparent reason. I know, I know. I in the know. wide shot. I know. It's like the stories from Clerks the Animated Series where um, the Korean animators did not know that the quick stop sign was like English words. Look at how skinny Hogan's legs are. That's, that's well, that's, I think that's also Volkoff. just that one scene, too. How fat Volkoff is. Yeah, there's some interesting... Yeah, but, well, you think some of the boys would have uh, probably had some complaints about how they looked on these things? Oh, yeah. Yes. Not tan enough, brother. <laughs> and I don't know why they just didn't have the do their own voice. Well, J.Y. is the closest to, to the real voice. And a kid did his voice. Yeah. J.Y. sounds like J.Y. Wait, did whose voice? Ways. Junkyard Dog. No, James Avery did his voice. Yeah, he always Avery. said he was a kid. No, it was Uncle Phil. He always said it was a kid. They no. brought him to meet him. Well, they probably worked him. Yeah, it was, it was James that. Avery. Yeah, James Avery's already almost 40 when this show premieres. Yeah. Well, yeah. He, he, he had done, he was in some, what movie was he in by this time that he was, Beville's Comp, was he in that? He was in some movie, I remember, around this time. Uh, go down. Yeah. Go up, go up, go up, go up. Flatch. Fletch, that's right. Fletch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's detective number two. 
Because he was in, he was in part of the jail scene where uh, Joe Don Baker had Fletch in the jail in the jail cell. <laughs> he was running back up for Joe Don Baker, sheriff character. He's also one of the all-time Stoog- great movies. He's also in Stooge Mania, another wrestling connection, I guess. Oh my God, Stooge Mania! Don't even start on that. All uh, right, the uh, 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 the junkyard dog had no idea who he was and thought a kid was doing his voice. Yeah, but it was actually him. Yes, it was James Avery. Yes, yeah, Uncle Phil, Shredder, etc. And also, uh, among other notable names on the voice cast, Brad Garrett, of course, as Hogan, and Louis Arquette as Nucka, I believe. There you go. All right, and to close out, remember we played Miss Elizabeth uh, making her interview debut on Piper's Pit two weeks ago? Well, here she is with Freddie Miller. And uh, and Randy Savage, they're promoting the house show, and Elizabeth gets a lot of speaking time here as well. So let's go to that. And this is a New York promo, right? I can't remember. I don't think it's New York. We'll, we'll hear it. Which, Maybe next it to is. everyone, Freddie Miller lasted a lot longer in the WWF than people realized, even while he was also he working for Ann Gunkel. Over a year, yeah. And yes, this is for the Garden. Okay. Madison Square Garden, Monday, September 23rd, the World Wrestling Federation. In action will be Macho Man Randy Savage. And in a moment, you're going to meet the, the person that he picked as his manager. Remember, he has been wrestling's number one free agent. And all the managers try to reach Macho Man Randy Savage. But let's meet the Macho Man and let him introduce his very lovely manager. And her name? Elizabeth, beautiful Elizabeth. Say something, Elizabeth. Oh, hello, Freddie. I'm glad to be here. I'm so excited just to be in the corner with the Macho Man. He's the most thrilling professional wrestler in the world. I'm sure you agree with me on that. Well, let me ask you this. Of course, he is one of the most exciting, no question about it. But let me ask you this. Why don't you get you over here, if I could, and get you to where the where the cameras could see a beautiful Elizabeth. No, I just want to make sure beautiful Elizabeth gets on camera. I want to ask you one important... Macho Man, this is beautiful, too. Oh, absolutely. But I, I think Elizabeth's beautiful in a different way. Now, you know, all those managers he could have picked from all the great array of fine, astute managers, and yet he picked you. Can you tell us why, Elizabeth? Well, he, there are my credentials right there. I see. Those are the credentials. That's what I guess really all you need. The macho man Randy Savage is the premier wrestler in the world today. In September the 23rd in Madison Square Gardens, when I go down with my beautiful manager, Elizabeth, yeah, the roof is going to shock and the building's going to burn down. Yeah, I got one Hulk Hogan. I want Hulk Hogan and Tito Santana to concentrate when we go down that aisle because it'll be something special. Yeah, real special because Macho Madness is special. Macho Madness is special, Freddie Miller. Madison Square Gardens, yeah. Is this your first trip there, Elizabeth? Yes, it is. I'm really excited. Don't miss Elizabeth. Don't miss it. Our time's up, but don't miss it. What song was that hey, playing in and out of that? I couldn't make it out. Um, Freddie, so, uh, Freddie looked real nervous the way he was looking around there before they came on set. It's uh, <laughs> kind of like he owed some money to some gamblers and loan sharks or something. <laughs> He's probably nervous called the Savage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and as I picked up on a couple weeks ago, she is not Miss Elizabeth yet and may not even be Miss Elizabeth for like six months. She's Elizabeth. Yeah, she can not become a Miss yet. Yes, she's the, well. It seems like they're going for the beautiful Elizabeth at this point. The be- that's right. The beautiful they hammer Elizabeth. that home. Not not yet the lovely Elizabeth either. Yes, yes. 
Yes. So, and again, very talkative. Very talkative. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't think you can ever say she was a heel, but she's not the Elizabeth that she is once they really get the act going as far as her cowering from him more and stuff. Like, she is... She's a hundred percent with him at the beginning, is I guess yes. the best way to put it. When she's not later, but you know, like as has been pointed out, like in the debut angle, you know, with the whole Bruno, oh, oh who is that? Some kind of movie star? Um, <laughs> it's not Giant <laughs> Baba, that's for sure. <laughs> no, the announcers are pointing out though that he's making her hold the ropes open for him instead of vice versa, as would be considered traditional with a uh, manager as Sir Valet. So th- they have the dynamic in mind from the beginning, but it's not what it would become, I guess is the best way to put it. Also, by the way, I have not watched it yet, but only little bits here and there, but uh, saw, saw people tweeting quick blah, clips from it. Uh, someone put up a uh, 1982 Randy Savage Lexington like cable access hour long interview on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And the, the yeah, little I think bit that's I from Somerset. It's from Somerset, Kentucky. Okay, yeah, so Somerset. Some yeah. somewhere in the ICW territory. Yep. So and uh, the thing is, uh, when that came up a couple weeks ago, uh, I was like, "Wow!" There, but I've heard about that for years. That it exists, or people. That it well, not that it existed, just about him doing the live call-in show oh, on that okay. Somerset cable channel hmm. that was played all over Eastern Kentucky. And have you seen the stuff from the um, Williamson, West Virginia cable company with the Riches and Stan Hansen and Tito Santana, I believe? Is that on YouTube? Yeah. I don't think so, Chris. Where, they, where Georgia uh-huh. comes from. Georgia no. comes. Yeah, I, I found that a few months ago looking around. They interview Piper. They interview Tommy and Johnny Rich. They show a press conference. There it is. I see it. Yeah. What did you yeah. search for? Interview with Tommy Rich and Johnny Rich. Uh, but go go to that um, channel. Jay, there's there's JW. Uh, channel is JW. Yeah, it's the. Um, it's got Dick Magic and Piper and Tommy Rich and Johnny Rich. Just two clips. Yeah. And then there's a press conference from when they announced George's uh, coming to Williamson Fieldhouse. That is from the uh, junior college uh, cable access. Is this the one labeled wow. the most hilarious? Yeah, the most hilarious wrestling press conference you'll ever see. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, because every th- they they asked everyone of them asked the same question: How old are you? Are you married? Because it's all. The women from the college trying to pick up the wrestlers. Do you have the press a girlfriend? conference has actually been up for five years. Yeah, I, I never found it until wow. a few months ago. Yeah, the other That's stuff wild. went up uh, seven months ago. Yeah. How about that? That's crazy. Yeah. I've never seen that before. So there's stuff out there. We just got to keep looking. It's still showing up. Oh, who knows? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so yeah. much stuff that people who probably weren't tape traders um, and just taped lots of TV or were not, were maybe were tape traders, but not wrestling tape traders and stuff that we have no idea about, too. Yeah. You know, that's just out there. 
I mean, when that uh, that guy with that with original commercials uh, channel showed up, and he had a little bit of wrestling, and it turned out that whoever he bought it from was some huge collector that had a separate wrestling collection that he sold off. And despite this being a big wrestling tape collection that was sold, we have no idea who this person is or who he sold it to. Yeah. There's stuff around. It'll surface one day. So, But anyway, on that note, that is it for us this week. So, uh, Bo, plug time. What you got going on, my man? Um, October 1st, Saturday, October 1st. 1.30 p.m., Bradshaw, West Virginia, Fall Festival. We'll be right there in uh, Main Drag through Bradshaw. I believe we will be set up next to Rock Springs Church like we were last year, but it's a big annual event we do every year. The city throws this big fall festival, and we have wrestling there the first Saturday of October. I think this is our seventh straight year doing this. Uh, of course, we missed 2020, but always a fun time, free. They'll have music and games and rides and, you know, everything that you expect in a small Appalachian town festival. So it's always great to, to go up there Saturday, October 1st. Uh, Southern States Wrestling Network, southernstateswrestlingnetwork.pivotshare.com. We just are finishing up the... 2003 year of tv because our original run from january of 99 till september of 03 all the surviving episodes will be on there when we drop the ones for september of 03 and all the tvs with sherry martell and the disco inferno and the rock and roll express and jimmy golden and robert fuller and Gosh, who else? Shane Douglas, Tim Horner, Buddy Landale, Arn Anderson, everybody else that came through from 99 to 03, all that you'll be able to watch. And we're still going through the year of 2010, plus some recent events from this summer are dropping this month. Start your free seven-day trial now, and it's only $4.99 a month. And then patreon.com slash kingofkingsport, my podcast, two podcasts a month for $2.99, where I take you through my life growing up in pro wrestling. Lots of great stories. I'll try to educate and entertain you with every one of them. Well worth checking it out. So we got some rare audio coming up this month. Uh, first one for September is already out, where I went back through Labor Day wrestling through the years from Southern States Wrestling. And then we're going to listen to some rare audio of Ron Wright and some guys from Knoxville, 1972, so you'll be able to check that out on the next episode. It'll probably dropping around the time this does. So patreon.com slash king of king sport. So that's what I got going on right now. I've also got something real big we're working on, and I'll come back and talk about it when we get closer to time. How about that? How about that? Good tease hey, there. Almost, almost dead this time a year ago. Life yeah. fell apart. I was needing surgery. I got it in January. Good Lord's touched me with all kinds of stuff. I'm healthier than I've ever been. I'm motivated stronger than I've ever been. Uh, life is going great for all the haters out there that like to make jokes about my personal life and spread rumors and lies. Misty and I have been back together for a several, several months now. 
we just kept it quiet for a long time. So take that and stick it up your ass there. <laughs> so <laughs> everything is going well, which That's I good. know is driving some people crazy who worry about <laughs> this guy up here. <clears throat> East Tennessee that's got to do a lot of great stuff in his life. That's why I love doing the podcast. That's why I love doing the network. And and I talk about on the podcast, two of the last one that dropped um, on Labor Day, two of the building blocks of our promotion that will turn 32 years old in February, a place to give young guys and girls a place to give them a chance to learn with veterans, be seen, get a knowledge of wrestling and also to help nonprofit groups in the area. So that's a second tease for what's coming up very soon from us, but we've worked real hard at that. And I'm thankful for everybody that prayed for me, supported me, stuck with me for the last two years with all the health issues and all the stuff. Now it's time to give some opportunities to do some new young people that are out there hungry and willing to come get them. All right. So, yeah. So, uh, great to hear everything's going great with you, Bo. And, uh, God knows you, you deserve it after, uh, the time you had last year and stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's good times. Good times. Definitely, uh, now and ahead for you. So, glad to hear that. Yeah. Next Thank week, you guys. Yeah. Next week on Between the Sheets, we go back to 1998 in a gap filler show, as I like to call it. And gaps of other shows, and we this is a lot of interesting stuff going on during this week. Way more than I thought. World Championship Wrestling. We got Nitro with the Fleet Center in Boston. What a night it was! For oh, ninety-eight. Edward I thought you said eighty-eight. Ninety-eight. What a night it was for one Edward Leslie. That's you mean E. Harrison Leslie? Yeah, yes. Oh, and, oh, uh, oh! Yes, yes. I know what exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and we'll have news on the Giant, and what is his status with the company? We got uh, the indie scene, including uh, Memphis Power Pro and all the stuff going on there. We'll have what, what was what was the story from Power Pro that week? Because I was there. Uh, this is uh, Lawler and Christopher Brian Chris refuting on TV. The main event TV was Lawler and Dundee against Brian and Billy Travis. But there's other Memphis things going on that I will talk about at the close of this uh, tease here. Uh, we got other um, stuff going on in the indie scene. ECW got rained out. Well, Hurricane George got him, so we'll have that. But we have quite the opening of television as the Sandman has left the company. And uh, they addressed that in their own way on television. We got Dennis Coraluzzo bringing in the Sandman in NBA New Jersey. <laughs> of course. Sid Vicious making an uh, interesting appearance on the Northeast Indie. And we'll have other uh, sort of indie news. We got Mexico, CMLL, and uh, news on um, you know the peso dropping even more and how that's affecting foreign talent. we have that. We have promotional war in Austria to talk about. And all the Japanese wrestling, including some of our favorites. Legit favorites and some favorites that Bix won't admit to being his favorites. We got a major show in New Japan Pro Wait, Wrestling featuring featuring a new IWGP Heavyweight Champion crowned, and Antonio Noki running his big angle with New Japan versus U UFO, not the musical group. Miss Hamasawa gaining more power in, as in the booking of All Japan Pro Wrestling. 
and uh, World Wrestling Federation. We got uh, the Raw before their uh, breakdown pay-per-view, I think is what it's called. So we'll have news on that. And um, news on their t- changing their TV taping schedule. But the big news of our week, which opens up our week, is WF-related. Is it legit? Is it not legit? Is it work? Is it fake? Is it real? Is it shoot? Who knows? What really happened with Jerry Lawler and Jim Carrey and the Man on the Moon filming? Oh, no. We'll have news on that and an eyewitness report from somebody there. I thought All we did that, that week. Nope. All that more next week on Between the Sheets. We covered aftermath of that. This takes place during our week. Oh, okay. We covered the <laughs> yes. fallout, some of the fallout coverage after the fact. Yes. Then, then when it made the tabloids, Lawler had to go on TV and talk e- about it. Not... Exactly. <laughs> and, I was, and I was the match afterwards, and we went from nine minutes to three minutes to make it as fast as you can make it. <laughs> yes, that's what I was talking about with Power Pro. Lawler had to go on Power Pro television to talk about it. Are we going to have any of the Wrestling with Shadows talk as I look at the Observer Index? Uh... I there's one little Brett thing up in the notes, but I have an idea which I'll talk to you after the show. Well, so all that more yeah. at, uh, next week on Between the Sheets. No guest. So how, how long I've made that decision. It's only thirty pages, but we well we need to record Patreon and stuff too. So. We, and we have a Patreon requested show the week after that, which is going to be a long one. So so there's that that, that I was in my mind too. But anyway. So that's next week on Between the Sheets. Bo, I want to thank you as always for being yeah, on Thank you us. guys. Always awesome. Fix, thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Patreon special edition number 71. I'm your host, Chris Zellner. Joined as always by my host, David Bix and Span and Bix. It's finally time to break away from Titan Gate 92 and go into a new direction. Thankfully. Yes. So, uh, for those of you that have probably been hearing, tired of hearing us talk about pedophilia and other stuff like that, sexual depravity. Which there have been some that I've gotten those messages from. 
So I'm, I'm going to be glad when you get done with this. But that was a very important series we had to do. Yes. And uh, I'm glad we did it. But yes, I agree. I mean, it's time to talk about some some lighter things and, and uh, some more fun things to talk about. And what's more fun to talk about than 2000 WCW, huh? Well, not on screen, but... <laughs> Well, on screen could be a time. Well, we're not talking but, uh, about on screen. No, we're not. We're behind the scenes in business and talking about all the stuff going on with the various suitors of World Championship Wrestling at this time. All right, let's move up a week now as we go to the week of October the 9th, 2000. We got multi channel news October 9th, Business Wire October 11th. BrewRustleTorch.com, October 11th, and Torch and Observer Newsletters, October 16th. And we begin with WCW May Work With Rival by R. Thomas Umstead of Multi-Channel News. Mandalay Sports Entertainment, Warbus Federation Entertainment are both talking to Turner Broadcasting System about possibly buying its beleaguered World Championship Wrestling Organization. WFE, a more successful for wrestling promotion, might be a long shot to buy its rival. But sources say the comp- competitors could team up for several pay-related events in the near future. Sources said that Mandalay Sports was close to wrapping up the, du- the WCW with its former president, Eric Bischoff, heading the company. A deal could be reached as early as October 17th, after WCW official WCW executives, excuse me, a return from Australia, where they currently produce, currently are producing several WCW cable shows, including Monday Night Show Live. The source said the deal was contingent on TBS's continued distribution of WCW programming through its cable services. And Mandalay Sports representative would only say that while no deal is imminent, we are always interested in adding properties to our portfolio that will expand our presence and position in the field of sports entertainment. If a deal was reached, Mandalay would inherit a company that struggled to effectively compete against the profit of the World Wrestling Federation. Industry sources say the company has lost between 50 and 70 million this year alone. A Turner spokeswoman would only say there was the company would not comment on rumors or speculation involving any part of our business. Sources said WFE obtained the option to match any WCW purchase price as part of a settlement in reached this year with TBS over copyright infringement claims. Both have filed claims against the other several years ago. But WFE has his hands full with his own shows and upcoming launch of the XFL Football League. More likely is a joint working relationship between WFE and the eventual WCW owner, possibly on future pay-per-view events. That would likely only come about if WFE obtained a stake in WCW, sources said. WFE executives will not comment on what it calls rumors and speculation. Industry observers say any, point, any joint ventures between the two organizations would generate huge interest from wrestling fans and would boost interest in the WCW. WS Monday Night Raw's Wars regularly beats WCW's Monday Nitro. Even Raw's recent shifts to TNN, the national network, from USA Network didn't change that equation. During the week ending October 1st, the two-hour Raw block averaged 5.45 ratings compared to Nitro's 3.2. His spirit is even greater on the pay-per-view side. WF averages around a 1.355 rate on monthly events, while WCW's have been as low as 0.2. So here we have talk of not WWFE buying the company on a whole, but being a joint uh, you know, partner of the new owners of WCW. And I'm reading this, I'm like, no fucking way. <laughs> You, I mean, honestly, would you think that Vince McMahon would go for that shit? Or a Super Bowl joint, of wrestling or whatever? Joint? Yeah. No, it's either all or nothing. Vince would want to own the, the whole shebang. He's not yeah. joining with nobody. I mean, come on now. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get serious. I, this is a little bit of a weird one here. 
Uh, but how about Mandalay? Well, we'll get more on that in a minute. How about Mandalay saying no deal is imminent? Did we just hear a week earlier that deal was going to be announced as soon as maybe as early as October the fourth? Mm-hmm. How about you getting a lot? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I so said you're getting a lot of you're getting a lot of talk here, and it has to immediately be backtracked. You know. Yeah, how about both WWFE and Turner specifically using the term rumors and speculation? Well, this is what, what, what it tells me, Bix, is that this, again, this is Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff is running his mouth to, to the newsletters, you know, with this full confidence, and it's not, he, he should, is he should have that because nothing is actually, you know, that deep in the works, obviously. But he's going out there talking about who you know who he's going to get rid of and this that and the other and blah blah blah. It's Bischoff and Hervey out there doing all this shit. They're the two names you hear, you know. Yeah, and also it seems like Wade is going to learn from this more than Dave in the coming months. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go to press release. Manly Sports Entertainment squelches rumors regarding the purchase of WCW, released by Business Wire. Manly Sports Entertainment issued the following statement today, putting an end to the rumors that the premier national sports entertainment provider was in discussion to purchase World Championship Wrestling. While Manly Sports Entertainment enjoys an excellent relationship, working relationship with WCW and Eric Bischoff, we are presently and have never been in discussions to acquire the organization. Let's continue. Excerpt from Manly Sports flat out denies the interest in buying WCW by Wade Keller. One cable industry source responds to the business wide release. I don't buy it for a second. They're feeling the heat for the buzz and want to calm things down until next week when they have a chance to get the deal done. Media sources from Electronic Media to Multi Channel News, a TV guide of all reported Mandalay's interest in acquiring WCW. Another industry source says Mandalay technically isn't in line to buy WCW, but somebody else with deep pockets and some way affiliated with them is. Mandalay will then be hired by that new ownership group to run major elements of the company. Brad Siegel's at WCW headquarters in Smyrna, Georgia this morning for the first time this week. Has already left for the day. He was not in the office on Monday or Tuesday. He had yet to address the front office staff with any official update on the status of WCW. Real quick, before we get to the thrust of this, before I for, uh, forget, moving WCW out of CNN Center to Smyrna probably did not help matters in general, did it? In terms of, no. All of a sudden, they're out on their own island. It's, it, people are going to be a lot more detached about. Laying them off and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that happened when? 97? Early 98? Yeah. But anyway. All right. Okay. Let me look at this wording <laughs> again. Not presently and never have been in discussions to acquire the organization. Now, here's the thing. No, here's the thing. No, here's the thing. What Wade says is right, you know, from his source. We, I mean, you see this a lot. You know, in the past and even after this, where you have this denial of something's going to happen, and then a week later it happens. Well, UFC and Endeavor it, is the big one. Well, I mean, not just that, but like athletes and signing signing with sure. uh, teams and agency or stuff like that. I mean, you see this stuff happen all the time where their possibilities are they're, they're trying to squelch those possibilities. They're trying to you know get take a little heat off of it. You know, that's part, that's part of the deal there. It's a, it's a throw people off the scent. I mean, everybody knows what's going on. But, I mean, <laughs> this one, though, is interesting because it's pretty 
blunt about it. It's very emphatic. Yes. It seems like, at least going forward, it seems like they might be telling the truth. I don't know about ever. Yeah. Yeah, definitely interesting. All right, let's go to Dave. With his wrestlers in Australia and his front office personnel in the total state of uncertainty, media reports continue hot and heavy regarding a potential imminent sale of World Championship Wrestling. While virtually all reports listed Bad Elite Sports as the bribe suitor with the group headed by Eric Bischoff, most of the talk over the weekend involved a long shot in the deal, which had been rumored for some time, the potential of the World Wrestling Federation buying out its longtime competitor, particularly after a story on October 9th of multi-channel news. Based on sources very close to the details of potential sale, no deal has been reached. Or finalize the press time. Both companies and perhaps others are involved in various degrees of negotiations to purchase the company for Turner Broadcasting, which has owned the company since buying that Jim Crocker promotions in late 1988. Those close to negotiations expect the deal finalized within the next two weeks. Due to all the uncertainty among the talent, Terry Taylor called Brad Siegel from Australia and held a meeting on October 8th for talent. At the meeting, Taylor said Siegel had told him that there were four companies looking to buy in the promotion, mentioning Mandalay Sports and Bischoff, along with groups from Japan, Germany, and France. WF was never mentioned. Taylor also said Siegel said it was not a given the company would even be sold, but they're entertaining the offers. Kevin Nash tried to jerk through the meeting, noted immediately that the last time Siegel addressed rumors of an impending sale, they said the company was not for sale, basically ruined the credibility of everything that was said. While some talent had certainly heard the McMahon rumors for at least a week, when the talent left on October 4th from Los Angeles to Australia, all the talk regarded the Bischoff buying the company, which caused a misreaction, and most had not heard anything serious if anything at all, about a possible sale to WFE. Some of the current team in charge and direction of the product was a loser and were excited to get on with the business fresh with at least a new direction. Others, particularly those who have worked with Bischoff in the past, remember the periods both when business was strong and when it wasn't, as far as dealing with Bischoff himself, who was generally knocked on for having poor skills and skills in dealing with talent. And others, because me and the rest of the Lord of Vince Russo for their first break and were believed that Russo would be gone if Bischoff's hired, weren't happy because of the belief Bischoff would build around the wrestlers Russo had taken off television and their personal TV time would be cut back. Vince McMahon nor any other WWF sources either confirmed denying any interest in acquiring WCW or negotiations haven't taken place. Those close to negotiations themselves indicate there's been interest by WWF, but the general feeling for numerous reasons that the group headed by Bischoff at this point appears to be the favorite. It's believed that Bischoff Mandalay Group would be composed of outside financing and wouldn't create a new company run by Bischoff himself to run the wrestling in. Bischoff is said to have been able to sell the idea that there's a lot of money to be made in the pay-per-view merchandising and licensing of a well-run, well-run wrestling product. Observer sources indicate reports of SFS, which had looked into buying the company earlier this year, being part of the Bischoff Group, are incorrect. Several published reports of the Bischoff Group being able to negotiate an interpromotional angle with WF leading to join pay-per-view shows are also believed to be something that would be next to impossible. It also been rumored throughout wrestling reporting in the multi-channel news article that WFE has the right to match any purchase offer as part of its settlement with Turner Broadcasting and WCW in the copyright infringement lawsuit. The lawsuit settlement has been sealed, but there are indications that story may not be accurate, although it's certainly been rumored within wrestling for some time. Been man in the early 90s when the gap between the two companies was much closer than it is today turned out several offers from WCW for doing an interpromotional angle, including offers by WCW giving him complete creative control in the booking of the angle which would have allowed him to book his own company superiority and put the feud as one-sided as he would have liked. Now you should have everybody. It's believed that Turner Broadcasting has insisted, no matter who the company is sold to, that it would, remain, it would retain the primetime television shows on its two stations. TNT for the next 18 or so months for that station changed its focus, and Nitro would be expected to move to TBS, and TBS 
but wants out of the financial obligations of the company as a whole because it would it could impede the Time Warner AOL merger. On the surface, with the start of XFL in February, as well as starting a new record label and other new divisions, it seems WFE has enough on its plate without attempting to rebuild a faltering brand. The current rate of WCW's losses, $70 million this year, combined with the projected XFL losses from WFE's 50% ownership, $40 million, would exceed expected WFE profits for this year, estimating the low $70 million range, which could result in yet another unfavorable reaction on Wall Street coming off the heels of the drop in stock prices last week. On the positive side for WF, if a man were to purchase a company, he would get the satisfaction of buying out Ted Turner, who he had a long-time hatred of, and finally, after 18 years, having the real monopoly of the North American pro wrestling industry that has been his apparent goal from the start, as he already has a working relationship with ECW, he'll be able to move Nitro from Monday, which would increase the ratings on Raw, at least theoretically. He'll be able to have more hours of television time to sell. He'll be able to do an interpromotional angle, although the idea of doing that one right now with WCW in the state it's in would be one year early. That's a company needs to be rebuilt. That's just straight WF pay-per-view shows with current WF angles. At this point, we'll do more business than any promotional line matches. As the only WCW wrestler who could draw bigger business against top WF names than they already could do with each other, Bill Goldberg needs to be rebuilt first. He can also trade wrestlers back and forth, creating big raids on each side that could lead to an overall gain in interest level. That's what occurred in 1995 to 1988 boom period, where both companies fighting garnered a huge increase in the number of wrestling fans overall, a number that has dropped significantly over the past year. It would be in his best interest to keep the company separate, a strategy he decided against in 1984 when he purchased a majority interest in George Championship Wrestling at the time of the supply of wrestling program on TBS and promptly folded the company, buried the few wrestlers who he did get and purchase. Most of the wrestlers either went to the other NWA offices like the Carolinas or remained in the area working for a new company, Ellie Anderson, and some of the GCW stockholders that didn't sell in the hostile takeover put together. My man put his own WF program and take from outside Georgia in his time slots, which resulted in the problems with Ted Turner and McMahon, which McMahon was able to make appear legendary in the press. For the first time since 1985, when he was about to get kicked off TBS, and then Jim Barnett brokered a deal to where he sold his rights to air wrestling on the station at Jim Crockett, McMahon would have control of all the major league wrestling and all the strongest stations broadcasting wrestling at one time. The belief is, should the unlikely scenario of McMahon get the company occur, Bischoff, in 2001, would, with Fox, start a competing company using many wrestlers McMahon decides against using. The negative side is larger. McMahon and his creative staff have to produce several more hours more of first-run programming each week. There's also a situation involving the WCW contracts. The top wrestlers in the company are on the contract to turn a broadcasting and not with WCW. Fix. The deals, at least, as it pertains to guaranteeing money and fewer numbers of days per year are far superior on paper to WF contracts, even though the WF business is booming as it is. The top WF performers are earning as much as the highest-paid WCW performers. It's believed that Dwayne Johnson this year will earn more than Terry Balea, although the gap is certainly closer than it should be, given the amount of money each man respectively drew. While the WF dressing room, mainly composed of younger wrestlers, is a harder-working and more harmonious dressing room than the company has ever had, the idea that wrestlers who perceive themselves as being loyal to the company would have weaker contracts than others who are basically seen as lazy and did nothing but kill the other company would create a terribly divisive attitude. It's believed the odds of Vince Russo remaining and Father Bischoff and McMahon get control of the product are small, unless the entire Russo-Bischoff split was a work. The angle where Hogan beat Jarrett, who laid down Russo telling him to, was almost surely a work, but what happened after that point was more open to speculation. To create a Hogan-Russo angle, at which point Russo's credibility with the wrestlers would be shot. He would seem doomed in the company Hogan would have a major role in, and what appears to be a total lack of faith in his ability from Bischoff. If it wasn't an angle, walked away to give Russo full control with the belief he would be a miserable failure. Me and the wrestlers still support him despite the numbers. 
although the support among those in the office is nil because of those same numbers. Oh, I scrolled down way too far. Just a second. Scroll back up. Uh, he gave the younger guys television time. And he's actually popular because the dead house show business has resulted in fewer days on the road for the wrestlers. And he removed unpopular wrestlers like Hogan, DP, and Lex Luger from the key spots. And he gave many of the wrestlers their first break. Some even championed his cause based on clinging to the belief that it's probably work with Hogan, which has been designed to start the parts they rally the wrestlers around. Then when Hogan's blessing and worked the boys, this is Hogan gave Nash in 1998 when he took over his book and returned for Hogan getting a vacation and coming back strong on his own terms when returning, was actually legitimate from start to finish. Most of the company, even the listeners of WCW Live, which Russo appeared on several times in the past week, got the impression Russo believed his days were numbered. His final appearance gave everyone the impression he was desperately kissing the McMahon looking for a way back, something that would be difficult given the front office and some of the wrestler reaction to Russo's statements while leaving over the past year, and the general satisfaction among those on the other side through his falling flat on his face. Russo himself has said he expected the sale to go through this past week, which explains his actions, including not going on a trip to Australia. Russo had told people that he, if he didn't go to Australia, there would be a staff meeting on October the 6th. The buzzer informed of a meeting, and Russo didn't return to Atlanta, having stayed out west to see the San Francisco Giants versus New York Mets playoff series. All right, Bix. Dave uh, wrote a lot there, so uh, what's got your eye here? Ooh, let's see. <sighs> So everyone's been saying that Vince has right of first refusal or matching rights or whatever on any sale. Um, And like we said earlier, I don't think this is ever 100% confirmed anywhere, right? Uh, No. I don't think it's in any of the WWE documentaries or anything. So... I don't know. Yeah. Um... Do you think Vince would have been... I mean, it's Vince. He would have been hands-on with the new WCW, right? I don't know. That's the thing. That's what. That's the question I brought up before with the XFL. He's going to be so busy with XFL, he probably would not be as hands-on with WCW. That's probably giving it a better chance of succeeding. He probably does let it have more of its own staff. Well, here's the other thing. <laughs> he used a lot of the creative team on the XFL, too. Yeah. You know, the Bruce Pritchard podcast XFL episode goes into that in detail. So yeah. that's a fair point from you there. That might have actually worked out for the better. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have had all this shit going on. So he probably would bring in different people to run WCW, although he would have to have somebody of his choosing be the head. You know, to be the the final say, if if it wasn't going to be him, because he wouldn't have time. And what's the story? You know about how early two thousand one WF has all this great stuff going on because he's not there. Hmm. He's not as hands hands on. And remember, we did that two thousand and one show on the main show late recently, where it talked about how things he had started taking more of a cre you know hold a creative again in the summer two thousand and one, yeah. and that's when all this shit starts happening. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, Vince did not fold Georgia Championship Wrestling. He kept the company yeah. alive on paper for like two years. The show was called Georgia Championship Wrestling. That too. When they went to the studio, that's what it was called. Yeah, it was called World Championship Wrestling for the first however many months. And then for that last month, it was Georgia Championship Wrestling. Yeah. 
Now, as far as also the the split with Vince and Ted, um, at least what WWF told Electronic Media at the time was that it was a dispute over the advertising time and the promotional stuff where Turner thought that the there was a certain amount of promotional time that was allotted to the promoter. Turner's under the impression that that just means, you know, local promos and the like. Vince is under the impression he can just resell that ad time himself as part of his network. And that that's what the dispute was over and that there were financial issues coming from that. And at the time, no one from TBS commented. So even then, that's also just, that's the WWF version contemporaneously, too. You know, none of the other stuff we ever hear about from them later. Um, and then as far as coming back to 2000, it's not like we're learning that much new here. <laughs> I mean, it's little, it's like it's kind of clarifying bits and pieces from earlier, almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, let me see if there's anything else that caught my eye here. Um, it, it, there's clearly something up, but there's a lot of weird stuff going on because it seems like Mandalay might be out. I think there's a division among Mandalay. I think there's a group in Mandalay that Bischoff is part of that's you know wanting to get this deal done. And there are other forces in Mandalay that are like, oh, I don't know if we need to do this. That's kind of the way it feels, yeah. And so you got the Bischoff side of things going in the media, talking their shit. And then you got the other side talking their shit. And then the company saying, no, we haven't been talking to them about a sale at all. Well, that's the thing. There's probably more of a united front in the company. Yeah. You know? The wrestling, that's the non-wrestling people. You know what I'm saying? The wrestling right. people like Bischoff and Jason Hervey are going out there blabbing to everybody. You know, talking about this, this is a done deal, blah, 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 blah. But the business side of the company is like, no, we'll, we'll work. We can work with you, but we're not going to own it. You know, because we had that here. It said that if, if even if WF bought it, they would, there was a possibility that they would still work with WF and helping promote the product. Which I don't buy, and Dave doesn't seem to buy. And but that seems that that's coming from the non-Bischoff side of things uh, to me. Yeah, well, we're about to get a lot more on the WWF side, so why don't we just move on now to that to the all right week of uh, October sixteenth. To hear this entire show, support between the sheets on Patreon for just five dollars per month. Go to patreon.com/slash between the sheets.